Call the morgue. Dead? I'm dead? Can't be. I'm alive. Can't you tell I'm alive? I've got to make them see. You! Listen to me. Look at me. Can't you hear me? Maybe it's a nightmare. If I try, I'll wake up. I've got to move. Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 168 of the 22 Shots of No More Room in Hell podcast on the West Coast. West side. I am your host, the guru of this podcast shit, a.k.a. Moods. Yeah. And, of course, I have the boys from the No More Room in Hell podcast. First up, back in the house, the Sacktown Salty Swang and Snore, a.k.a. Mike Merriman. And back in the house for the very first time, we have Mr. I have so many podcasts, I need a podcast to shout them all out on. Venom, a.k.a. Jerry Cortez. What's going on, guys? Greetings and salutations, my friend. What is up? Yeah, man. That's right, man. This is the 22 Shots of No More Room in Hell podcast. And it is dubbed that tonight because this is a very strange episode. Uh, it's not that strange not to have Jeremy on the show, but JP, last minute, could not make a recording. So this is actually the first show he's ever missed. Uh, strange. I'm outnumbered <laughs> <laughs> on my own show. So, But absolutely no problem. We can do this without them. It's just going to be a little bit of a different lineup and stuff. So, um, But uh, they're in my hearts, man. I'm missing them right now. Maybe not Jeremy, but uh, you know how it goes. <laughs> Venom, welcome to hey. the show. Yeah. Thank you, brother. It's been a long time coming. I've been waiting for this opportunity. Uh, you guys were, I, th- I believe, the second Horrorphilia show that I uh, started listening to when I picked up on horror podcasts. And yeah, I've been uh, pretty much a steady listener ever since. What was the first one? What was the first one? I want to say... As long as it wasn't exploding cocks, that's that's cool with me. No, I don't <laughs> believe it was. No, nah, they're too new, I think, probably. <laughs> I think it was somewhere around a hundred. When did you guys do Hatchet? Uh, Hatchet I, was episode ninety nine, and I, you know, I'm really bad with the twenty two shots um, history, but I do uh, remember that because that was the very last episode that Derek did when he was kind of like a full fledged host, and before Jeremy came back for episode hundred. So that was episode ninety nine. All right, yeah, it was right around there. I don't remember if I remember that being one of the very first ones I listened to, but I, I at this point I've listened to so many that mm-hmm. numbers just get jumbled in my head, man. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, Derek, speaking of Derek, like, that guy just blows me away when he talks about uh, you know twenty two shots history and shit. Like, you can bring up a, a title, uh, a film, or just an event or something that we said on a show, and he'd be like, "Yeah, that happened on episode forty six. and I'm like, "What the fuck? Like, I can't even tell you what the main reviews were for that episode, but he's got, like, crazy, crazy memory for that shit, man. Um, Yeah, just nuts, man. But, yeah, happy to have you on the show, man. Um, Like you said, it's been a long time coming. And, honestly, man, I I really enjoy podcasting with you on on Fresh Cuts. Like, the way you review things is just phenomenal to me, man. You, You really, you do things a lot different than me. I don't personally like to, 
you know, for myself to go through step by, you know, scene by scene kind of thing and stuff. But I love the way you do it, man. Like I could just sit there on the Fresh Cut show and just listen to you talk. It's like you're really, really <laughs> Thank you, good. Betty. Really, really good. Yeah, man. that was weird. Um, I don't think we actually intended to do that, right, Mike? When we first started, it just kind of. It just became normal to just kind of go over the during the spoiler section and just go over the film scene by scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we we had like a basic outline of how we wanted. All all we really knew is we want to avoid spoilers to open the show, and then we'll give everyone a little warning. Because uh, part of what got me doing that was you know I I did a couple guttural reactions with horror cast which is their their kind of version or at least mark nato he kind of does most of them it was kind of his version but he only does like those are usually what 10 15 minutes at the most and he it's always spoiler free so i would do those and they'd be cool but i'd be like man i i feel like something's missing because i want to dig into the movie after you know i I would get off guttural reaction i'm like i still want to talk about this so uh, with fresh cuts i was like okay we'll do spoiler free but i i want to dig into it afterwards because we're already talking about it so you know i, I want to uh, actually dive into it dissect it and i think you just going over pretty much scene by scene and your recollection is pretty good i mean i know you sometimes you see the movie more than once but even i don't even think i could do that scene at two <laughs> times the way you just retain everything so it's a lot easier to retain the scenes when it's a good movie so if it's something like dr sleep or us or midsummer yeah it's not going to be especially considering i will see those movies minimum twice usually three times before we do the review but like i said just when the quality of the film is higher it just leaves a more lasting impression so it makes it a lot easier because we've even done episodes more recently where we kind of didn't really do every single scene where we did like a Mm -hmm a very basic kind of skeletal run through of the uh, episode. And, you know, like I said, if it doesn't leave an impression, it's going to be just a lot more difficult, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a, hey, thank God that we started this show during this, uh, new golden age of horror, because yeah, usually m- at least more than half the time, the stuff that we do on fresh cuts is fairly good, good to great. So, you know, it makes mm. it that much easier, but then whenever yeah, we yeah, have yeah, it's, it's always fun to rip those apart too. <laughs> yeah. It helps in the modern era where there's just so many options that we can try to plan on doing something good. But you know, there's always going to be the ones that you just have no idea going in, especially like Netflix originals, because you, you're hoping that they're going to be good. Um, and then as anyone who's listened to the show knows, there's a handful that we've done where it's just like, damn it. Like, and I hate when someone's on the show, like as a guest, for the first time and it's like a real shitty movie because i'm like man are they ever going to want to come back after having to talk about, about i'm surprised movie? dan i was just oh, gonna well, say I, yeah. i'm kind of surprised that dan and Lacey ever came back because their first two times on the show we talked about some pretty terrible movies so thank god they still uh you know grace us with their presence every now and then well, yeah was their man. second one tau I know their their first one was Open House. I know that exactly. But. Yeah, I think I think the second one was Tal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, is that Open Open House? Is one of the Netflix originals, or is it just uh, a Netflix? Yeah, yeah. Netflix original. That was actually episode one of uh, Fresh Cuts after the mm-hmm. name change because it used to be called uh, just the uh, just the movies when it was part of the Evil Episodes brand. Oh, okay. but uh, yeah, when, when we crossed over, it turned into Fresh Cuts, and yeah, that was a uh, Open House was episode one with Dan and Lacey, and we all hated it. <laughs> 
how many episodes have you guys actually done for Fresh Cuts now? Oh, I don't even. I don't even know. You know what? Yeah, I, it's funny because I don't number the episodes because I don't. I know no more. I was hell wondering I number that. them, but yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, wondering that because I, I I don't number fresh cuts. Yeah, because it doesn't feel like it. It almost doesn't feel like the n- amount of them matters because you're covering you know new stuff. So it's just like, well, this is just the show where it's going to be a movie and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. I would say because we started it, I think what like what was it late. 2018 maybe and oh i mean we averaged no, doing it a week yeah yeah oh, so the fresh it actually hasn't been going on that long then it's about a year no, well, and a half I think. it, it, it used half? to be because because we did 35 be episodes just the movies. okay yeah 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 okay yeah and the original reason it was called just the movies because way back in the day i did evil episodes which was tv horror and i wanted like an outlet to talk about movies and so I did just I just the sidecast was called just the movies, and then when I stopped doing evil episodes and switched No More Room in Hell, it's like well, it kind of doesn't make sense to call the sidecast just the movies because I do movies on the main show now. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think I was just talking with Venom. I was like, what? Should, I think aren't you the one that came up with the name Venom? Oh uh, like, yeah, yeah. I it, think it's so. hard to I remember had, like, now. A few but different. I had like fresh meat, fresh cuts, live something, <laughs> fresh live girls, whatever. <laughs> yeah i think fresh cuts is a great name for it it's like absolutely perfect yeah, i mean because it's simple yeah. well it makes sense because you're doing fresh cuts right it's just it's mm-hmm. perfect man i've had a pretty absolutely. good run on the show it almost feels like a music podcast fresh cuts <laughs> but yeah it's 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 a good simple name that's not hard to remember so yeah, yeah i mean it actually does kind of sound like something to do with music a little bit but uh i've had a pretty good run on the show man very first episode i did was us which I still think is the best review I've seen or heard to this day. I mean, Venom just fucking annihilated that shit, man. I always, I always direct people to it too. I mean, if you're on the fence about us and, you know, just not really too sure what to think about it, maybe this will kind of give you a little bit of bump to, you know, open <laughs> up your mind and kind of feel it out a little bit more. I think a lot of people are kind of confused by the movie too and stuff, but that was, yeah. I, I want to say up until this last episode, you were probably the guest on two of our longest episodes, but I want to say Dr. Sleep with uh, Dave Z might've might be now the record yeah. for the long show. Cause that was like just under three hours. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the movie's long too. There's probably a shitload of stuff to talk about. That kind of makes sense. I mean, us yeah. was decently long too. And then, um, second episode I did was Silence, which uh, um, wasn't good. <laughs> I think I enjoyed it more than uh, everybody else on the show. I, I I still agree it wasn't good, but I I actually had a really good time with it. Yeah, the third episode was really good, Hag- Hagazusa, which yeah. is like I just live by that film. I absolutely love that thing. Um, did mm-hmm. per- did Perfection, which was which was pretty good, you know. Um, Another one I think I liked a lot more than most people. It's actually still in my top ten for the year. Wow, I, I like I loved certain aspects of it. There were certain parts and stuff that were. I think it was pretty solid for what it was. It wasn't like blowing me away. We did bore, which wasn't a bore, <laughs> but <laughs> it wasn't Don and Ellie on that show. And he, didn't he say shit like that? Like it was a bore. <laughs> well, no, he did yeah. the entire did episode that, yeah, in an Australian accent. He did, but didn't he say it was a bore or something like that? I, I was like, what the fuck? Of course, that joke's coming. <laughs> I, I, that episode was so funny because I I legitimately thought like something was wrong with my speakers when he first started doing the accent. I was like, "What the hell?" Like I thought maybe something was like cutting out or buffering or some weirdness. And then <laughs> you know, 
further in, I was like, oh, no, he's just fucking messing well, I around. Think, I accent. think it was impressive that he actually managed to do the whole episode doing the accent. That yeah. that just impressed me because it wasn't like it was a 15-minute review kind of thing, right? So, but Boar was fun. Boar was fun. Yeah, I, I like Yeah. Actually, when I met Bill Mosley this summer, I even talked to him about it. And I said, dude, <laughs> I said, I was getting the Devil's Rejects DVD signs so I could retire it. And um, I said to him, I was like, so... What was, uh, you know, what was it like doing Boar? And he's like, actually, I had a lot of good times, you know, filming Australia, blah, blah, blah. We talked about it for a few minutes. And I was like, dude, your death scene had me in <laughs> fucking stitches, man. I was like, that CG sucked. <laughs> and he bursted out <laughs> laughing. I was like, that's pretty awesome. But uh, I think he wanted to be in the film even longer. I think he was disappointed that he got killed. So, yeah, he did get killed pretty early on, but yeah. man, yeah. Oh, that 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 scene, holy shit, really hard not to be able to take that movie seriously, right? Once you see that death scene, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was funny just seeing him play like the regular straight guy. Like, you're so used to him taking like the sinister turn or just being an evil, crazy character to begin with. Yeah, it was weird to yeah. see Bill Mosley in a role where he was kind of like this. I think he well, he was a stepdad in that movie, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. But he was like yes. the nice stepdad, so. and he would there was like. He was like the perfect stepdad. It was really strange to see for sure. Yeah. Um, we also did <laughs> It Chapter 2, which, I did, nice. again, that was another one that you liked a lot more than I did. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Yep. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've just, I've talked about this even recently with people, and I'm just, I wish Stephen King had to just wrote It as the kids part and just left it. That was yeah. it. Right. That's valid. No, absolutely. I mean, and I understand, you know, why most people are going to associate with the kid part. You know, it it comes off as more nostalgic, especially for folks our age where we actually were teenagers in the 80s. Um, The the movies, obviously, not the miniseries. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I just really liked how they tackled the adults' problems, their broken psyches, how they were trying to come to terms with, mm-hmm. you know, the things that happened in their childhood. I think they, they definitely handled it better in the film than they did in the 1990 miniseries. Oh, I agree. Um, to, to the point where I, I mean, I'm still on the fence on which half I like better, which chapter I like better. Wow. I know Mike kind of verbalized that he liked the second one better. I'm starting to lean that way now that I've seen it a couple of more times. Mm-hmm. I, I'm actually, I, I mean, once it comes out on physical media, I'll be able to do a back to back and, you know, give a definitive opinion on it. But yeah, I, I genuinely enjoyed what they did with the adult stuff in chapter two. Yeah, I, I I know it's like a tired arg- argument, but I've always say it, said that, you know, the story, you know, the kid versus adults, when you're dealing with fears, works so much better as kids. Right? Sure, absolutely. I just, I always, that's the argument I always have in my head, and it's, I always kind of stick with that. And But, you know, it's still solid. I actually can't wait to rewatch it. I've only seen it the one time, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it, I can still, like, vividly remember the movie, though. It's kind of interesting. It made such an impression, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, man. I think they just, it probably could have been edited down a little bit. I mean, Christ, there's a whole, there's an hour in that film where they essentially go through rehash the, you know, the, the fear scene, like all the fears and stuff, right? It's quite, Mm -hmm. it's quite Toronto, but, and then the last episode (laughs) I did it with you guys was hunt, which we kind of reviewed two movies on that one. If I'm, right. not, if I'm not mistaken, because <laughs> yeah. well, we had just come off of candy corn, so yeah, 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 candy corn, which you know is pretty fun and stuff. But I've had a pretty good run on fresh cuts so far. Um, I like to be on more, to be honest. I really like that format. It's very easy to prep for, <laughs> you know. Unlike these shows where you got to watch like a million movies and shit, but I still enjoy yeah. doing it. But uh, yeah, man. Um, hopefully, it'll be on in the future, though. You guys are doing. Are you guys doing Bliss anytime soon? 
Yeah, because, we're doing Bliss. Uh, what next? Early next week, sometime. That's cool. I'll catch you guys yeah, on. Yeah, I don't think Bliss. we. Uh, yeah, I don't think we picked out an actual day because Orlick uh, hit me up. You know, it's funny because uh, Brandon Orlick, everyone probably knows him from Exploding Heads. Uh, he uh, he's been in like the fresh ca- fresh cuts chat like almost from the start of it. And he's never actually he's like the one I think that's in there that's never actually been on the show, and I'm. I'm always like throwing it out to him if he wants to come on and you know I it, for people that know or like outside of just his shows it's like he's always just not <laughs> he just doesn't answer whatever and then like a few days ago he just hit me up he's like what are you guys doing I'll come on I was like are you are you messing around with me or, or are you serious because like we've been inviting you almost every single time but it looks like uh, he, he said he's open for next week. You so know, I was like, all right. I actually saw him say that, and I was like, damn, that's crazy. Because he never says shit like that, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, no, it's cool, man. I've seen Bliss. Have you guys watched it yet? Not I yet. Haven't. No. Oh, man. I, I'm, I'm, all I'm going to say about Bliss is I loved it. Nice. I think it's fantastic. It, it, I liked, I read what the premise is, and I was like, wow, that sounds very interesting. Like, this is one of those movies where, like, it could be right up my alley but I don't want to like think about it too much before I watch it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think you guys will enjoy it, man, for sure. I just really like movies like this. I know some people probably see it and go, Oh, it's this pretentious fucking red hue type film. You know, <laughs> like the hues in these films now are like making people like movies or some shit. It's like, not really, but it's, it's got, a, it's got an interesting premise, man. So nice, pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah. So what we usually do on this show when we have a guest on for the first time is we do a little thing called five questions, get to know that person a little bit more. The questions are not rocket science. Not, it's not brain surgery. They're very, very easy. Start out with generic ones, kind of move along, blah, blah, blah. Venom. Yes, you re- sir. You ready? Do it. I usually start with people with this question because it's just kind of, I don't know, man, people just like to know the answer to this is be included. I, cause I actually don't know. I'm pretty sure I don't know the answer to this, but uh, favorite <laughs> horror film of all time. Not even a question. Uh, the Exorcist. Really? By a country mile. Yeah. My number two would be The Shining, and The Exorcist is head and shoulders above it. Oh, man. So, you know, right now, I wish that Jeremy and JP were on the show because they're both not fans of that movie. I, yeah. Like, I I, I, they don't dislike the movie. They're just not, like, fans of it, you know? It's not something they, they would just go to to watch. Is it because you're really old? Is that why you like The Exorcist? <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. For the people that I, don't I, know... I will- yeah, Venom is uh-huh. a little bit older. Like I'm, th- you're 49, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so you're 10 years older than me. So, yeah, but uh, no, ser- like, why The Exorcist? Is it just the time? I mean, you it was seen one it? of the first yeah. movies that I saw that really terrified me as a kid, mm-hmm. and I will admit I saw it way too young. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it when I was 10. So, uh, yeah, it just it left such a lasting impression just from the fear factor of it. But then as I got older, I started to realize that William Friedkin is an absolute auteur of filmmaking. Um, just looking at his and not just watching The Exorcist, too, watching the stuff that he did before and since. And, you know, it, and obviously starting to become a little bit more critical of my movies. Like I said, it just it gave me a little bit of an education on filmmaking. And um, I've actually worked on the set when I first uh, moved out to California. Uh, for those who don't know, I have a degree in audio production. And when I first moved to California, I decided to try to get into uh, motion pictures, uh, set work, you know, doing like uh, sound recordist stuff. And um, that didn't last too long. I ended up getting a, a job back in engineering where I was. But 
it just when you're actually a part of it and you see the process, you, you start to appreciate the people that are really, really good at it. And then by in turn, by watching stuff about the exorcist, not just the film itself, but about the making of behind the scenes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I just, I just fell in love with that man. And I, I love everything he does, even in those weird mid eighties, like cop movies that he did like to live and die in LA, you know? Oh, I love that movie, man. Yeah, yeah, dude, I actually do too. <laughs> I, I gotta say, man, like the story behind the Exorcist is really trippy. Um, just like the the onset disasters that they had, like you know, with the burning down and just all these like you know people dying and just weird, crazy shit, man. Just associated with that film is is truly remarkable for a film of its kind. You know, it's like kind of it kind of really gets you thinking, man. I've heard stories. I had this uh, this girlfriend in high school, and her mom was telling me when she saw the Exorcist at the cinema when it came out. She was sitting there and uh, in the cinema, and she grew up Catholic, right? So she was wearing like a you know cross and stuff. And she said her chain broke in the middle of the film, and it kind of slid down her chest. And I was like, "Really?" I'm like, "Is that just purely <laughs> coincidental, or is this like actually having some crazy ass powers and shit?" I'm like, "That's fucking nuts, man." <laughs> but you know, The Exorcist to me was a film that I put off watching as a child too because of you know, everyone's saying it's the scariest movie ever made and, and things mm. like that is dealing with demon. And like that type of shit used to scare me as a kid, like anything kind of like demonish and really, I don't know. I it used to freak me out. So it was, it was that and demons, obviously again, going back to the whole demon thing where the, the movie that <laughs> I, I've told the story a million times, but I would, I would watch uh, pretty much everything at this mom and pop store, this rental place when I was a kid back in the eighties. And, and, uh, the one movie I'd never rented until I was a little bit older to understand that the fucking demons weren't going to kill me was the movie Demons by Lamberto Bava. It was the <laughs> it was the cover art, but The Exorcist was another movie that I, I saw when I was a little bit old, not older, but you know, probably around twelve or thirteen. Finally got the balls to actually watch it and really enjoyed it. But that's cool, man. So The Exorcist, and you said The Shining coming in uh, there? would be number two, yes, sir. Those are great choices, man. Really, really great choices. Um, yeah, and, and yes, I'm old wrong. as shit. So, <laughs> yeah, go wrong with either of those. So, I mean, those are. I mean, I love those two. Did you? See- Although I, I do try to make the argument that I think Exorcist Three is has kind of aged better for me than the original, but that's a whole discussion for another time. <laughs> when you seen that, like the director's cut of Exorcist, you know, with the different footage and stuff with yes, sir. with Red, I saw that. Yeah. Um, what, what, when did you see that? I saw it in theaters in 2000 when it came out. Oh, okay. So, and did that like really just kind of heighten it for you or did it bring it down a little bit or what? Um, did it make the Honestly, yeah. uh, for the most part, it helped though. There were some choices that I wasn't a big fan of at the time. I didn't like the extra images of Pazuzu kind of spread out throughout the house. Oh, okay. I thought that was kind of hokey and I, and believe it or not, I was not the biggest fan of the crab walk. The first time I saw it, it was, it was shocking because obviously you don't expect it. I mean, it was never in there before. So, but then like the more I thought about it back in 2000, I was like, eh. It, it almost makes it seem a little hokey, but I've I've warmed up to it since. Um, for the most part, if I pop in The Exorcist, I will watch the theatrical. Um, I just I, I I remember the experience of seeing that for the first time and just how it moved me and how it absolutely shook me to my core. And yeah, um, you know, even though it doesn't have that effect on me anymore, obviously. 
I, I, you know, like I said, now it's more of a masterpiece of filmmaking than a masterpiece of fear. So, you know, I appreciate it on a different level now. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I actually really like the crab stuff. I wish they had to put that in the original version because imagine watching that back in like seventy three when the film came out. I think that would have just terrified people even more. Because really, That's- like, how many f- movies had you seen up to that point that had something like that in there? I mean, The Exorcist was pretty unique on a lot of levels, but even that type of effect is pretty wild. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. If it was in the original version, it absolutely, you know, would have had a much more, you know, a bigger punch anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to say, and like I said, it was shocking in 2000 the first time you see it. But then, you know, like I said, it's the second and third times that I saw it that I was like, yeah, I, could, I probably could have lived without it. But like I said, I've warmed up to it now, so mm-hmm. I accept it for what it is. But now it's like the, the stuff that I do like about the 2000 version is the non-horror stuff. Like all the extra footage that we get with uh, Father Marin and the cops, uh, or the cop, excuse me, the lieutenant. Yeah. Because um, yeah. they, they they tacked on that little scene at the end that I absolutely love now. I, I look back at that as probably the best improvement of the 2000 version. It's just that, that sweet little scene at the end of them just walking away, talking about going to a movie, you know? Loved it. Yeah, for sure, man. Have you seen the uh, the documentary, The Devil and the Father? Uh, yes. Morris, yeah, from William Freakin. What you, you, what are yeah. your thoughts on that one? Uh, pretty terrible. <laughs> I did not like it uh, as much as I wanted to, uh, for obvious reasons. It just didn't really work for me. I don't know. I might have gotten jaded on it too because I had I had actually been. Uh, I don't usually read reviews or watch trailers before I watch a film, and I I accidentally ran into like just a little blurb that somebody that I respected. Um, was, was talking about that movie and they were talking about how much they hated it and how much it didn't work for them. So I might have been a little skewed going into it, hmm. but even walking out of the theater, because I did get to see it in theaters out here in LA and yeah, yeah it was just, it, it was average at best for me. Yeah, I didn't know anything about going into, or before I, I clicked on it, man, I was like, William Freakin, I'm like, awesome, man, I made a new horror movie. And it's right away, I, you know, I got to realize it was a documentary. I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I didn't hate it because I, I obviously wasn't skewed by it, but I was a little bit let down because I thought it was a film. I was like, how did I miss this freaking doing a brand new fucking, you know, exorcism film? I think this is crazy, but yeah, yeah I completely fucking, yeah, just, I, I didn't mind. It was short enough. I think it was like under 70 minutes or something. It was pretty short. Yeah, so yeah, at least it was a quickie. It kind of flew by. Did you get a chance to see The, the Shining in theaters? Because you would have been 10 when that came out in 1980. I did not see it in 1980, but I did see it in 1988 uh, when it uh, one of the local theaters and uh, I'm from Connecticut and one of the local theaters in my hometown played it on a Halloween night. So I so 88 would have been the first year I actually saw it in a theater. So you saw The Shining and then went straight to the Blob remake right after that. <laughs> I think I went to I, I think I went to Humanoids of the Deep for next nice. Humanoids from the Deep. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Something man. about rapey fish monsters I really like. I love I absolutely love that movie too. It's like <laughs> fucking ridiculous Corman shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> it is, man. Oh shit. And watching like the new like Screen Factory put it out on Blu-ray. Oh my god. I guess it had been on Blu-ray before, but I I never picked it up. But just that transfer is so good. I'm like, it's ridiculous. These movies yes. shouldn't look this fucking good. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> uh what's your favorite genre? Of horror. Um right around Subject. right along the same line. Supernatural slash demonic possession. Nice. It's it's just it's it's 
it's the subgenre of horror that gets the most uh, reaction from me, like the most, you know, fear, cringe, uh, yeah. whatever you want to call it. You know, it's just it, it's the one that really does it for me. You know, there's you know, stuff like home invasion movies your basic slasher. Um, you know, I, I can see why a lot of people love them. And that's great. I I obviously enjoy them. But it, it, when it when it comes to the demonic possession and just the supernatural in general, you know, a really I'll take a really good ghost story over almost anything any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you would have been, you know, push. I guess 1980, 10 kind of thing was. Mm-hmm. Were you into the slasher? Because the slasher was just right at the top of its game. You know, eighty one, eighty two kind of thing, right? Were, yes. Were you uh, really big into that? Absolutely. Um, my parents. My mother more than my father, but uh, my parents used to actually go to the drive-in a lot because um, they moved away from their family when they got married. So then when they had me, they didn't really have, you know, the family babysitter, uh, you know, to watch them. So pretty much they preferred to go see movies at the drive-in because they could take me and I'd just fall asleep in the back seat halfway through the movies. But right around 1976, 77, I really started noticing some of the movies that they were watching and I would actually make it through both features. And I remember, I remember the very first double feature that I actually made it through was uh, blood eaters and horror hospital. And that would have been <laughs> probably 76. And I just remember sitting in the back seat and just being completely riveted. I mean, these are, these are terrible movies by the way, but um, yeah, just it was it was like something I had never seen before. I mean, you know, like I said, I was six years old. You know, I was watching the Muppets. That was probably the most intense thing I'd ever watched up to then. And then I'm sitting in the back seat watching, you know, zombies absolutely decimate people. Watching the crazy doctor from Horror Hospital just, you know, ra- just ravaging people on the uh, on the operating table. So it was just it was so. I, I don't even want to say shocking because it's not like I ever lost any sleep over it. It was just riveting. Like it, it grabbed me and I, I never it, literally from that point, I, I've never looked back. I've just been a horror fanatic since. So yeah, I blame my mother. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I hear that shit, man. I was, I was introduced to horror films in 85, like Fright Night is the movie I always credit, you know, being a five-year-old naive kid, I didn't realize it was more of like a, like a horror comedy kind of thing. Right. And mm-hmm. I was, I, it, you know, it's actually kind of ironic a little bit because House was another film that I saw around that time too and didn't realize like House literally scared the shit out of me. But, you know, looking back on it now, I mean, it's not as, it's definitely sillier than, you know, Fright Night is kind of thing, right? But just being so naive, didn't realize, but those movies scared the shit out of me as a kid, but that's what sold me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, moving along. Uh, so you got, so you said, so horror films have always been like your, your first love kind of thing. And you got into them really young. Like, what do you, Mm -hmm. what is the first film do you remember watching and kind of falling in love with the, with the genre? Uh, easy night of the living dead. Uh, I watched it for the first time in 1979. Um, my dad, my parents just bought their first VCR, you know, one of those top loading monstrosities that was like 45 pounds yeah bigger than your tv in some cases the top loader (laughs) vcrs man oh dude like those were the fucking bomb dude but 1979 like he he must have paid like two grand for that thing man uh i think if i remember correctly he paid 800 for it damn dude 800 bucks in 1979 is inflated now i mean that's got to be more than a couple grand that's insane Uh, easily 
in 2019 money absolutely but th that's the thing my parents were always they're not exactly cinephiles but they're entertainment files like they yeah. always want you know cable kind of sucked back then it was it was kind of the infancy of cable television um but and, and they always they were always movie buffs they wanted to watch movies they didn't really like watching you know the news or you know whatever, whatever random form of entertainment was on network television so mm -hmm. yeah my dad went out and bought a vcr pretty much as soon as he could afford it like i remember him saving up for it for well over a year and you know he would show me pictures in like the uh, neiman marcus catalog and be like oh look at this we're gonna we're gonna have one like this someday you know basically getting my mouth all watering anyway point is um the day that we picked up the vcr um he let me pick a movie to rent and i saw night of living dead sitting there because this wasn't even a real video store this was actually like a uh almost like a rent uh, rent a center like a, a rent to own type place but they had a good deal on a vcr yeah. so he took it and then they had like a little video section on the side for like video rentals but it was terrible it was like literally <laughs> like maybe 40 or 50 titles like t in total and the only horror that they had they literally had two horror movies one was the original night of living dead the other was once upon a frightmare wow. uh, and <clears throat> And, and the cover of that one didn't really look appealing to me. So I said, let's try Night of the Living Dead. And yeah, my, my dad was cool enough to let me rent that at nine years old. And I lost sleep for probably the next two to three nights. And it was most, <laughs> it was all because of the scene of the girl killing her mother in the basement with the trowel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the high pitched screech that yeah. the mother lets out. That literally haunted my dreams for like two to three nights. Like, I, my, my mother said that she actually woke me up screaming the first night. <laughs> and it was, and, and literally, it's not like, it's not like I was seeing it in my head. It, I was just hearing that screech. Wow. And if I heard the screech in my head, I would just, yeah, freak right the fuck out. But <laughs> that's awesome. And I just remember thinking, I remember thinking, wow, no movie or TV show or any kind of, you know, art that I've ever experienced has affected me like this. And I was like, I, I got to look into this. I got to see more. And yeah, that was it. I got to, I got to give uh, your dad props though, for picking the right format. Anyways, he picked up the VCR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beta was never an option. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting because, of course, VHS became the norm back in the 80s. But, man, I mean, that battle yeah. was still there at that time. And, I mean, to be fair, in 1979, there wasn't – like, the the huge home media boom hadn't really happened yet. So that's why there wasn't as many choices for you. I mean, a couple years later, it would have been massive, right? Probably two, uh, yeah, three by, years later. Yeah, by, like, 81, 82. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we actually had, like, full-fledged – video stores because yeah. when we first bought the vcr there weren't even video rental places yeah like right. it, it would be, it would be like a supermarket that would have like a few videos and then like this little this shop that would have like a few videos and that was it i remember when the first video store in our town opened oh it was like christmas uh, and the horror section was so spectacular. I loved it. And they didn't even court off the adult section. The, you could see the adult section from the adjacent aisle. It was awesome for a kid. <laughs> yeah. I actually remember that as a kid, too. But it would be it would be more or less blocked off. But you just kind of move the curtain. You'd be like, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> you know, that was everything to a kid, man. Absolutely. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. That's, uh, th your driving story is interesting because uh, I have kind of a similar thing when I I was growing up, we, we actually had two drive-ins when I was growing up. Now we just have one of them. But um, one of my earliest memories of being at the drive-in was uh, Tim Burton's Batman was playing 
with a, in a double feature with Child's Play, and my dad wow. took me, and I think my dad's kind of thinking. Uh, my my parents were never really strict on what I watched, but I think he was thinking because of like the times that the movies would play that I would probably make it most of the way through Batman and then fall asleep. But I actually fell asleep like somewhere. You know, there was a the lot Batman. of parents there with the exact same mentality, right? They had mm-hmm. their kids you're the oh, same yeah. age as you. And they're like, ah, the fucking kid, they'll fall asleep through Batman. But yeah. Lo and behold, they made it through Batman and fucking were terrified for three years after watching killer well, yeah. doll kill people. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I actually fell asleep somewhere during Batman. And when I woke up, I didn't realize at first that it wasn't Batman anymore so like i assumed that oh i probably just fell asleep for like 10 15 minutes and then all of a sudden there's this killer good guy doll and i was like uh what the hell is this and (laughs) but you know what it helped spark my interest because i it's not the first horror movie i ever saw or anything but it's the it's the first one because of probably you know being at a driving on the giant screen you got the car speakers and well actually back then it was the little metal speakers that you put on your window if people remember those but uh um it's kind of the first movie that really kind of gave me that feeling like holy shit i got like i'm scared but i gotta find more of these because i think i was this was what 89 so i was like nine years old at the time so mm-hmm. it it helped give me the feeling of like oh i gotta seek more of this crazy stuff out and i mean as an adult it's like come on it's child's play but you gotta think as a nine-year-old kid it's it you know it was pretty scary to see on the, at the drive-in yeah that's actually really interesting man I, you know, for how, well, Mike, we always talk about how shitty the town I, I live in because we have like no cinemas here. But oddly enough, we do still have a drive-in. It's really <laughs> fucking strange. Unfortunately, the dude like never has horror films there, so like I never go. I'm not really watching the shit that he's playing. So, but it is weird. There's only like a few left in Canada, and there's one in this shithole. It's very, <laughs> it's very odd. It's very odd. Um, well, Venom, since you were like. You know, like I said before, you're you're older, so you've been a horror fan mm-hmm. before I was even fucking born. Um, what is the difference between horror, the realm of horror back in those days, say like the early 80s to like the mid 80s, like reading that fucking kind of golden age to, I would almost say the brand new golden age of, of horror because, I mean, the obvious difference is the the amount of films that are coming out. I mean, back sure. in the day there was, you know, there was, you know, 1981, there was a different one or two slasher films opening up every weekend, which, which was incredible. But I mean, you still look at the, the final output in the year for films compared to today. It's does it's not even comparable. You know, there's 8,000 horror films probably coming out in 2019. It's nuts. <laughs> I mean, besides the obvious, you know, output of films, what do you think the major difference is between, you know, the horror industry and, or being a fan of it too? Um, honestly, and, and this could be my, you know, my critical eyes kind of speaking, but I, I genuinely feel like, um, horror has, um, definitely improved in quality, both in filmmaking and in storytelling. Now, you know, I, I understand that there are some absolute masterpieces from the fifties, sixties, seventies. I'm a huge fan of psycho peeping Tom, Rosemary's baby. Obviously I already said the exorcist is my favorite movie. So I know quality horror films have always existed, but I feel like now, and we were already talking about this with the fresh cuts appearances that I just feel like at least half the movies that I watch now are five times better than your average slasher from the eighties. Now don't get me wrong. I absolutely love those movies back in the eighties. I had, I had two older cousins, both female who would um, sneak me into movies constantly. So I was able to see stuff like, um, 
Happy, uh, yeah, uh, My Bloody Valentine, the original Prom Night, Halloween 2, Halloween 3. I was able to see those all in theaters, not with my parents, but because my older cousins were getting me in. Um, and so, so I know that quality cinema existed back then, but I feel like the, the frequency of watching something that's a more elevated style of horror is, uh, just a boon today i mean like you said we're in a new golden age have been for most of this decade now yeah and um but yeah it's just like i said and and plus with me getting older i'm obviously going to take notice more of horror movies that are a little bit better in their filmmaking and their storytelling don't get me wrong i still love a good gore fest every now and again but I don't seek them out as much as I used to. Like I, for, for me, it used to be all about blood and boobs. That, that was it. Yeah, Just yeah. Give me all the blood and boobs you can give me. But that's, and but, then, that, but that's also mm-hmm. a product of, you know, the time that you were, you know, in the early eighties and shit, that's what the, that was being sold to you. I mean, that's what slasher mm-hmm. films were about the blood and gore and the boobs and things like that. And it was, it was about, I mean, I don't know if they were strictly trying to make cheesy ass films or if that's just the way filmmaking was. And just, I mean, really at the end of the day, I mean, they had, they had an idea of what they were doing and what they were trying to accomplish with this stuff. And they knew that it wasn't exactly, you know, in today's terms, elevated horror. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the movies that are coming out, like if you compare the mainstream films in the early eighties, some of these mainstream slasher films and other type of films and stuff, and you compare them to the mainstream films of like the last couple years. So you take 81 and 82 and you compare them to 18 and 19. I mean, the quality of films in the last two years are really damn good. I mean, it's shit that you would never Mm -hmm. think of because most people associate horror films with being kind of poorly made. You know, they're fun. They're cheesy. You know, you can, you can enjoy them for what they are. But some of the films that have been coming out lately are legitimately like really, really well made. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the elevated horror term. It's it kind yeah. of because people are using it in like awkward ways and shit. It's really kind of bugging me. But but you have mm-hmm. to admit films like Hereditary and and you know The Witch and things like that. Like these are really fucking well made movies, and it's just it's kind of changing the game a little bit. You know, absolutely. Like like I said, I just I just feel like the frequency of that quality of film coming out today is a lot. You know, obviously that the ratio is a lot higher. I mean, because obviously in the early 80s, we still got stuff like The Shining, The Thing, um, you know, spectacular films that, you know, the critics maybe didn't embrace at the time, but have aged so well that they've become, you know, classics of cinema. Um, whereas like now, man, I'm, I, I've given more 10 out of 10s this year than I have in any year of my life. And even though I actually do, as most people in our community look at 2019 as a little bit of a step down mm-hmm. overall from the, like the last couple of years, I still feel like the top end, uh, you know, the top 10 percentile are some amazing films. Like, like I said, I've given, I've given probably one, two, three, three maybe four 10 out of 10s this year i've never done that ever yeah that's interesting yeah because this year you know it hasn't for myself hasn't been like you know an abundance of like really really great films but there still is a few films i need to see and stuff but i mean i have you know one ten so far kind of thing uh, mm-hmm. i can't really make a fair assessment because there's still some heavy hitters i haven't seen yet uh even though i'm like vastly approaching 100 films i've just been kind of waiting to watch them towards the end of the year kind of thing. But, you know, as per now, like I've watched a shitload of indies and stuff. And over the last few years, man, I found a lot of great films. Like I was making, you know, 
after doing the top 10 on the podcast, I'd make like a top 30 list video kind of thing. Right. Because I oh. felt like I could, cause there were so many solid films that I was, you know, like these were eights and eight and a half. So I'm like, this is crazy. There's like an abundance of these films I need to talk about just briefly, mm-hmm. you know, let people know maybe they haven't seen these, but I feel at this point right now, there's no way I can make a top 30 list and be happy with it. And, you know, I just couldn't do it right now, but I mean, that will change in the next month and a half because I'll see everything I need to see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, this whole decade has been pretty fucking solid to be honest. I mean, the last, especially the last five years have been really crazy good. Absolutely. I I, I can't get over like some of the quality stuff that we're getting in this decade. And, you know, obviously with the end of the decade, now we have to do as podcasters, of course, we have to do our top, you know, 50 or 100 movies of the decade, whatever we Mm want to do. And that's going to be pretty damn difficult because I've already started on it and it's movies that I was convinced would be in my top hundred are nowhere near it now. And then other movies that either I didn't see when they first came out, like I'm still catching up. Like I just saw um, the eyes of my mother recently for the first time. Fucking movie was amazing. Blew me the fuck away is easily going to make my top of the decade. It so. was in my top 10 a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely love that movie. Um, do you think here's like kind of a side question? It got me thinking. I was actually thinking about this a couple of days ago, but now since we're kind of on the topic about old films and newer films and shit, um, do you think the reason, one of the reasons why the mainstream films have kind of gone away from being like uber silly and shit like that and kind of cheesy and stuff compared to what they were, you know, 40 years ago, um, it has something to do with just the way society is? I mean, the world now is completely. I don't want to use the word uptight. It's a, for lack of a better adjective. I mean, it's a very PC world that we're living in. People are really, they get pissed about everything and stuff. And I think that people are kind of gravitating more towards more, um, I don't want to say positive things, but just more serious things. You know, maybe back in the day where they were just like, they were more accepting to watching the the boobs and and gore and shit like Mm -hmm. that. And now I just don't think that would sell in this society because everyone's just got a different mentality. Everyone's a little bit more serious and PC. I'm, you know, not me (laughs) personally, (laughs) but I just, as a general thought, because I always, we've talked about this many times and I, I seem to have noticed a trend sometimes, you know, a lot of horror films will kind of represent, you know, the the society that they're living in shit like that right you know based oh, on things like just on how things are going in society films kind of represent that all the time and shit do you think maybe it's just like it's serious time it's kind of break it down or is it just at that point now where they're just so far past that and they just want to do these type of films just by choice uh, mm, that's a tough one man because i mean when it comes to the film industry i've worked in the film industry enough to know that everything is about the almighty dollar yep and Ultimately, shitty slashers made money in the 80s. That's why we kept getting them because you could make you could make a piece of shit slasher for like 50 grand, maybe even less. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you made six figures on it from a limited theatrical release, it was a success. Whereas nowadays, most studios don't want to even invest in that kind of stuff. I mean, thank God for studios like A24, you know, actually giving us stuff that maybe the mainstream isn't either ready for or willing to accept right now. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I gotta always lean towards money because at, at this point, you know, even though some of the best horror movies, you know, of the last decade that we all, you know, 
talk about constantly stuff like the witch and hereditary and midsummer they're not always the most financially successful but they're so critically successful that studios still kind of value that i mean obviously they value money more than anything but that, if that, you yeah that, that was i was gonna bring that up because you know apparently dr sleep is <clears throat> you know really fucking good um i'll be supposed to see it this week i never got around to seeing it but i'll see it next week but uh <laughs> yeah well i honestly just i couldn't there wasn't one day this week i actually could have went um uh, no, I you. but you know with that said the interesting thing is is that um the movie bombed yeah dr sleep is a strange animal though because i mean you're talking about a sequel to a movie that came out 39 years ago most of the target audience for dr sleep wasn't alive when the shining came out so it's it, I, it's kind of odd that they would put a movie out for kind of like um you know boomers and generation x because that's kind of what dr sleep is and it sucks because the movie is spectacular it's fucking great mm-hmm. uh, it, it's such a beautiful love letter to fans of the original shining and the book too i mean this thing does fan service both to the stanley kubrick film and stephen king's book which you know how flanagan was able to figure that out is beyond me um you know mike and i spent almost three hours stroking flanagan's ego uh, during that last episode of fresh cuts because mm-hmm. i'm he's he's quickly becoming my favorite director yeah but yeah i i just feel like with dr sleep it's such a isolated case that you know you're talking about the sequel to one of the greatest horror movies ever made but being that it's so far separated from it is there really still an audience for it or at least one that's willing to spend money on it well i to be honest man i think some of the marketing was a little bit off on it also because i mean let's face it i mean the marketing for this is a little bit hard because you know the shining came out almost 40 years ago Mm -hmm. Um, trying to market that to, you know, these millenniums, these millennials and shit like that. But I mean, maybe it came out a little bit too late after the fact, I don't know, but I, I've gotten the impression from a lot of people that aren't really familiar with, you know, the, the shining and stuff like that, that they did, they had no idea that it was like a sequel to that. They didn't know it was Stephen King related. You know, I think some of the marketing was a little bit off because I actually had somebody ask me that they're like, is that a sequel to the shining uh, and, and like they just didn't know that and i'm like it's okay the title this might be a problem so non-disclosing of of anything to do with the shining unless they already knew that it was a sequel yeah, so i, mean, I, I s- mean i actually i actually praise that on fresh cuts that, that that's how they marketed that because i mean they could have easily just been like you know uh, the sequel to the modern masterpiece of horror from stanley kubrick or blah 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 with the marketing or hell even calling it the shining 2 or the shining return or whatever the hell well, you want to go cases, with in most cases i would agree with you but just the shining being like such a great film i i don't think there's anything wrong with promoting dr sleep as you know this is the sequel to one of the greatest films ever like i mean really I mean, it's not just like it's any uh, any old fucking sequel you know kind of thing it's the shining yeah. man it's i don't understand it, it's why a it great heavily great movie color. and i think it needs to be promoted like that i think it would have got a little people you know more people's attention and stuff i mean but if the you're, thing if is if you're not a stephen king reader you know you would have had no idea like i shame on me again but i picked up dr sleep when it came out and i still haven't fucking read it <laughs> i'm like just so bad with this right now it's and i was so looking forward to reading it. i just yeah whatever i'm not going to get into that but my point is i just i felt like a little bit the you know the marketing was just off you know it was strange 
to me. It's weird too because I mean anybody who listens to our shows knows that you know I don't watch trailers. Um, so I I, I watched Amen, the trailer brother. for Doctor Sleep. <laughs> I watched the trailer for Doctor Sleep after the fact, and he actually says The Shining in the trailer. I mean, he actually says flat out, "I used to call it The Shining." Is that not a big enough clue to anybody watching the trailer? That's what I was a little confused about because ultimately, anybody who you know who I would deem a hardcore fan of the original Shining knows of the existence well, of Doctor Sleep, that, and that, that goes back. These millenniums, man, they're they're fucking. <laughs> Uh, they're apparently not listeners. They, they learn visually. Or they just haven't seen the show. They just kind of see, they're just kind of watching the screen. They're not actually listening to what they're saying. So, I mean, if it wasn't visually <laughs> put on there, I mean, they probably didn't hear that it was, you know, from or Stephen sure, King sure. or even. But, I mean, yeah, no, and Mike just said that, you know, um, maybe they've never seen The Shining. I mean, if they've never seen The Shining, then they're not the target market for this movie. Yeah, for sure. I don't think this movie can be enjoyed without seeing The Shining. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you'd be just flat out confused, I think, especially the last half hour. I mean, you well, wouldn't you know would. the hell the last half hour you, meant. You would, af- you would after you're in your seat watching it. But I mean, as far as they know, like if it, you know, a TV commercial for it comes on, it's just like, oh, it's a new horror movie coming out and then the confusion would set in as they're actually watching it but going into it i don't i don't know if that would factor in if they just saw a movie preview for it and we're like oh that looks interesting let's go and then as of course as story elements are unfolding they might feel like hey it feels like i'm supposed to know Uh something about this danny character already But hey, I mean, still the, the, question one. <laughs> I mean, if they've what? never seen The Shining, then the, the the flashback scenes literally mean nothing to them. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna be taken so out of context that they're just not gonna make sense at all. And even the 1980 scenes that were added to the film, you know, with the new actors, the replacement actors, those scenes aren't really gonna make a whole lot of sense. Like literally, the whole first, aside from that first opening scene with Rose the Hat, the next 15 to 20 minutes of that movie would make zero sense to anyone who hasn't seen The Shining. Yeah, maybe they could piece together that the kid in the flashbacks is Danny, but all the other stuff going on like mm-hmm. that we get, it, it would be like, what the hell is this? A little bit, yeah. And then, like I said, the the whole effect of the end of the movie, I think, would be completely lost on them. I mean, I, I would imagine anybody who hasn't seen The Shining who went to see Dr. Sleep probably walked away very unhappy. You know what I was mean, interesting? I, the, the, uh-huh. the crowd I saw it with, it felt like there is a certain amount of people that I don't think knew going in that it was a Shining sequel, but as soon as Shining references started getting mentioned, you know when you can kind of – people aren't necessarily talking, but there's that body language or like whispering or like that aha kind of sure. uh, noise people make where almost they kind of realized it like you know, 15, 20 minutes in. And I'm, I'm just sitting there in my seat like, these fuckers – <laughs> did not know that this is a sequel did they and now they're starting to realize it in real time yeah um when yeah. i went to see it believe it or not when i went to my screening the first screening of it that i went to see on opening night i was one of the youngest people in the theater wow. dead serious like there were a lot there was a lot of white hair in that theater wow um, well, that's which good. was refreshing i mean i loved it because as soon as the warner brothers logo comes up and the music played there was a little bit of an applause from the audience so i i, I guess i just got to see it with the right crowd you mm-hmm. know 
Um, admittedly, when I saw it the second time on Sunday morning, it was a little bit more of a younger audience and the exuberance wasn't there. Like when I saw it the first night, uh, they gave it an ovation at the end of the movie. Whereas when I saw it Sunday with the slightly younger crowd, I, I, I literally thought I heard people saying they didn't like it as they were walking out of the theater. But, you know, to each his own. But yeah, I, I you just had to see it with the right crowd, I guess. Like I said, I, that that first showing was spectacular. Like every time a reference popped up, you know, somebody you'd hear somebody kind of you know make a little squee sound somewhere in the theater. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I know what that is. Ooh, I know that. You know, mm-hmm. it was it, it was definitely uh, probably the perfect crowd to see it with. Yeah, it's good. Experience is a big thing when you're watching films in the, at the cinema, man. I mean, we've all probably had, you know, really great experiences and really bad experiences, man. I just sometimes when you watch some of these like, you know, kind of films that are really marketed towards a younger crowd and then they just sit there and fucking talk the whole time and oh god, yeah. gag me, man. Been through that recently. It's horrible. Uh Mike, oh, answer yeah, your question. That was uh-huh. that somewhere in there that was the second question. I don't think I said second question, but <clears throat> Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> it was somewhere in there. Uh you're gonna say something? Uh, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll move along from that. Uh, third question, simple, um, favorite director, old school and modern. Uh, favorite director, old school, Todd Browning. Oh, wow. I, abs- I absolutely love Freaks. I think Freaks is a fucking masterpiece. He got fucking railroaded, people- man. That guy got fucking railroaded for making Freaks, man. I mean, he never worked again. Exactly. I just, I don't, I don't get it. It's too bad. Um, but obviously, you know, maybe not so much as work on Dracula. Dracula was good, but I mean, when you really watch 1931's Dracula, you see the filmmaking kind of subtle problems throughout it. Um, hell, the Spanish version of the 1931 Dracula is better than the Bela Lugosi one, but obviously (laughs) Bela Lugosi makes that movie. I mean, that is his vehicle more than anything. So I understand why it's so popular, but from a filmmaking standpoint, I mean, objectively, it's not a great movie. Frankenstein is like 10 times the movie Dracula is. 100%. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I I love just about everything that Todd Browning did in the twenties uh, and thirties, mm-hmm. um, and then is modern day. That's easy, John Carpenter. Yeah. Um, say, what about a director that you know post two thousand? Someone that's like rape brand new. Who would you kind of put up there? Two thousands. I mean, I guess the easy answer would be James Wan because I like just about everything he's done. Yeah, yeah. But after after this last week, I'm really leaning on Flanagan. I mean, <sighs> I look back at Flanagan's discography or filmography, excuse me, um, and just it's just like, oh yeah, I saw that. That was great. Oh yeah, I saw that. That was great. I, I, his track record is. I mean, he's almost like Carpenter in the '80s, where he could do no wrong. Yeah. So. Legend, uh, excuse me, Haunting of Hill House last last year was just easily my favorite horror show of the year. I mean, and I, Mike knows I hate binge watching. I can't stand it. Mm-hmm. I I actually found myself binge watching that show. My wife and I, we just couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard nothing but good things about it. I, I've been really wanting to check that out, actually. So, um, <clears throat> Flanagan's a good choice, though, man, because Absentia, man, that movie. Yes. Uh, when did it come out a bunch of years ago man it was like 2012 or something like that or 11 or 12 and i saw it relatively around that time and i dubbed that as being one of the first movies in a long time to really fucking creep me out man 
I would I don't know if it was the time I watched it. It was like late at night and shit, but I kept kind of like looking over my shoulder. It was fucking weird, man. I give him mad kudos for that because that shit doesn't happen very often where you're getting legitimately creeped out and shit, but yeah, he's, since, he yeah. He has a way of uh, inducing fear in the viewers that has very little to do with jump scares. I mean, he yeah. yes, admittedly there are jump scares, especially in his Ouija sequel um, or Ouija, as uh, you know, some folks like to say. Um, he uh, there's some jump scares in there, but for the most part, he's fairly jump scare free. Um, I, I don't even remember. I think there might have been one in Doctor Sleep in a two and a half hour movie. So yeah, he definitely he's got a way of getting under you know viewer skin without making it at nearly as visceral as some directors need to make it to get pe- under people's skin that effectively. So I mean that that's why I called him an auteur earlier because I mean his his track record and just the fact that I can watch his movies no matter how many times I've seen him and still get that little cringy feeling down the you know down the base of my spine where it's like I'm not scared but he's still creeping me out so you know you got to give kudos to that yeah I mean especially with a lot of the mainstream directors and you know and just in general man i mean jump scares are so prevalent in those type of movies but yeah mad kudos for him tr- for trying something different but he does have a good track record man oculus was good hush i loved i absolutely yeah. loved hush i thought hush was great i haven't seen before i wake i kind of oh, love mi- that i, I kind of miss that one f- for whatever reasons but i did check out ouija um the his sequel origin of evil and mm-hmm. i really liked it man i thought it was so much better than the first one like just such a better movie it was crazy kind of blew me away and uh, Gerald's game I really enjoyed too um, yep so but uh, absolutely yeah. yeah this really good stuff yeah I agree man really good <laughs> Flanagan what about you Mike for directors um where you said new post 2000 yeah like a brand new one like who's, yeah, who, who's the uh, guy that you're always looking for you know what's funny is like if you asked me five, six years ago, I would have said Ty West because he got off to such a good start. Yeah, we've talked about that and on the he... show too, man. Like how Ty West completely started out great. You know, House of the <laughs> Devil and shit like that. And I even, you know, a lot of people kind of shit on the innkeepers and stuff. But no, I, I love the innkeepers. Oh, I, I love, love innkeepers. the innkeepers too, man. I, I don't I understand why so many people spot. were lukewarm on it. I have I, such a I soft spot it. for hotel settings, but that movie just kind of does it. It's got this really kind of slow but perfect pacing to it because that's just kind of what it is and i don't know mm-hmm. i really dig that shit man i didn't see his western but he it seems like that i think that thing bombed so bad and was so critically a failure that like he, it's like he got banished from making films or so. he hasn't done anything <laughs> since man didn't he do the sacrament was he sacrament he did yeah, the sacrament, sacrament. Yeah. yeah which was which um, i loved i thought yep, that was great. same <laughs> yeah i thought that was a great take on the whole fucking uh kool-aid shit Jonestown. So. absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, probably, I mean, he would have been one of them. God, I, it's like, I want, I don't want to fall in the trap of saying, obviously the, the, the really new, new three, because they've only all three done two, which is Peel, Eggers and Aster. Um, Flanagan, I mean, Flanagan's another one that's up there because he, he probably has a, a, well, he does have a bigger resume than those three at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, he hasn't really gone wrong for me at all. So, I mean, I, I guess based on volume and quality, Flanagan might have the title currently. Um, as far as, like, if we're talking... I mean, we're talking strictly horror just overall. Because Kubrick would be... Kubrick's just, like, my favorite 
all probably overall Kubrick is my favorite. Some people would say modern because of the era or you know old school, depending on what years you count. Just because I think Kubrick's one of those directors where he just puts out such good quality, no matter what genre or subgenre he's doing. Just it's like he's almost incapable of not doing something great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I really like William Castle. I, <laughs> I I get a kick out of all his movies. It's like the you know he's like the kind of like lower budget version of Hitchcock. You know he you, a lot of people say he's a kind of a riff on Hitchcock, which I understand. Well, but his would, movies are just fun. You he know? he kind of was though in a sense because William oh, Castle yeah, was so it, damn it's good not an at inaccurate statement. He, but he I, was so good at fucking marketing his shit with these insane like ploys and and just all these type of like gimmicks and shit man he was great with that and he wasn't afraid to show his face like uh hitchcock also man but Mm -hmm. he's like he's like the better version of roger corman in a sense yeah (laughs) made low budget films what's the because i believe i did the castle movies on here we did three of them well i i forgot which one it was but there's one that kind of has a similar twist to psycho and I actually think the twist itself was more masked in that movie than it was. Because I remember seeing Psycho for the first time. I think I was, you know, maybe junior high or early high school age. And great, great movie. But maybe because, you know, we're from this newer era, I it wasn't hard for me to figure out where the movie was going. Whereas in the William Castle kind of riff on Psycho, I thought it was kind of hidden a little better um, not not the the movie itself wasn't better than Psycho, but I just thought the twist was like better executed. But mm. you know, that's someone that was a teenager in the '90s as opposed to the '60s, so a little a little different. But I'm I mean, if if we can count Kubrick, it's gonna be Kubrick for me. But since he's not strictly horror, I, I you know maybe William Castle. Yeah, there's there's so many, man. I like Jeremy Solner, man. I think that guy's got mm-hmm. yeah. definitely a lot of talent, man. What from what he's done, he hasn't, you know, he doesn't have the biggest uh, filmography, but I think from what he's done so far is really solid, man. Guys, yeah, I mean, Carpenter Carpenter's another obvious answer for me. I I like pretty much Carpenter's work because he's kind of in that era where it's like he's not quite old old school, but he's also not new new, so he's in that that middle but carpenter to me obvious i mean just his directing his composing it's he's another one of those guys where it's like everything he touches i i pretty much like everything he's done to a certain level you know yeah there's there's only one or two carpenter films i don't really ever go back to but he's definitely one of my favorites too man like of all time but you know for like newer directors man i love joe how do you, I don't, i'm not even 100 sure on how you pronounce his name but joe big ghosts I think that's how you say his name. I'm not really 100% sure on it. Um, he directed The Mind's Eye and Bliss and um, like Almost Human and stuff. Again, small filmography, but so far, man, like his three you know major films that he's done have been... I love The Mind's Eye. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's kind of like it's kind of like an updated Scanners in a sense, right? Yeah, it's almost like a spiritual successor without officially being so, but you, it feels like it could take place in the scanners world, which was, uh, which I thought was cool for sure, man. And I, the thing I like about this guy though, man, and that's always been a kind of a problem with a lot of directors is that they kind of stick in that comfort zone, you know, a little bit. And I feel like this guy right here is trying different shit with almost human. It was like this fucking alien abduction shit. It was kind of crazy and stuff like alien takeover type shit. And then we got mind's eye, which is dealing with, you know, like kind of the scanner shit and then bliss, which I won't talk about, but it's completely different too. Um, 
but just yeah i i really like that kind of resume where it's kind of bouncing back and forth and shit but yeah so <laughs> um and also actually man uh julian murray and alexander Bustulo, i love i wish they just keep making movies man they did of course um you know livid and uh inside mm-hmm. uh, among the living and shit and of course leatherface and shit but uh, mm-hmm. If you guys like Leatherface, I personally loved it, but you know, it's just oh, like, you know ah! another one, another one. I, I forgot uh, the Martyrs director, because oh know. yeah, yeah, um, French. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> right now. Slipping my mind. It's, it's like Pas- Is it Pascal something? But but yeah, yeah, Pas- yeah it, it is Pascal. Something. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, Venom. Quick little one. Mm-hmm. Wes Craven or Carpenter. Since my oh, brother Carp- Carpenter, okay, yeah, I'm a Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Carpenter guy all the way. I, I I honestly think that Wes Craven, you know, for how much, you know, for how well he's done in the horror genre and stuff, and he's done, he's had moments of like greatness and stuff. But man, sure. Craven versus Carpenter, it, I'm not even talking like personal favorites here. Like if you were to compare them, there's no comparison. Carpenter is the better director, hands down. He's done I mean, so many yeah, better movies. The man literally had a decade where he didn't make a bad movie. Not a lot of directors can say that. I, I will give Wes Craven credit, though, because, I mean, oh, his early stuff, I mean, just how it gets under your skin. And we'll be, obviously, we're going to be talking about one of his movies a little bit later on when we talk about one of our Italian films. Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons. But just obviously hills have eyes last house on the left i mean two movies that still i find difficult to watch and you know when you can when you can make a movie that a 40 plus year old or or 40 plus year veteran of horror films still has trouble watching you've done something right and yeah those two films both are just i uh, once again i mean even though the community talks about them very highly I, i still feel like they're both critically underrated you know as Mm -hmm. far as just how um you know the professional critics look at it obviously most of the people in our community you know they're on one side of the fence or the other with those two movies they either love them or they just don't um but yeah Yeah. those two movies i mean because carpenter i I love carpenter's streak of just quality films but carpenter's never really made me cringe that i can think of wes craven has an ability to make me cringe that uh, yeah, that Carpenter just never had. They did. They definitely were making different types of films, though. Like, it's kind of interesting sure. where Carpenter's or not Carpenter Craven's career went. You know, like he started. You know, Last House on the Left, Left is so gritty and cultish, and just you know by mm-hmm. by the standard, you know, critics and shit. That's really just kind of a mess of a movie kind of thing, right? And then you got <laughs> like you know The Hills Have Eyes and shit. But then like he really like the thing I will give Craven for is creating a couple game changers, man. Like Nightmare on Elm Street. And Scream sure. are game changers. I mean, Carpenter didn't really... Besides, I mean, is the thing really a game changer? I don't know. It's a great movie, you know, and probably, it, in, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I think it's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. But as mm-hmm. a game changer, I don't know. But, you know, Craven has that on his resume that you can't ever take away from him. But in my opinion, he had a lot more misses and he had hits compared to Carpenter. You know, if Carpenter hadn't run into so many problems with, you know, getting movies made and shit like that, I mean, it's essentially the reason that ran him out of the industry because he just had so many fucking problems making movies and he just had enough of it. I don't blame him. Mm. You know, he's a great musician. Why not go out and tour and make money that way and be happy and kind of shit, right? But... You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Craven, you know, expanded his career right up until the time he died. And, you know, he had his hit and misses and stuff. But, you know, I, Carpenter overall, man, you know, just for me personally, yeah. you, can't, you can't beat that shit, man. 
but exactly yeah so personalized but uh you did say <laughs> earlier so we'll move on to question four you said earlier that you were a physical media guy um yes. so what are your thoughts on like the physical media versus streaming do you think that streaming like with all these new streaming sites popping up and shit like i mean of course disney just launched theirs and they have like 10 million subscribers in one day like that shit's <laughs> fucking incredible i know that's not relative to horror but that's still incredible that, I mean, that just blows my fucking mind. I mean, not really. It is Disney, but holy shit, dude, like 10 million people in one day and growing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, you know, all these new streaming sites, of course, with Netflix and we got Shudder and, you know, like, you know, Tubi and like all these kind of free things and stuff that are legal to watch movies online. Do you think it's just killing physical media or do you think physical media with these niche companies and stuff is still going to survive through this? Because, I mean, we got 4K. I mean, 4K comes out. I didn't think it was personally going to do great. It seems to be selling enough that they they keep pumping out the 4Ks, which is a good sign yep. for physical media. I mean, you. I mean, it's, I haven't I haven't got into the 4K yet, but at this moment, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm happy for it doing good because I don't want physical media to go away. But as more and more streaming sites come up and the prices of them, they're so cheap and shit like that. And it's fucking worries the shit on me, man. It really does worry me. I don't think physical media is going anywhere anytime soon. I think they'll, even if it only comes down to collectors, I think even the collector market will still keep it alive in some way, shape, or form. I agree. Um, I'm, you know, being, I, I'm a, admittedly, I am a very old man. So I am very <laughs> set in my ways. And with me, it's always the fear of my internet going down. It's like if I'm in the middle of watching some, crazy intense horror movie on netflix or hulu or wherever and my internet goes down which you know not to say that that happens frequently it doesn't i'm in los angeles for god's sakes but it does happen we have wildfires we lose power periodically yeah um obviously if you lose power you're fucked anyway but i mean we will lose internet periodically and or it'll just slow down to the point where i can't get anything to actually display in hd um, as long as those problems exist, I personally will always go to physical media. Um, I don't buy as much as I used to, admittedly. And the, the DVD days were probably my heyday of buying, you know, stuff because I'd be buying like literally four to six movies every single week, every single paycheck. Yeah, yeah. I'd run out to the video store or run out to Blockbuster and see what they had used or blah blah blah. Um, I definitely am a little bit more picky with my physical media dollars right now. Um, I do tend to lean towards a 4K. I upgraded a couple of years ago, got my nice big TV, got my mm-hmm. multiple consoles that do 4K. So, you know, if, if something that I love is on 4K, I will always get the physical media. And yeah. to the point, I mean, uh, uh, until the internet is infallible to the point where everything is in 4K and I can see it literally any time of day even even if my internet slows down because that that's still kind of a you know it happens a lot here where the internet will actually slow down especially in the afternoons like once kids and adults are actually getting home from school and work you can see the internet here drop drastically to the point where i like i said i can't get anything to play in hd so you know like i said uh for me personally physical media isn't going anywhere but you know i'm not exactly long for this world either right now uh, it'd, it'd probably be a good question to ask you know somebody in their 20s yeah i mean of course right there's there, there's <laughs> definitely going to be different views on that and stuff i mean someone in their 20 i mean every 20 year old i mean for fuck's sakes they probably don't even know what a vhs or a dvd is yeah <clears throat> maybe blu-rays maybe 4ks i don't know but 
yeah, it's it's like a different different mentality with people, but you yeah. know, it, it's crazy. Like I'll have people come over, even you know, around my age and shit, and the, they'll see the collection. And they're like, "Why do you buy movies?" Like it's sometimes I get that reaction. It's like, "Why do you buy movies?" And I'm like, "Why not?" Yeah, exactly. right. Like how, like, how do you fucking answer that shit? But I I'm very grateful for that too because <laughs> I I think about that too. It's like shit, dude. You know, if all these streaming sites go down and shit, you know what? It doesn't fucking matter to me. I never have to worry about that shit. Because I have everything that I need sitting up in this room. Exactly. You know, hey, kind of the way I always react to that question when people ask, why do you still buy physical media? My first response is, why do you still buy snacks? You don't need snacks to live. You need water and basic nutrition. You're buying a snack because mm-hmm. it's a treat. It's something that you enjoy. If if my treats are 4K Blu-rays, then what's the problem? It's my money. I know. <laughs> right? It's <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, I used to spend a lot of money on tattoos, and that's definitely slowed down over the last de- decade or so. And a yeah. lot of that money has been going to physical media, and you know, I, I have no complaints whatsoever. Uh, you know, if, if even if my power does go down, my laptop will hold you know a charge for like a good three to four hours, so I can still watch physical media on there. Mm-hmm. So you know, even if the worst case scenario happens, if I got my favorite movies on disc in my house then I'm always covered, you know? But I mean, I I understand the appeal of instant gratification with these streaming services. I definitely do. I I use them myself. In fact, I think I'm, I'm subscribed to every major service. I mean, yeah, I'm one of the 10 million idiots that got Disney plus on the first day, plus having Hulu and Netflix and Amazon prime and pretty much any of the ones that you could think of. Plus I even get a couple of free ones from direct TV, direct TV. I work for direct TV for anybody who doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And, um, they hook me up with like uh, an Apple TV and like a bunch of different subscription apps that I would normally have to pay for. They give me, you know, quote unquote test account access. But of course, I'm using it at home for enjoyment more than anything. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I understand the appeal in a perfect world where the Internet never, ever goes down and you never, ever lose power. Then, you know, yeah, maybe I would see myself buying less physical media. But for right now. Um, as long as the fear of either losing power or my internet slowing down, either cutting out completely or slowing down drastically, I'm going to keep buying physical media. And mm-hmm. on top of the fact that I'm, man, some of the packaging of some of these special editions that come out are just so hard to resist, especially if it's like a favorite, all time favorite movie of oh, yours. Like, absolutely. You know, um, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like the original Christine recently came out on a 4K Steelbook uh, yep. limited edition. I I jumped on that because you know that again it's Carpenter. You know uh, Christine is a top five Carpenter film for me, mm-hmm. and you know I can I can get it in 4K in this beautiful almost indestructible Steelbook case. So it's like that's another thing too. I have a lot of Steelbooks because um, I've lost a lot of DVDs to you know damage um uh, water damage from you know keeping them like in the basement or earthquake damage from them you know falling off the shelves and cases cracking and everything else so it's like <laughs> if i can get a steel book and i know it's going to last me longer I, I take it every time yeah um yeah man i i don't know man i that's like the one thing in my collection that i don't really collect a lot of is steel books i don't know why i've never been overly drawn to them it's yeah it's kind of weird i mean you know i i tend to lean more towards like the vinegar syndrome arrow arrow stuff as well yeah but 
when it's not available in like a really nice special edition with a new 4K restoration, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take my Steelbook, especially because they're, I mean, Steelbooks aren't usually that much more expensive either. I mean, 4K Steelbooks are only a couple of bucks more than the 4K Blu-ray right now. So, yeah, you know, what's the, what's the big deal? If it's going to protect my 4K disc for longer, I'll take it. <laughs> um, let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. If you... <laughs> that... That's what the segment is. <laughs> exactly. Let me ask you something well, in addition. Just kind of playing off that, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm subscribed to, I mean, obviously I was subscribed to Netflix, I think right from the start and stuff. Cause I was like, well, that's kind of a cool idea. Um, but one of the major reasons why I am subscribed to like shutter and, you know, the majority of the streaming sites is because I podcast and I watch a lot of movies for, you know, prep for year end. And obviously that's a way of getting movies, you know, where I can see movies to do the show and stuff. It's pretty easy. Um, if you weren't a podcaster, you know, if you're just watching movies strictly for pure enjoyment and things like that, would you be subscribed to all these streaming sites? Probably not as many, yeah. but yeah. I would, I would definitely have Hulu cause they, they have television as well. So uh-huh. I would cover all my new television shows, um, that I w- would be losing from cable. Cause I don't, I recently canceled my cable subscription cause it just, it's too expensive and you can really see almost literally even live sports, almost anything you can get on cable, you can find an app for it somewhere. So yeah. at this point, yeah, I just, uh, I finally cut the cord for the first time in my life. So it's weird, but I, I haven't really noticed. It's only been you know a couple of weeks, so I really it really hasn't uh, bothered me too much yet. Um, but yeah, I just uh, uh, fuck. I forgot my train of thought. <laughs> what the hell did you ask me? <laughs> oh, whether you'd have, whether you subscribed to all those streamers? Oh, oh yeah, uh, definitely not. I mean, I I don't. I I gotta say, I probably wouldn't have Shutter. Um, because if I weren't podcasting as much as I love horror, it's easily my favorite genre. Um, I, I don't know that I could justify the cost. I mean, even though it's only like five bucks of just another service that's going to have this, you know, niche, um, sub genre of films. Um, obviously as a podcaster. Yeah. I mean, when I first started podcasting, I had like, um, what was that other one? Um, Damn it, the shitty shutter. Because I had that one first. Uh, Screenbox, I think, was the name of it. Yeah, something I, like that. Screenbox. Yeah, I don't something. even know that one. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was actually cheaper than Shutter. They both came out right around the same time, and when I actually got it, I realized why it's cheaper than Shutter because their their library was nothing compared to Shutter. I mean, they had next to nothing good. Um, a lot of like indie, low budget shit, you know. Whereas Shutter was concentrating more. Um, you know, the more classic stuff and then even original stuff where Screenbox wasn't doing anything original. It was it was all just licensed shit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, t- to answer the question, I would still have some streaming services, but I definitely wouldn't have all of them like I do now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Shudder to me, I only have Shudder just for the exclusives because I think like pretty much every movie that's even on Shudder, I own a physical copy for. Like, literally, it's crazy. But I do enjoy it for the, you know, for the uh, exclusive material and shit like that. So it's okay. Yeah. Plus, it's, I mean, it's really cheap, dude. What is it, like five bucks a month or something? Yeah, it's nothing. It's I, I, I pay for it for the whole year. I think I get it for like four bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So cheap. Okay. So last question. We do this for everybody. Argento or Falchi? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I think you're the first yeah. one that didn't snap answer that in like a long time, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the reason I the reason I kind of hesitate is because 
from top to bottom, as far as like spanning their entire career, mm-hmm. I'm probably more a Fulci. Um, I'm definitely yeah. way more into Italian zombies and um, you know stuff like that as opposed to the Giallos. But Suspiria is in my top ten all time, mm-hmm. so it's kind of weird. Whereas Fulci, I don't even I don't think there's a Fulci in my top twenty five. But like I said, from top to bottom over the span of their entire career, I'm definitely more a Fulci. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I think I have three in my top ten from Fulci of all time. Oh. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my my top fifty because we did what was it episode one fifty? We did our top fifty personal favorite films. And I think actually out of my top 50, I think there was like 15 or 17 Italian films in there. It's crazy. But yeah, Fulci is my all-time favorite director. But um, yeah, it's cool, man. Um, I gave the right answer then. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. I mean, more. I mean, most people pick Argento. I mean, Jeremy fucking, you know, everyone's mostly on Argento. Sure. Actually, Dave wasn't though. Dave was Fulci. And I, I, I kind of figured that. So, but uh, what's your favorite country for hard films? Uh, ooh. Yeah, you know what? I got to stick with the good old USA, man. Um, most of my favorite films, most of the stuff in my top 25 is going to be American. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I, I, I would probably say Italy next, Japan third, Spain. Well, Spain slash Mexico, mm-hmm. even though I know they're not remotely the same country. Spanish I've already had this discussion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. let's, yeah, let's go with Spanish language films. I'll, I'll go with that. Because yeah. especially over the last decade, um, Spanish language films from South America have been just spectacular. Uh, um, Uruguay and um, uh, what else? Even Peru. There have been a couple of Peruvian horror films that blew me away. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would say USA, Italy. Spanish countries. <laughs> Interesting. When you when you think of you, like, do you lump Canada into that? Because I know sometimes, like, um, I know JP kind of thinks of them as being one too. It's like I right, don't right. because I, mean, I am Canadian, but you know, I don't. The thing is, like, half the time I don't even know when I'm watching a Canadian movie. Yeah. Um. Like, like if if it's not actually set in Canada, and you know. Um, they're not using like local euphemisms then I probably won't even notice un- until someone points it out to me or I end up doing research on it for a podcast. Um, until you quick click on Wolf Cop and it has like every <laughs> Canadian stereotype of fucking imaginable in those two. It's which so I, funny. Which is done on purpose, obviously. Love. <laughs> the second love movie had me in stitches, dude. The, the, the exactly. fucking storyline. The brewery in, in the hockey arena. <laughs> I'm like, what the oh, fuck? So it's good. so Canadian, man. It's ridiculous. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I do understand where you're coming from, man. I mean, I mean to yeah. be honest, most Canadian films aren't like that, though. They're not like the stereotypical, like, a boot and whatever the exactly. fuck those East Coasters yeah. say. Like... You know, it, it's usually not like that. I mean, especially the, the, the early ones and stuff. I mean, you can kind of hear the accents because uh, in some of the earlier films that were filmed in the East Coast, like, you know, My Bloody Valentine and stuff like that. Okay. But, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah. So, good old US so of A. Guess- so, you just made uh, JP a very happy man because he's without it. That guy's so American, man. <laughs> Everything is about US. Well, that's the I'm- thing, too, is I'm not, I'm not Mr. America by any stretch. Yeah, I yeah, mean- for sure. Yeah. You know, I'm very proud of being a Spaniard. You know, I, I talk about it constantly, yep. at least in real life, maybe not so much on podcasts, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, every four years for the World Cup, forget it. I, I practically speak Spanish all day, every day. Yeah. Um, it just it. Uh, yeah, I am very, very proud of my heritage. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, when it comes to cinema, I mean, American cinema is what I know. It's what I grew up with. Yep. You know, it's what I've it's 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 the country that's most dominated my movie viewing, you know, my entire life. So and, you know, when I look at my top 10, like I said, Suspiria may be the only foreign film in my top 10, you know, so hmm. I, I got to solidly go with USA. Interesting. That's cool. Mm. Cool stuff. All right. Well, that's uh, that is going to do it for five questions with venom let's move it along all right so moving along here and since jp is not on the show tonight um and he left me responsible for doing the news i said fuck that shit because i don't want to do the news because i don't want to have to gather it up (laughs) so uh no that's jp's thing so we're just gonna move it along and uh Obviously, Jeremy's on here to do dead mail and stuff, so we're just going to move it along into a knowledge segment. The words I bring to you today is knowledge I just wanted to talk about um, Mike. You can actually join in the conversation now. The fuck up. Nice. Is that good? Yeah, you happy about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm excited. That's good. Um, well, <laughs> since you know, since we've been podcasting, you know, for a long time, Mike. When did you start podcasting? Uh, going back to the first show, probably, uh, what, 2008, I think. 2008. So you've been podcasting a long time. So 11 mm-hmm. years going on 12 years and Venom, what about you? Oh, uh, only three. I'm still a newbie. Wow. You've only been doing it for three years. Okay. So I started in 2012. Um, so podcasting, you know, I guess is, you know, it kind of started out, I would say probably in the early 2000s kind of thing, really caught on, I believe, in the later 2000s. And now it's just like ridiculous, right? I mean, everybody knows podcasting and stuff. Uh, what What is your guys' thoughts on the state of podcasting itself? I mean, is it good for, you know, is it helping out the industry? Is it, you know, kind of working against it? Do you think it's being watered down by so many shows and stuff? The reason why I ask this, because... This is happening in the last two years. I've been at HorrorCon in Calgary. Um, you know, I have people there that, you know, will come up to me because they recognize me from either the podcast or my videos and stuff like that. And we'll just we'll just kind of talk and whatnot and stuff like that. And and then you get these other people where I'll talk to and, you know, they'll be like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, you know, I podcast. And I'm like, oh, you kind of get that. You kind of get that low key answer. You know the answer you're not really looking for. You know they're not really overly excited. And then I'm, I'm like, you know, I started this show and this show called Twenty Two Shots of Music and Horror in 2012, and they're like, oh, and then their whole reaction kind of changes, right? They're like, oh, you've been podcasting for a long time. You're you're kind of old school. You know, really uh-huh. like using the term old school kind of thing. Uh, but my point being is that. I think a lot of people when they hear the term podcast are just like, oh yeah, everybody podcast kind of roll their eyes and kind of move on and stuff. Um, well, don't, don't you think it's funny how it switched? Because like there was that period like what, 10 years ago when you said I, I podcast and no one knew what the hell you were talking about. For sure. hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, and I won't, I won't even lie. I won't even lie. When I started podcasting on this show in 2012, I had personally never listened to a podcast ever, even before I recorded my first episode. I just knew it was like talk radio. And I'd previously had done radio for eight years prior to that. Like I had actually just stopped the year before I started podcasting. So I was quite familiar with talking to a microphone in a room all by myself. Right. Except for that, <laughs> except for that radio was me playing music and the music I wanted to play, which was fantastic. Yeah. I'd never fucking give up those years for anything. It was the best radio ever. Um, but, uh, yeah, man. So I'd never actually podcasted until I'd done this. 
and it was very kind of green to me and you know like in that sense of like talking movies and having this type of format and stuff but you know i i think it was even back then it was like oh yeah don't podcast it seemed like everyone was really really excited for it and stuff and I just I get the impression now that everybody just seems like everybody podcasts like, you know, everybody has, you know, 400 podcasts and things like that. And it's just there's so much material out there. And that's one thing that I, I started to ask people when I was talking to them at the horror cons. And I'm like, so what exactly is the issue with podcasts? And like, honestly, there's way too many shows like I can't find, you know, for every good show, there's like 20 bad ones or there's always something on a show I can't get into. I'll just move on to the next one. It's it's that whole kind of attention span thing, though, too. Right. It's it's like it's with everything yeah. these days right people just they can move on to the next thing because it's there you know it's like music yeah people don't listen to albums anymore i mean you know except for like old school people like me and probably you guys too but you know it's like they don't like a song they move on it's single 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 it's like that with podcasting and, and literally people were kind of like oh yeah podcast you know whatever and stuff like that and i'm like is it really got to that point is this thing gonna last longer or are people really just gonna stray away from listening to him because there's so much availability of it and just not enough great material out there i don't know i mean i think I, it's all encompassing i mean it's a huge thing i mean because there's still podcasts that i'll discover for the first time and they're well established with their own like i'll find out they just have tons of listeners and i'm like damn really like they'll be like you know 50 60 episodes in and i'm hearing about them for the first time and they you know they might be good they might be bad but also i think people have limited amount of times that they can listen to them yeah you know i primarily listen to them at work but then even that fluctuates because my specific position at my job there'll be time periods where i'm straight up in my desk the whole shift but then other times i'll be getting up moving through buildings so even at work how much I can listen to them. Um, like for me personally, I used to be someone who, no matter how long a show was, I hit play, start to finish, listen to the whole thing for shows I liked, of course. Yeah, of course. But now, now even with shows I like, I like I'll especially get like people who timestamp stuff and kind of list out the itinerary of like what time everything is in the show. There's times when like I'll listen to just specific segments because I want to hear their show, but either I haven't seen the movies or I, you know, maybe I don't care about hearing movie reviews that day. I just want to hear guys bullshit for like an hour. You know, I do that. We do that on this show for, you know, to respect people's time, though, too. I mean, not everybody wants to listen to an hour and a half with Venom. Or they just want to get to the reviews, and they and I, I understand that you Wait, know people don't want to, want to listen to okay. an hour and a half. Of that. Well, no, I mean I, I'm just saying because a lot of times Are you saying I should kick them off my show because they don't want to hear them. You know, I, I bet you there's a lot of our listeners that don't listen to the intro that much because I do the show notes and I actually tell you what's in the intro too, right? Um, yeah. You know, we've had people a lot of times they they, they tune in for you know just the intro and you know other things that we do in the beginning of the show, and if they if they like the movie they won't you know maybe they'll check out the review or something like that it, it's weird people tune in for different things it's totally bizarre we have i've had people message me and say they tune in just for the what we watch segment not the main reviews yeah so, i mean i'm fine with that you know i don't care that you're not you know listening to sometimes we go on tangents we start talking about football and people hate when they talk about when we talk about sports or something like that on a, on a horror show and i respect that you know it's not a big deal to me that's why the show notes are there so if you want to listen to 20 minutes hey man you at least clicked on it that's fine with me Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes with me too, it's like the the reason I tend to flock to like the conversation segments more is 
because most of the time everything that's being talked about not just on your show but just shows in general it tends to be topical like current event stuff like not necessarily news but just it's kind of stuff that's happening now it's stuff that i haven't heard i mean you know because I'm guilty of the same thing. On my first, our me and Venom, our first episode of No More Roman Hell, we covered the Romero trilogy. Well, by the time we did that, how many other shows had already talked about it? I don't think we were necessarily bringing anything brand new to the discussion, other than our specific opinions of it. But like, if someone saw, hey, they're talking about Dawn of the Dead. Wow. Well, we've heard. You know, I mean. So there, there is that aspect. That's also mm-hmm. another reason. Kind of, I thought with fresh cuts, it would be a good change up because since everything's brand new, it's not going to be things people have heard fifty other places a hundred times, you know, already. So yeah, yeah. maybe it keeps things topical and current and cool. But I mean, I, I just think it's the same thing with podcasts. It's the same thing with just content in general. It's just content overload overload. Uh, it's just, there's so much out there. You're never going to be able to get, you know, we're pro- for everything we watch and listen to and all that. We're, we're probably consuming like barely 1% of like what's available. It's just, yeah. it's just a crazy amount. And especially the older we get, you know, I got kids, you have a child that I'm childless, but he, you know, he does have a life outside of, <laughs> watching movies and listening to podcasts so our time is going to be limited so well i feel like i feel like i don't even know if i'm answering the question anymore it doesn't no yeah we're just conversating man but you know it's interesting because you know i think that you're right though like you know the horror genre podcast and stuff is a very small portion of you know the people out there you know i mean we have our fan bases for these shows and i think it works for that and stuff but for the casual listeners and stuff that you know they'll listen to this they'll do that kind of stuff and I, I feel like they're just kind of they're losing interest a little bit because of the just the oversaturation of just so much content. They just can't find anything that's good. Maybe they're clicking on too many that they're not, um, you know, liking and stuff, and they're just giving up kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm just wondering if that's kind of hurting it because from what I was gathering from a lot of people, they're just like, yeah, you know, I used to love listening to podcasts, but it's like my favorite podcast from five years ago. They don't podcast anymore. And I just can't find anything I listen to, or that's decent anymore. And I'm like, really? You know, I'm like, this is so crazy. I mean, I can only speak for myself on this, but usually for me, one of the big things when I'm hearing podcasts that separate the ones that like I'm an every episode listener to is there has to be some type of connection or dynamic between the hosts. They don't, I, you know, I've listened to somewhere that, you know, they all know each other outside of podcasting or they're all, you know, physically podcasting in the same room. They're same city, all that. I've listened to ones like all of us where we're just all Skyping in together, but there's it feels like there's some type of uh uh what the hell chemistry there we go between like the host uh and it you really as for me as a listener i don't have to feel like they're best everyone's best friends or anything but they're you know every it's like everyone has their role you know like when i listen to this show 22 shots like jeremy is who he is but i think he's like a funny contrast to like you and JP, like you're all kind of distinct personalities, different from each other. I, I'd like the dynamics of the hosts um, when I listen to shows, um, but you know, it, it's it's a the obvious answer is kind of what you and I have already said. It's just content overload. It's impossible, and I think 
almost overnight, people went from not knowing what the hell podcasts were to like, okay, now I know what they are, and there's so damn many. Like all, all like I ask people at work, um, about do they listen to podcasts, and a lot of them don't. Like they'll listen to like, I mean, there's so much available online too now. Like mm-hmm. there's shows on YouTube, like literal like TV shows. There's streaming. There's, I remember when I started podcasting. Um, and you know, people that even predate me back then, it wasn't as easy to just go online and just find pretty much whatever the hell you wanted. I think YouTube really changed the internet in a lot of ways because it opened up the door for so much other content other than just audio. And then after, you know, then Netflix came along. I don't know, maybe Netflix, did Netflix streaming predate you i don't know it's kind of blurry in that era because everything started exploding but like i'll walk by at work some of my coworkers, and they just straight up have like vice news on like you can it, it just feels like podcasts it's almost like the way the radio kind of became obsolete yeah, I, I don't yeah. think podcasts will ever become obsolete because i think there's always going to be the market for there's a purpose or, or not a purpose but a use for audio only yeah, i don't think it's ever going to go obsolete either it's the convenience of it man Right. It's a convenience. Audio only is a, a medium that just is very uh, accessible. It's the way it's like, presented no to us, man. You, did, you know, if you have an iPhone, you just you know download the podcast app and then subscribe to your things, and then you just, they they're all of a sudden just there and shit. It's the fucking sheer convenience of it, man. It's crazy, right? Uh-huh. I just can't see it really going anywhere from that. Yeah, radio is not really a thing anymore. I mean, most radio stations are just streaming online, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's or yeah, or it's like almost everything that's captured is uh, re-uploaded to the internet in like clip style to where you're just – like people can just listen to like the greatest hit version of everything on YouTube or somewhere else. Like they don't need to listen to three and four hour things anymore. It's like, oh, I'll listen to the half hour of of the best parts chopped up together because I know like my, my sports radio show that I usually listen when I'm driving to work – they upload the version of that online in video and like all sorts of so it's just like there's so much easier or just so much variety in what people can listen to now using the internet yeah for sure phantom well as far as uh from the podcasting angle like i said i'm still kind of a newbie to it so i'm i'm still kind of just jazzed to be a part of it um Obviously, from the number of shows that I'm on, you can tell I became an addict very quickly. I have the advantageous position of not having kids and having a wife that works nights and weekends. So I have lots of free time, both for movie watching and movie discussions. Um, As far as from the listener side, um, I've probably only been even listening to podcasts probably like maybe six or seven years total. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe just before serial started was probably right around when I started listening to podcasts. And back then it was mostly just comedy. I didn't listen to anything other than stuff that would make me laugh. So, you know, stuff like Mark Mayer and, and Gilbert and stuff like that. Um, those were really the only kind of things I really listened to. But then once I realized that horror podcasting was even a thing, I started, you know, looking into some of the big ones like Shockwaves and Faculty of Horror and stuff like that, Um, you know, which I still listen to periodically. I'm not a religious listener of those. Um, 
but I think, yeah, you guys were talking about just the amount of content on out there. That's definitely going to be a major factor because mm-hmm. even even me with a almost two hour drive to and from work because of, of course I'm in Los Angeles and I have to deal with uh, 405 traffic, which is awful. Um, so my 20 mile drive turns into a you know two hour drive most days. Yeah, I have a lot of time to listen to podcasts, but. Even I don't listen to all the ones that I want to listen to. Like, I mean, I would love to listen to everything on Horophilia, but I just can't, you know, because I, I you know, like Mike, uh, you know, I'll listen to Sports Center on the way to work and then I'll try to find uh, a short podcast, something like Criminal or Lore, something that's about a half hour long or, you know, one of the creepypasta podcasts, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then when I drive home, that's when I'll start listening to like the longer ones, you know, the, the exploding heads, you guys, stuff like that. Um, and it'll usually take me like two days, like two sessions of listening to actually get through one long episode. Um, but yeah, I, I even find myself ending up having to skip podcasts that I actually enjoy because I mean, it, I, I'm constantly getting the message that my iPhone is full. Uh, you know, you're full, you can't download this, you can't download that. And then I end up having to, you know, delete somewhere like 20 to 30 podcasts that I'll never get a chance to listen to yeah, again yeah. because I, I just won't go back to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much new content. Got to stay out. current, man. You got to stay current. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of. Like, I mean, to the uh, day current. <laughs> you know, like last week <laughs> is fucking last week. <laughs> exactly. No, it's true. Yeah. I mean, how many podcasts come out just on our network alone? How many podcasts come out every week? I mean, even if I only listen to Horophilia shows, I would probably still have most of my podcast listening time filled up. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, with the other stuff, you know, with the non-horror stuff that I listen to, you know, sports, MMA, um, comedy, I still listen to a couple of, you know, general movie podcasts, how did this get made, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's just, yeah, I I completely agree with the whole content thing. And then as far as, like, people's reaction to when you say you have a podcast, I get that too. Yeah. Um, but I think, but I also think it's just kind of the cool thing to do right now to scoff at someone who has a podcast. I mean, most of the people that are going to react like that probably don't even listen. You know, they probably look at it as, you know, a pedestrian form of art that really offers nothing new, uh, at least to people like them. So they're going to scoff at it. Yeah. <laughs> and plus I constantly, you know, cause I watch a lot of stand up comedy. I love stand up comedy and yeah, that seems to be one of the more popular jokes over the last couple of years is, you know, the douchebag podcaster. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it always, you know, it hurts me right in my feels when I, when I, when I hear that joke, but it's yeah. like, it's just, it's, it's the common thing going on right now. So I think I think people that don't even know anything about podcasts will just hear that word. And because their favorite comedian made fun of it two weeks ago on Comedy Central or whatever, they scoff at it as well. It's the cool thing to do. It's like, oh, you have a podcast. You're one of those douchebags. Okay. Yeah. You know? It's so – it's you know it could be just not being educated on it it could be the amount of content it could be just the number of hours in a day because mm-hmm. if i didn't you know if i didn't have the drive to work that i have i don't see myself listening to podcasts at home if i'm at home i'm watching a movie i'm playing a video game you know maybe i'm listening to music uh, but i'm rarely and i mean rarely listening to podcasts in my house so it's really all about my drive to and from work um 
I'm a, I'm a software engineer, so I need to be able to hear all day. Um, so unfortunately, I can't really listen to podcasts at work unless it's one of those magical times where I'm not doing, you know, any kind of audio testing or code writing and I can concentrate on just the visual, then I might be able to sneak like maybe an hour of, you know, one of your shows on or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those are probably going to be the two biggest things that I would think of as to why just the image of podcasting seems to be going down is just, you know, like I said, uh, number, uh, the amount of content and just, you know, the uh, society's uh, vision of what a podcast and what a podcaster is. Because, yeah. you know, a lot, of pe- a lot of people hear that word and they think that just we're, we're all pretentious douchebags that think our opinion matters more than the next guy. And it's like, <laughs> no, I just like to talk. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I swear too, man. Like, you can, you can kind of hear the sarcasm in people's voice. I'm like, oh, man, take a, take a card. Oh, you big time, man. You got some cards to hand out? It's like... Motherfucker, man, we're at a horror convention. We're at a con right now. This is what everybody is doing right here. It doesn't matter where you go in this place. They're selling something. This is what the whole fucking point is, man. It's like, like, get out of here, man. It's like, holy shit, man. I I know that dude was fucking joking with me and shit, but he's like, yo, man, check out the show. I'm like, no, you ain't. I'm going to find that card in probably the urinal. Christ. But, but, uh, yeah, man. I, I don't know, man. It's just sometimes the reaction is just like... It's a little bit underwhelming and shit. I, I just, I don't know. I, I guess until you say you've been doing it for a lot of years, like, oh, you didn't get into podcasting like last week, like the rest of the pretentious, pretentious <laughs> assholes. <laughs> That's why I don't tell people, generally, I don't tell people how long I've been doing it. I try to kind of, you know, curtail the subject whenever it comes up. Well, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't directly <laughs> tell people when I they usually ask, like, well, how long have you been doing it? I'm like, well, I started in 2012. I'm like, oh, and then you like the tone changes of the conversation. It's like, oh, it's like they recognize that we got into it at a time before it kind of blew up like five years ago and just, you know, everybody and their grandma, like literally grandmas have podcasts now. They talk about grandma (laughs) shit. It's crazy. Like fucking, you know, sewing and shit. I'm like, this is fucking nuts. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, content is always a good thing, right? It's just, I'm talking specifically the horror genre. Yeah. I think the other thing is like the entry to podcasting is so simple these days. Like you, you with technology just on PCs or laptops themselves, like some people can do it without even buying like a mic or anything else. Like mm-hmm. they just throw on a headset. I think it's very easy to start a podcast, but you know, anytime you Google for them, you'll see so many of them. That's like, they put out a few episodes and then they just disappear. <laughs> Cause it's, I don't know. Maybe they weren't, maybe they thought they were more excited about it until they did it and then it wasn't what they thought or maybe they didn't get out of it what they thought they would but you know there's a ton that come and go so i mean i mean i obviously don't do the same show i did for like eight years so you know times change but yeah it's it's definitely an abundance of stuff out there and uh yeah i i i do think think that's funny though yeah well venom brought up the how it's a kind of a running joke about mm-hmm. how like every random dude uh, man there was something about i can't remember what that article was off a parody site but something about like 
how guy just wants to be someone's friend to save the whole vehicle was on his podcast. It was, it was <laughs> okay. Well, I remember, I mean, I remember 10 years ago, it was bloggers. People were always, you know, if somebody said, oh, read my blog, you know, they'd roll their eyes. Yeah, yeah. Everybody and their mom had a blog, but, yeah. you know, 10 years ago. So, well, yeah. Or, or like, I think message boards, like for me, like before podcasting, so when I first started listening to podcasting, like the big, the biggest ones were, or like yeah, the Smodcast because Kevin Smith had started way back. Uh, that was good. Dinner for Fiends, the Dread Central one, and Corey was pretty big midnight podcast, and there was another one called Horror, etc. But a lot of the times, if I wanted to talk about horror movies and stuff, I'd be on message boards because that's where the communities were to go converse with people, and then. St- once I started actually podcasting, you know, you, you start uh, hooking up with like other podcasters, and it, so I kind of going. I started going to message boards a little bit less because I had another outlet to talk, and to me, it was more fun to have an actual conversation, you know, in real time with people. And uh oh, I think we got a we got a we got a caller here <laughs> coming on live. We got a oh, caller. Shit. I don't know what the fuck this is about. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks for the rim job, Dave. I'll see you next week. Oh, oh, shit. Am I on the air? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We were just talking shit about you, man. No, I'm just joking, man. What's uh, up? What's up? You live from, where are you? In a dungeon? Like a, a fucking sex dungeon or something or what? The fucking creep show suitcase. <laughs> she was sticking her tongue up my butthole. I think it was Jerry's mom. Oh, nice. Man, nice. I was almost hoping it was going to be Jerry Herring calling in because I would. Now, I, now had to sit through, I had to sit through 30, 45 minutes of him bad-mouthing Nightmare on Elm Street on your last episode. And <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I went, I, at the beginning of this episode, I was about to tell you I needed to baptize your show to get that nonsense, <laughs> bad taste out of my mouth. I just let him go. I just let him talk. I'm like, whatever, man. You know? Yeah, and I already knew because I've, I've heard him talk. Yeah, I've heard him talk about it before, so I already knew kind of his general opinions on it. But I'm like, am I going to have to listen to his awful points that he tries to make all over again and you guys just let him go i was like god damn it jeremy how can like, you how can you talk with your tongue what is it in, is it in uh, jerry's mom's asshole right now or what <laughs> yeah yeah you know i was uh her tongue was right on my butthole mm. she, she was... said it tasted familiar and i said yeah it's because jerry pissed in my butthole last week oh, yeah, Jer- oh. jerry and jeremy were going at it for a while and then it feels like jeremy kind of got tired and tapped out or something <laughs> no because all he says that i wasn't gonna get laid and it wasn't funny anymore because he's a fucking bitch <laughs> <laughs> all right i, I just want to like... say jerry's mom stuck her tongue up my butthole and that is it oh yeah and it's my birthday oh yeah happy birthday man that's right it is it isn't all your right. birthday oh no it is tomorrow there happy how, birthday. how big of a disaster is the show without me and jp there uh it's been actually really good yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're already at the main reviews, and the show's only been two and a half hours. Why can't you do that when I'm on? Uh, well, because we have way more segments, man. We didn't do news. Thank God, no news. <laughs> no news. No. Well, you enjoy some films. All right, man. Thanks for calling in. All right, All right back to the sex dungeon. Take care of that <laughs> asshole. Later, Jeremy. Bye. Bye. Five minutes later. All right. Well. Anyways, that was Jeremy. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to say Jerry sucks cock. Okay, don't remove us from the fucking call this time. <laughs> there you go. He didn't even leave. 
<laughs> Actually, he, did he, he came back than... onto the call. I hope he doesn't keep wow. doing that. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be JP at first. Actually, That's what I was figuring. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, I, my concentration is totally lost right now. I have no idea. So, <laughs> no, but seriously, when Herring was go- running down Nightmare on Elm Street, I was like, "Oh fuck, I don't want to hear this." But I, I kept listening just, just as a reminder of how I hate calling people wrong about stuff. But I'm, I'm, I was borderline like ready to just be like, "You're wrong. Your opinion's wrong." But that's the <laughs> fucking opinion. Yeah, I, I actually completely forgot because I think. JP had actually told me a long time ago that Jerry was not a Nightmare fan. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, you know, it happens, whatever. But I wasn't expecting it to get brought up in that aspect of him just bashing his shit out of the whole franchise. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, so I just sat back and I'm like, I'm not going to argue with him because it is what it is, right? It's like it's not even so much that he's not a fan because like, if you want to argue that you like it less than other slashers, that's fine. Make your points, but... To me, just some of his points, like, oh, Heather Langenkamp's a bad actress. Act, I'm like, yeah. no, no, she's not. She played a teenage girl just fine. Or No, I, he his, his, tra- no his fucking greatest one, man. I was actually thinking about this after was, I mean, her mouth being open, that's a huge complaint not to like the movie. That her mouth <laughs> is open the whole movie. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> I mean, it's so minute, man. It has really nothing to do with the, the, asp- you know, the technical aspects of the filmmaking and how creative it is, but... I, don't, I don't tried know. to say he also tried to say like it wasn't like an original idea. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, see, I mean that's something that we could pretty much all disagree with because it pretty much is very original, without mm-hmm. question. Yeah, I can't even remember the rest of the shit he said because I've heard it. I've heard him say it before because he did that on his show, but oh, I was just like, oh, here we go, and it kept going. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I and I'm always I always tell people up front like I I'm admittedly a nightmare franchise apologist for the most part, so I probably take it more not personal, but I take it to heart more because it's like I just want to automatically defend everything about the nightmare franchise. So when I hear him, I'm just like, God damn it, Jay! And I love Herring's a cool dude; he cracks me up, but. Ah, just our difference on the nightmare stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not one of those nightmare fanboys that gets all pissed off when people don't like the franchise. It's like, I, I, I just leave that up to the Halloween fanboys, man. It's like every time you say something negative about any Halloween film, they jump down your throat and they, they want to kill you. I'm like, I find Halloween fanboys are the worst, like the all time worst. You can't say anything negative about any of those movies and they just fucking jump you even try to talk some shit about resurrection like motherfucking no there's some good ass points in that shit oh jesus it's like are you kidding me like you're defending resurrection man like you have to take a step back and look at yourself in the mirror this can't be fucking reality right i just find like it's funny because you have like three different type of franchise fans you know you got the friday people that are you know they're they're willing to accept criticism like they're pretty cool and shit halloween are just no you can't say anything bad i feel like nightmare fans like for the most part are like whatever man but i feel like it's the one that's like there's way less nightmare fans though that you know the, the that franchise being their favorites that's just the way i see i just see more people liking Halloween fran- the Halloween franchise and or the Friday the 13th over Nightmare. I feel like that's the third one in the in the top 3 kind of franchises. Yeah, well, I I think 
I don't. I mean, it's hard to kind of dissect because everyone's different. But I think for what I hear, the the sentiment I get the most about the Nightmare franchise, why a lot of people don't like, is just because the character of Freddy, how he kind of went comedic. He he got so over the top, pop culture iconic that yeah. Because because like even the Friday the Thirteenth, I guess where the movies themselves are less good. Jason, for the most part. Is I mean yes he becomes an indestructible zombie Jason but it's not like he suddenly starts cracking jokes or changes his whole DNA as a character where Freddy he was he was sadistic well because Jason doesn't he, talk either I mean that's yeah but, but yeah. See, that's, Same with that's Myers, the two, that's yeah. the thing I brought up before about these franchises is that you got Michael Myers who is you know supposed to be like this supernatural inhuman thing and just doesn't have a conscience so it doesn't t- so he doesn't talk kind of thing. Um, Jason is whatever the fuck Jason is, man. I mean, is human? Is he not? Like, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> again, but there's no personality besides just standing there, right? But then when you have yeah. a talking character, I think it's just natural for writers and stuff to just kind of elevate it. I mean, can you be, can you be serious for for seven, eight films? Like, I think eventually things are going to turn comedic. I think that's just the way it is. I think if you try to by say if you were still being serious by part five. I think people will be like, man, this shit, they're just taking it way too fucking serious. Right? Like, it's just, yeah, I it's mean, it's, it's part five. Like, movie over and over. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that's just the natural progression of a franchise anyways, where... I, th- I think that's, yeah, that's the traits of a franchise opposed to, like, one or two, which is interesting because I think it was the new, the latest episode of Horrorcast Venom that I was listening to today where this topic, not Nightmare specifically, but it kind of came up with the difference between like Fran- you guys were talking about something about how like people I think it was Mark Nato he brought up like well people start going to see like the killer and he's more of the guy who I don't want to see the killer like succeed I want to see the the oh the right right people and I'm like well yes that but but he was looking at to me his perspective was more once a movie becomes a franchise because it's really more the franchise when people start rooting for the killer to do awesome kills but he, if he looked at it from the perspective of, yeah but if you look at the original installments these characters aren't established yet so like i don't think people went to the original nightmare on elm street rooting for freddy because they didn't know who the fuck freddy was at that time it's probably you know around maybe part four or five and six when it became more of like an event as opposed to a movie that's when they start rooting for the crazy kills and stuff but i don't think the original there would be no unless you're just like a fan of slashers specifically and yes we want to see creative and cool kills but i don't think anyone went to the original movies of these franchises like rooting for the for the killer so yeah. I, I thought I thought his point would have been made better if he's specifically talking about once a horror movie turns into like a long extended franchise. You know, it really depends what you're watching, though. I mean, yeah, because it, it's true. I I've seen first installments of movie, and you know, I'll admit it. I'm that evil dick that you know wants to see good looking white people get chopped into bits. So a body count song right there, evil dick. Either, well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I think we're no, we're all. I think we're all rooting for the kills themselves. Like sure. I want, like I want to see cool. Like but, for and example, the resolution, you when, actually when want Terrifier, but by the end of the film, you actually want, came out. Yeah, you actually want like yeah. somebody to actually survive. You know, kind of thing. I mean, yeah, I, I wanted to see yeah. Art the Clown 
uh, perform carnage on all his victims, but I wasn't necessarily well, like rooting here. for no one to survive. I'll be honest, and I've had this argument with a lot of different people, and JP, he argues with, with me well, about everything, but this in <laughs> particular, I, I know, I think even Dave Z has been in on, in on this and stuff. We've had this kind of revolving, you know, argument about characters and films. And, you know, I'm one of those people that when I'm watching films, like even slasher films, man, I mean, and this is going back to cheering for either the, you know, some of the characters living or, you know, the, the actual killer. I mean, if you have, a, if you're watching a slasher film and every character is so generic and shitty, they're just not memorable. You just, you know, you have, you just, you find yourself not rooting for them. Yeah. By the end of the film, I want everybody to die from that killer. Now I'm fucking rooting for the killer kind of thing. But if you know, if you have some decent writing and you get involved with these characters and shit, it doesn't happen so often in slasher films where the character development's so so great and you actually start to feel, you know, for these characters and you actually want them to live. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. It does, but you know, there is a point where you know, if a character is starting to you know really do something for you, like you start cheering for them that way, right? And that's why I've always kind of went back to this. I mean, it just depends, you know. I mean, well, it's like in the in the interface. But they argue against it. But they argue against it. And they said character development. It doesn't fucking matter. Who cares about the characters? You know, it's about this and that. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's not the way I see it, though. It's it depends on how they're written. Personally, man. I mean, I feel like you have to have something to cheer for. It can be the bad guy or the or or some of the characters, but sometimes it just goes one way or the other. And I and I also think it's a different conversation now that we're what 30 plus years into slasher movie, you know? So it's like now, like when, when a slasher movie comes out, you know, since it's the concept of a slasher movie is not new anymore. So I think there's already the expectation going into it. Like, you know, it's going to make this movie really cool is if we get these crazy kills and all that. And you're obviously rooting for that aspect of the movie. But if, but if the characters are compelling and you have a reason, a vest, you know, invested or vested interest in one or more surviving, and you want them to, I mean, I mean, like something like something like Get Out. Get Out's not really a slasher, but I was definitely rooting for him to get out of the situation. By I wanted him to. I can't remember the character. I mean, these rules can apply to any. It doesn't have to be a slasher film. I mean, characters in, in horror films in general, whether you know, it'd be a fucking possession film or this, that like, I mean, some development is kind of nice. I mean, just saying that you, the characters don't matter and the development of the characters doesn't matter. I think is just, it's kind of ridiculous to say that. Right. Right. And I think, and I think like a lot of the, um, when we're talking about characters not being developed, well, a lot of that was just a symptom of, you know, low budget. You, you don't have, necessarily the best well, it was producers man to begin with they didn't care about it the, the only thing that they there was there was a rule you know you got to show you got to have lots of blood boobs and you know things like that you know that those were that was the elements of the film it, it wasn't even right. about anything else right the story didn't, right, there, it didn't like, have to be a story man exactly now i mean but because then you, you contrast something like pick your random 80s slasher with someone like scream you're telling me that the audience wasn't rooting for Sydney to like Sydney to survive at the end. No, people were rooting. Like I think there was a vested interest with the audience to see her. Obviously, they wanted some people to die because it is a slasher movie. But yeah. I think because of the way the story was crafted, and they cared about her character, they wanted her to succeed in the end, despite wanting to see cool kills. So I think you can accomplish 
both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So it is really depending on the movie itself. Terrifier, I probably cared a little less because it's, you know, I going into it, I knew this probably isn't going to be a movie where we're heavily vested in these. They're probably going to be one dimensional fodder for Art the Clown. Mm-hmm. And I was you, okay you with couldn't that. even get involved with those characters anyways because they fucking die like halfway through the film. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, what is this fucking psycho? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was just so yeah, shocking. Exactly. I was like, okay, this is weird. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I get it. But I, 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 I also I question. This is going to stay in the show because this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, this is all recorded. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I, I also question the term cheering for the killer. I don't remember ever going to a movie and actually cheering for the killer. Yes, I want to see Jason, you know, have some creative kills. It's the formula of a horror movie. There's going to be, you know, 10 to 12, you know, good-looking young people in the movie. Jason's going to kill like 10, maybe 11 of them. Uh, It's just the formula. We know what's coming. I mean, could you imagine going to a Friday the 13th movie where there's 12, you know, good looking white people and only one of them dies and then Jason dies at the end? I mean, would we feel satisfied from that? I I don't think. Or or a Friday the 13th sequel where they kill Jason within the first 10 minutes and the rest of them is just being counselors at the camp. (laughs) But but it's just just any type of development or even have like, you know, decent lines for characters and stuff like. You know, you go back to Friday the 13th, part four, you know, with, um, yeah, part four with Crispin Glover and stuff. Like, he's he, he's just one of those likable characters right away. You know, even when you're watching these films, the development isn't great and stuff. But, you know, you just, there's certain characters in films you're just like, ah, you know, I, I really want to cheer for him. And he's kind of awkward and or goofy, fucking, but kind of uh, cool. Another example from Friday the 13th franchise, uh, Tommy Jarvis. Yeah. Like, you want him to survive after he kind of becomes at the end at the end of four when he survives and then he returns to two more movies i think people are rooting for him to survive doesn't mean they don't want cool kills of other people in the movie but i think they their preference their the first time i saw six and he survives at the end of that i was hoping he would be back for seven you know because it's a character that there was an actual story arc for that I cared about, and I I was invested in him, hopefully mm-hmm. continuing and surviving. So there there are ways to craft stories that you do want a final girl or guy, and for them to continue on. Same with Nancy. Uh, I thought it sucked when she not sucked, not sucked as a story wise, but just sucked because she had to exit the franchise by dying in Dream Warriors. Because I. I thought she was a cool. I thought the way they brought her back was super cool, and they, I was like, "Damn, that sucks that she died." It's not bad per se, but it sucks that she won't be able to be any in any other ones. And Man, I was I, pissed when I was pissed when Alice wasn't back in six because she survived at the end of five. So it felt weird that like, yeah, how know, are but- you just ignoring that? And I actually asked her about that when I met her at a convention. I was like, "Was there any early scripts or any?" like new line reaching out to you about returning she said no it just just they totally went a different direction (laughs) i always felt like when new nightmare got made i was like i think i think craven made this movie just to just to bring back heather langenkamp (laughs) that's the way my mentality was i'm like sweet man i know because she's one of those characters when she does die in in dream warriors like oh fuck man yeah because she didn't just come back just to be there like they actually wrote a good reason for her and the fact that she was looking after the kids to her the best of her ability like you know it felt like it came a compelling character it wasn't just like oh it's hey it's me nancy it 
you know, they actually yeah, it was very meaningful, right? Because, without a good mm-hmm. goal, yeah, yeah. Damn, we got way off whatever topic we were going to be on, but who cares? It was a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was your Oh yeah, we're talking about the just our our thoughts on. I was going to say modern podcasting isn't podcasting straight. Modern. Yeah, it went. It went from <laughs> what the fuck podcasting. is that? What's your thoughts on ancient podcasting? <laughs> ancient podcasting, <laughs> fuck. You know, honestly, I I don't even think I'd really even heard the term. Well, I, that's not true, man. Because when I was doing radio in like the two thousand, I heard podcasts and stuff. But honestly, I don't think I knew anybody that actually listened to podcasts. Maybe it was just the lack of content, or I, I have no idea. But I didn't really know anybody that was listening to it. So like, I never got involved in shit like that. But I don't smartphones. Sorry, I didn't <clears throat> smartphones weren't as prevalent either. That is true. I mean, yeah. it, for sure. I mean, going back to the little convenience factor, right? With the with the apps, you know, the podcast yep. apps. I mean, it's a big fucking seller. I mean, Christ, the shows appear on your phone just out of the blue. I'm like, oh shit, man! They upload a new episode. Awesome, man. Otherwise, you know, you'd just be going along yeah, with daily once, life, and once, that would be it. Once they invented the actual feeds, you could subscribe to. All oh, just over because then, like, everything's just automatically showing up and now my problem now is i just get too behind i think venom you brought this up too i just get behind on things i want to listen to because there's just i don't you know despite the fact that i listen to a fraction of what's out there even still with just the small collection of shows i do listen to i run out of time especially people like that put out three to four hour episodes i don't dislike that length but it's just that even though i work you know even though i have an eight hour shift because i'm having to like pause every so often like a three four hour show could take my whole shift to listen to yeah for sure for sure i mean we did a poll years ago and we asked people you know like we asked them on the podcast you know uh, group pages whatever like what do you prefer do you prefer the shorter episodes like say like two hours or three plus or whatever. And the majority was three plus because like you said, yeah. it was, it was the majority of, uh, you know, um, um, you know, travel time and stuff. A lot of people yeah. have a lot of travel time. So like, well, if I don't finish the whole people episode in one day, it'll take two days. Big deal. Because I know the next episode, you know, isn't going to be out for another week. So I've got time to listen to this kind of thing. So I was, I was actually kind of surprised that the majority, it was like 90, 10, percent for like three plus to four hour episodes i'm like holy shit because we thought because we had i mean originally if you look if you look back to the early shows i mean they were a couple of them you know they started out being you know two hours it was kind of you know i mean even maybe that was a little bit long at the time but and but people kept saying we want more and i was like what like really like that's already two hours i didn't realize that people listen to podcasts that long it was kind of shocking so yeah i always got similar feedback most people even way back then, they preferred like the longer episodes, and I was I was always afraid that they didn't want them. But then once the feedback started, it's like, no, we like the long episodes because this, that, and the other. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, well, do we have anything else on podcasting? You guys want to say anything else about it? Any final? Don't thoughts? you hate when podcasts have a schedule to stick to and they just go off on tangents about other things <laughs> <laughs> you know what man we are so known for that and honestly I, mean, I, I think i think most shows are they might cut out stuff i tend to leave side conversation in because I always that's do, a, that's that's another thing about listeners that i get feedback all the time they like that kind of stuff so it's like i don't unless like it's incoherent or you know unless there's something wrong with 
the audio, I I leave it in because people like it. I think it's relative, though, man. I I believe I think if the tangents are relative to what you're doing on the show, being a horror podcast, talking about films, I don't think people are going to really bark at us for tangenting it off and talking about franchises for ten minutes. I I just think that's just the natural way of the will, you know. When one conversation always leads to another, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, really, it's just the way it is. So, um, but yeah, podcasting, man final thoughts i just yeah i mean i don't think it's going anywhere you know to be honest and i think it's i think it's a good thing i think it's a good thing for you know especially for the indie industry because you know i've gotten a lot of feedback from you know even i mean obviously doing videos on youtube and stuff too but some of the indie films that are reviewed during the 31 days i actually had the directors contact me and say hey Thank you for, you know, reviewing this film and giving it a good review and stuff. I've had I've had directors actually, you know, get back to me on a on a uh, on one of their movies I've destroyed and literally thank me for just giving honest feedback. So that that's always encouraging too, but you know, I I really I like that aspect of, you know, promoting these films and stuff and I think it really does help the indie the indie circuit because I mean without podcasts and stuff, what is what is the element that's getting the word out there just besides the net? I think this is a great feature for people to you know for us to puke that information into their ears and stuff and you know just let people mm-hmm. know about shit that they might not be pervious to because let's face it man i mean there's a lot of fans out there that you know they'll watch and shit you know they'll, they'll seek out the things that are a little bit more popular they won't try to go towards the super indie things and stuff like that and i think that's what draws a lot of people maybe into my channel and the podcast and things because we do things a little bit off the norm and you know we've had a lot of people over the years say to us like oh you know i'm thankful that you guys haven't you know you guys don't just cover like mainstream things and do nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th and just talk about those type of things all the time you guys branch out and do exploitation like the ilsa films and and just kind of mix it up and you know incorporate all sorts of type of films and shit so you know i'm thankful for that now the elm street franchise will be coming eventually well, right we, we no-, we, no 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 we always said we always said we had a plan from day one we mapped out you know kind of a game plan we said you know the first if the show lasts a year you know this is what we're what we want to do and then and then we kind of got bigger and bigger but we our main focus was not to do things that have been talked about to death but now that the show has been on for like seven eight years kind of thing you know i think it's about time we probably start going back and tackling these things this is why back in the day that we did shit like the howling franchise honestly i couldn't find another show i couldn't find anybody talking about the entire fran- franchise before you know and that was that was actually kind of one of those episodes where people were like damn you guys watched all those shitty films. I'm like, yep, that's what we're known for. We watch shitty ass movies a lot, you know, and we're, we're the podcast that would, you know, cover the entire children, of the corn, not a lot, a lot of people do these things, but we wanted to cover some of the, you know, those franchises that people know about, but maybe just not talked enough podcasts and do those things before we got to the more popular ones. And I mean, we did Halloween a few years ago, but that was, uh, I don't know, because it was a Halloween episode, you know, we just wanted to do something for Halloween or kind of thing. So, um, but you know that's that that was the game plan was to do this shit and then just kind of work our way almost backwards, if you will, you know, and and start to do those ones. But Mike, it is coming, and you're going to be on the show. We already know that because I know you're a you're a fanboy. And Jeremy's actually never seen any of the movies. Can you fucking believe that? He's never what? seen any of the Nightmare. Yeah, it's he's he always claims he's not a, a franchise person. I'm like, okay, that you know that's cool. I mean, whatever. But I mean, not even to see one of them. I'm like, that's fucking crazy to me. I know JP's a fan. It's not his favorite franchise, which we all know is Friday the 13th kind of thing. So thank God it's not Halloween. Fuck. 
We just <laughs> <laughs> That's what I deal with on the horror cast. More than half of them are all they're all Halloween people. Yeah, and I bet you they just they they get butthurt if you say anything. Like if I was to bring up the fact in the original Halloween about how stupid the fact is that Mike Myers puts the sheet over his head and he's got no fucking personality. What the fuck is that shit about? It makes mm-hmm. literally no sense. And don't get me started on the driving thing. What the <laughs> fuck? He goes, <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. Right? I but have less of a problem with the driving thing. The sheet thing, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's these ridiculous things in the movie, but... I mean, but, we just did we just did two Halloween movies uh, during October, uh, just this past month, and uh, we did Halloween, what, 3 and H2O, and I didn't give H2O a glowing review. I mean, it is one of the better Halloween sequels, which ultimately isn't really saying a whole lot. No, it's and, not. Yeah, once I started kind of getting into why it doesn't even feel like a Halloween movie to me, yeah, I started getting some blowback on the show, man. Mark Nato, you could you could almost hear it in his voice. He was not happy with me. <laughs> It feels, like, it feels like a damn 90s slasher with Michael Myers in it. <laughs> like, it just doesn't feel like a Halloween movie to me. Well, that's what I'm saying. It has that weird 90s slasher DNA, yes. which feels completely well, it's separated because, from... It's because it's the afterbirth of fucking Scream, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of yeah. doing that. And it's got all these shout-outs to all these movies and all these Easter eggs and things like that. And you're just like, okay, man, I get it, right? Like... I don't know. For some reason, that movie gets so tired to me, and I don't like the end of it either. And that's where me and JP differ on it too. Like, I don't think the movie's horrible either, but I've never been a fan of the ending. He always gets pissy with me. He's like, "What do you mean? It's like the perfect ending to the story." I'm like, "Eh, it fucking comes off cheesy to me." I don't know, like in a bad way. It's weird. <laughs> I just I've never really dug that shit, man. So, mm-hmm. but at least you guys did three. I mean, that's the one. That's my go-to Halloween film. I made yeah, the mistake. Yeah. Of, I made the mistake this Halloween of I was like, you know what? I didn't. I didn't watch any Halloween films last year except for Part Three, and I think it was like a couple weeks before Halloween. I just randomly threw it in, and I was like, you know what? This year I'm gonna I'm gonna watch one, and I hadn't seen Halloween Four in a long time. I totally mm. regretted it after. I'm like, this movie's shitty. It's <laughs> fucking long winded. It's boring. It's like it's not a great movie by any means. I don't understand how people praise the shit out of that like oh yeah you know part four is you know it's really good it's a great return for mike myers i'm like is that why you like it because mike myers is back into the franchise explain to me what is good about the movie it's it's honestly boring and it's it's slow and it like it's just not great man it's Mm -hmm. it's just like i find it actually really tedious to watch and i don't get it man and you know the thing that was i was fucking watching it with the wife and i'm like you notice something about uh dr loomis's scar on his face she's like yeah it keeps changing all the time i'm like exactly <laughs> this movie's fucking terrible <laughs> it's annoying scars change places six times it's shit like that that like i understand it's it's like you know jerry's saying you know about heather langenkamp's mouth being open but this is effects like this is something that should be c- consistent in the film and it changes all the time like as the movie progresses it gets like less and less and by the end of it i don't even think he has a fucking scar <laughs> <laughs> they probably cut out the footage like oh yeah he went and got plastic surgery man loomis is like all good now and shit like come on uh, like, what the fuck you shouldn't even survive part two anyways like no nope. it's, it's another I, yeah, stupid I thing i I have not, not seen a lot of those middle franchise Halloween movies in a long time, just because they, I, because based on my memory, I just didn't ever care to really revi- uh, revisit them. And you know, honestly, uh, something I guess you could call it a little bit of a horror confession. Outside of like new, like whatever comes out in the current year for Halloween themed horror movies, I don't really. Other than Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, I don't 
revisit. Like, I don't automatically watch the Halloween movies, and I think no. it's because of the original Halloween. It's one of those ones where, like, I managed to just see it throughout the calendar year, just whenever. So I don't feel the need to watch it in October. Most of my Octobers, outside of whatever I'm watching for podcasts, like, I'll just more flock to see what is, like, new for that calendar year that's Halloween related. So, like, this year we had, like, Haunt. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on other stuff, but there was, you know, candy corn, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few others. Oh, there was yeah, like true. a million clown films. I think set on fucking Halloween too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So many bad ones this year. It's crazy. <sighs> yeah. But I mean, um, I don't know, man. I think that's, that might be similar for a lot of people. I mean, like I said, I generally don't go back and watch the Halloween films much either. Really, I tend I tend to avoid the Cult of Thorn trilogy pretty much entirely. <laughs> I've seen all three of them once, and I think that's plenty. Oh my god, I I don't even get it. Nope, I, just, I don't get it. I just don't understand the love for it. Like JP will, that's one of the thing that he likes to defend as part. Well, that trilogy and especially part six. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I like go ahead, talk of like explain it to me, man, because I don't understand it. I mean, it's it's pretty much on the same level as him you know loving jason goes to hell don't get me started on that shit <laughs> i am a jason fanboy so i i i'm right there with jp i i tend to defend jason goes to hell i'm not saying it's a good movie it's but a i bet you shit. i bet you defended in like a respectful way and you're, you're not like getting all butthurt and be like your opinion is fucking shit like every other no. halloween fanboy it's like i can't fucking believe it dude it happens even in our group page somebody will say something about halloween and you got 40 fucking motherfuckers who haven't said anything in the group in three years all of a sudden show up on this one post and you're like and they're throwing out insults you're fucking stupid and i'm like holy shit like fucking pump your brakes motherfucker like jesus like it's only halloween too it is only halloween i swear man Mm -hmm. some butthurt fans man i tend to think people are like when i'm looking at those movies the halloween franchise objectively i'm like I think you guys are just hardcore Michael Myers fans, and it doesn't matter how good or shitty the movie itself mm-hmm. is. You just love the character, and I understand because I do think Michael Myers as a character is cool. Just that, spe- you know, his specific style and the shape and all that stuff—it is cool. I, I agree, but the movies themselves, outside of like the you know few good ones, they're just not good. No. <laughs> I mean, they ver- of course they vary from movie to movie but as a franchise i just don't think it's that great of a franchise but i think the character of michael myers himself is so cool that people i think almost trick themselves into thinking that some of the movies are better than they are yeah i think people just get enamored with the first one i mean when you talk about those three major franchises friday nightmare and halloween the best individual movie of of all three franchises is easily the first Halloween movie. Well, to me anyway. And I think some people just get so enamored with the mystique of that film that it tends to carry over um, to, to the other ones. Like, I'm not even that big a fan of Halloween 2. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely not. Like, the, the whole bringing up the sister thing just turned me off instantly. And a lot about Michael Myers' kills in the second one, they don't come off as Michael Myers-esque at all at, at least from what you he established admit, in the though, man movie. it's got one of the funniest dummy deaths in there man the fucking dude that gets hit into the ambulance 
Oh, that, yeah. that shit literally I, it doesn't matter how many times i see that shit man it fucking brings tears to my eyes i'm laughing so hard it's just like oh my god that wow. shit is funny as hell man poor ben Tramer. Uh, <laughs> yeah i, I mean, mean I, I yeah i enjoy bits and pieces of the movie but i definitely don't revere it as much as most halloween fans yeah for sure man for sure did, did, I mean, you, did you enjoy or, the first uh, or did you enjoy the newest one uh, I actually did, yeah. I think, and and the funny thing is, is I actually liked it more than the Halloween fanboys on the horror cast. Like, I actually gave it the highest rating. So, I it, it definitely spoke to me. It, it felt, I mean, it felt way more loyal than anything Rob Zombie did, and it felt way more loyal than anything we saw in the Cult of Thorn trilogy. So, well, it I mean, in Rob Zombie's defense, I mean, he wasn't really trying to be loyal. Hence that's his true. own vision. I mean, Mike Myers is his, like, that's his creation of it, right? So yeah, exactly. he, he was really trying to get out of that whole, like, you got to do it this way type shit, right? So. Sure, sure. And I don't hate those movies, honestly. Um, I, I can take enjoyment out of both of them, a little bits here and there. Um, but just like I said, I, I think people revere the original so much that they, it's actually earning points for the shitty sequels. And, and and the thing is, too, is uh, we were talking about or Mike was bringing up about how people are apologists for Michael Myers or certain characters. And, you know, I'm the same as JP. I, I loves me some Jason and even even the shit movies, the Jason X's and the Jason goes to hell and uh, takes Manhattan. I still watch them with absolute glee i mean they're comfort food to me i i but the thing is i understand that they're garbage movies i will never ever try to tell someone that jason goes to hell is a good movie it's it's objectively not but i but do i have an ear-to-ear grin on my face from beginning to end yes i fucking do and i will and i will be completely unapologetic about it um but yeah at like Moods was saying, at least be realistic with the stuff. I mean, if if you're gonna look at me and tell me that Halloween Six is you know cinematic gold, yeah, that's I, my point. I've already lost interest in talking to you. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> so. I I get. I'm just like really like, no man. It's but it's not. It simply isn't, man. Like I, exactly. I like I know, man. Like you know, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five. You know, a lot of people hate that film. You know, with the mm-hmm. kid and shit like that. I mean, honestly, I know objectively it's not a great movie, but I personally really like it. It grew on me over the years, sure. man. It's silly and shit like that, but I mean, I don't defend part six at all, which is fucked because JP wants to get he he defends Freddy's Dead, and I'm like, what? Like that movie is fucking terrible. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, it took the comedic element and just went, okay, we're just gonna. There's no fucking limits to this shit that we're doing now. I mean, when you're playing Nintendo with a power glove and shit, man, it's just, oh, my God. And get real gimmicky with some 3D aspect and shit. Like, it's just, they they (laughs) threw everything at you in that one. It's, like, ridiculous. And it didn't really carry over from the, like, we talked about, you know, with Part 5 and shit, which was very disappointing. You know, it's just like, oh, we're going to cash grab this shit. and Yeah, with, you know, obviously the, the title Freddy's Dead, too. Right. Oh God! I saw that opening day. I left that theater so pissed off. My God, <laughs> dude! I've I was, never I was been so angry. So I'm so angry too, man. Oh my God! <laughs> I'll never forget how disappointed I was with that. Might even be one of the most disappointing watches of all time for me. Was seeing Freddy's Dead for the first time. It, <laughs> it was just because, like, I mean, I was in love with this franchise, man. You know, mm. and yeah, that shit did not I, do it, man. Uh, like, I mean, I'm gonna 
expose myself as an apologist I am, I can find enjoyable things in it, but it still feels off from like the first five. Like it, it has a totally different feel to it, and it mm-hmm. there's just certain ele- elements of it that it's just like, why did it veer so off the rails from like the formula that they had going? I didn't think there, and especially like at that point, like I. Like, what? I didn't think it needed to happen. Like, I, I felt like, you know, when when Bride of Chucky came out, I felt like <laughs> it was, yes, they veered off in that, but I thought it was because they were almost acknowledging that there was no more to do with Child's Play as a straight horror movie. So, like, let's kind of satirize it and make it, you know, part comedy. So I was okay with it. But with Freddy's Dead, it was just like... Oh, it's just what the hell? Like who? Like, (laughs) but I also heard like there was all these issues because like there were so many different scripts. You know, there was early scripts where it was totally different, and there was so much like because they couldn't figure out how to end the franchise basically, and there was just so too much probably people getting the hands in on the making of it, and it just it was a mess. Maybe they should just. They should have just thought about it and been like, well, since all these scripts are kind of fucking bullshit, whatever, let's just not even end it. Let's just make another film, continue part five, and, you know, continue along with the storyline. Yeah, problem solved. Yeah, the, problem, the other problem I have is, like, the way he's killed, it's like, well, didn't Nancy kind of do the same thing in the first one? Like, bring him out of the dream world and yeah, kill like kill him, and it didn't work, so why is it going to work this time? But, I know. It's... Ridiculous, hey, that's man. a little preview for your nightmare franchise. Episode. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we're gonna we're, we're gonna get. To, I'm, yeah. I mean, it's 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 gonna be so weird. I mean, me and you have probably seen those movies a thousand times. JP's probably seen them a lot of times. And then Jeremy, like first time watching, <laughs> it's gonna be like so fucking weird, right? Like I just, it's just so strange to me. Man. I can, I, I kind of understand his whole distaste for franchises. But doesn't he watch, like, the first movie before it becomes a franchise? Like, did he watch, like, the first Hatchet, for example? Stuff like that? It, that's what I always wondered. Like, the, I mean, it, it's not a franchise till it hits the third movie. So, well, have you watched the first two? You got to no? remember, like, I think Jeremy got in – he's so much younger, right? He was born in, like, 93. So, I think mm-hmm. by the – like, the films that he's so familiar – that's why he's, like, a soft – like, he respects the soft films and shit. Because he saw like all those in the in the theater kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you know all these later type of franchises like Hatchet. I think he's you know he respects that and shit. And but I think for any, anything older, like I don't even think he's seen most of the uh, Friday the Thirteenth films and shit. Like he hadn't wow. seen any. Like when we did the Phantasm, he hadn't seen those before. So I, I think it's just everything that kind of came maybe mm. pre Scream kind of thing. I don't even know if he's seen the sequels to those. I'm not even sure. But it <laughs> seems to be everything kind of post two thousand. Sure. That's that's just his era. I mean, if you look at his top fifty favorite films, I mean, it's the most depressing list in the in the history of lists because everything <laughs> is just like, wow, like how could that be your favorite film? That just brings tears to my eyes reading that. But but most of his picks are post two thousand kind of thing, right? So just relative to his age and it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and to each his own. Yeah, exactly, right? You gotta respect <laughs> it. So it's what you kinda grow up. I mean, really, I mean if you if you ask somebody their top thirty favorite films who's like seventy years old, I bet you there are a lot of their favorite films are fucking from the 40s and 50s and shit that they grew up watching sure right product your time i mean there's lots of 70s on my top 10 you know and i mean it's that's where i grew up it's it's where i was introduced to the genre and 
a lot of the movies that I watched in the late seventies, man, they hit me so hard that they stuck with me my whole life. So admittedly, yeah, I will absolutely admit that nostalgia is a factor in my top horror films, but you know, I think it is for most of us. I mean, nostalgia is one thing for sure, but I mean, when you look at nostalgia, it's kind of an interesting thing because you're watching, you're also watching films at that time where there were so many good ones, like the seventies and eighties, like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, a lot of people, Oh, it's nostalgia and stuff. But I mean, those movies were like, were legitimately entertaining as fuck. And a lot of those films did stick with a lot of people regardless of it. Right. So yeah. it just happened to be the time that we were watching films, seventies and eighties for me too. It's the same thing. I mean, obviously you start watching films in the eighties, you watch seventies films and that was what it was. And then got to live through the awesome nineties. So, <laughs> which just, ah, uh, man, but yeah, which I do defend the '90s actually quite a bit. I actually have a series on YouTube called "1990 What" and feature like fucking you know very like obscure and like good '90s films. There's there's actually quite a bit out there. You just have to find them. Oh sure, but uh, but yeah, you know um I mean we might as well move this along, man. I don't know how long we've been talking about whatever the hell we started talking about at the beginning of this knowledge <laughs> segment. I think it was the state of podcasting or our thoughts on podcasting, but. It veered off, as it usually does, but um, yeah, let's move it along and let's get into these uh, featured reviews. And now, our feature presentation. Alrighty, so getting into the main reviews here on episode 168. This is actually a Patreon pick coming from our boy Sam, who every once in a while pays for something to be reviewed. Um, this is kind of interesting because two of the hosts are not on this episode. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but kindly enough, Mike and uh, Venom are going to fill in. So, um, But yeah, so he ended up picking for Italian Month Aldo Lado which I thought was kind of an interesting pick because obviously we hadn't done Lotto yet and, you know, he just felt like he needed to be done. So, awesome, Sam. Thank you for picking all the Lotto. Um, interesting thing about these three movies, I mean, they are, they have three, three things in common that all the movies have in common. Obviously, they're all directed by Aldo Lotto. Um, Imoni Morricone scores all three of these movies and all three have glorious dummy death. and oddly enough two of these movies actually have james bond connections it's very strange right Mm. italian films i mean um of course the first movie up here for tonight is uh a film from 1971 called short night of glass dolls uh yeah this one is one of the bond connections this has got uh barbara bach now barbara bach hadn't starred in a bond yet bond movie yet but she's probably most famous for being in The Spy I Love Me that came out in 1977. Um, she didn't really do a lot of shit in her career, but what she did actually is pretty notable, man. She actually did quite a few genre films that we've probably all seen and liked and stuff. So um, it's kind of interesting why she didn't like prolong her career and stuff. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> short Night, because she's fucking beautiful, man. I always like Barbara Bach, the way she looks. She has this like really yeah. kind of unique European... I don't know, it's weird. That look is just fantastic, but... Um, but yeah, Short Night at Glass Dolls from 1971. Quick synopsis. An American journalist temporarily stationed in Eastern Europe searches for his new girlfriend who has suddenly disappeared. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I never read these things before I read them. So um, <laughs> so essentially what we have here 
is, yes, an American journalist who is in, is it in Venice? Is he in Venice? Or is it Rome? I can't, no, he's in Venice, I think. Um, played by Gene Sorrell, who I can't, I'm trying to think of who he looks like. Um, our main character, Gregory, here. So in the beginning of the film, Gregory is basically found in this bush, like dead, right? He's rushed to the hospital where the hospital or the doctor pronounces him dead. They take him down to the morgue. At this point, we have realized that he's not dead. Um, his eyes are wide open. He can see, and he and we're actually hearing his thoughts. He's basically kind of comatose. He's kind of like... Um, just unable to move. He can't. It, this has got to be one of the most terrifying setups for a film ever. Could you imagine being in a hospital and hearing them pronounce you dead and you're not dead? Like, mm. this, is, this is just completely fucked up, right? So his eyes are open. You can see. You can hear his thoughts and stuff. Uh, he's pronounced dead. Um, and, of course, one of the one of the guys, you know, work, working in the morgue, he starts to kind of look at the body a little bit. He's like, nah, this doesn't seem right because, you know, it's like three hours after he's apparently died. But, you know, we all know rigor mortis kicks in, I think, within like 90 minutes or something like that. And his body's too warm. So they start to do some tests on him and shit. Uh, meanwhile, um, this is where this movie kind of takes a unique take on the whole giallo genre is we start to unravel the mystery he starts to unravel the mystery in his mind of what happened to his girlfriend who went up, ended up missing and, you know, exactly what happened to himself and stuff. And that's how the movie progresses itself is through his mind and shit like that. It does cut back and forth to him in the hospital and stuff and, and things like that. So, um, so what are you guys' thoughts on this film? I like this. Um, I thought the first uh, five to ten minutes were really compelling. Um, it seemed like it was kind of going towards uh, an Italian serpent in the rainbow type angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad it didn't actually go down the whole voodoo route. Um, yep. I was, for the most part, I was very compelled with that aspect of the story. I did find myself being a little, I don't want to say bored, but uninterested in the whole search for the missing girlfriend, especially early on. Um, Every time it would leave the hospital and go back to his flashback, I just, I found myself tuning out because we didn't spend enough time with this girl to really even care about her that much. I mean, we only, you know, a few scenes, you know, one sex scene that they had together, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, so instantly, you know, I have an emotional attachment to him because we've been hit with him since the beginning of the movie. We know that he's lying on a slab in a morgue, even though he's not dead. So, I mean, instantly that's, that, that piqued my interest, but I just found myself caring less and less about the whole Barbara Bach angle. But once that storyline started to develop and started to kind of, you know, give us a little bit of an explanation. I was, I, I suddenly found myself on board a little bit more to the point where I really liked the third act a lot. I was really on board for this third act, um, both with the scenes in the morgue and, you know, with what was going on with uh, the disappearance of, uh, I believe Myra was her name. Yeah. Um, so yeah, overall I like this one. Um, it wasn't my favorite of the three, but it's, I really, really enjoyed it. This was a first time watch for me, so oh, okay. yeah, thank you, Moods. This 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 was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, as far as I go, so I kind of went back and forth between this and one I'll once we get to the other one back and forth between whether this one or the other one is my favorite. I I really like the premise of this one when we get the the character who shows up 
dead but not dead. Um, I thought that was a nice little way to set up. Uh, you know, when it comes to Giallo overall or even Giallo-like or Giallo-esque or, you know, whatever, because I think even the term Giallo covers so much ground that uh, I, I kind of have a void. I, you know, I've seen like a handful, but there's so many that I like when you guys do Italian horror month, like a lot of the giallos you guys would cover. I I have never seen. Yeah. Um, so most of the time when I'm watching them now, it's for the first time and it's not really a genre. I necessarily flock to just because my, my knowledge of them is so low overall that I, you know, you, you ever get that feeling where it's like, you don't know where to start. It's like, I don't want to watch like, 10 bad ones to get to a good one. So I kind of wait for like recommendations from people about which ones are worth checking out. But I felt like I was so kind of intrigued by the setup of this one and kind of how we were, the mystery of it was unfolding um, with flashbacks and it was kind of being pieced together. It almost had like a sort of like a memento feel to it where a lot of it's happening through memories and you're trying to figure out just what the hell was going on. And uh, I really didn't see like that ending coming, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's one of the strong things that they were able to conceal um, the mystery aspect of it really well. And we get to that final scene, and it's like I was heavily like hoping he would make it out of the situation, and then what happens happens. I was like, oh shit! And then credits roll. It's just like <laughs> wow, like he that that was neat. I mean, not that I was wanting him well obviously i just said i wanted him to make it through but it's like oh man it's kind of that that gut punch ending you know where it's like the it's almost like the minute everything gets discovered and now he's dead and credits roll and i had a i had a kick or i got a kick out of this movie i thought i i thought the method of how they set this one up was a good way to kind of break the just a normal I think mundane is maybe a, an unfair term to use, but you, just that normal kind of DNA of a giallo, this one, it's like they added that element uh, to it because I think the next movie we'll talk about to me feels more like in the straight up, like everything you'd expect out of like your run of the mill <laughs> giallo. But mm-hmm. I'll wait to speak more on that. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this one i was like wow if this was the first because i watched them in chronological order so i was like man this is the first one i was like i'm gonna have a good ass time watching these (laughs) (laughs) yeah man i've i always this one's very unique in setup i mean actually Mm -hmm. another thing that all these movies have in common too is that uh none of them really involve the police like generally you know giallos and a lot of italian films will incorporate the police for the investigation and stuff um this one and the next film that we're going to talk about is more about you know it's the the characters that are actually doing the investigating themselves kind of thing there's no police aspects to these really at all um i think i think this movie's amazing man i mean another thing that's really in common with all the, all the films the cinematography in all these movies is fantastic uh, i thought all- it was strongest in this film yeah um all the lotto you know he shot he was a cinematographer before assistant director he's done a lot of that work before and stuff so um, you can kind of see that. I mean, there's some, you know, guerrilla filmmaking and shit. <laughs> I love that. You know, there's scenes where, you know, train stations and things like that, where you can see people like literally looking right at the camera and stuff. I always get a <laughs> kick out of that. Um, 
but yeah, no, the, the the premise to this film is really what sells it. I mean, the whole idea of telling a story basically in this from this guy's mind in these flashbacks is really does work for me. Um, I do agree. I've always had a problem with the whole uh, girlfriend thing. I don't think they spend enough time together really to, mm-hmm. you know, to get to know her. It's always been my biggest complaint. I think I talked about this before about how, you know, she kind of just shows up and, you know, that's, he takes her to a party at Valensky's house or some shit like that. And, and then she's just kind of disappears, you know, and it, and the way she disappears is kind of strange too. It's just, it's just kind of done, right? There's mm-hmm. really nothing there. It's just like, holy shit, that just happened. And that's really the story and stuff. Um, I really do like the uh, the ending, like the resolution to the film and what it actually is. I mean, it's typical Italian stuff to kind of go that way, uh, you know, involve this type of, you know, what what it is, you know. We'll end up spoiling this thing. I mean, we might as well. I might as well just say that we're going to end up spoiling these films because it's pretty hard to talk about these movies without spoiling them and giving specifics and shit. Yep. So... Yeah, um, but yeah, overall, man, I really do like. I like the ride of this movie. I think you know, just the music's fantastic. Again, um, yeah, you know, and the ride. Like, I never, I'm never bored in this movie. I actually like the way it's constructed, and again, it's unique in that in that aspect because I think it breaks it up though too. I mean, there's a lot of giallos where you know you get the murder at the beginning of the film and then it just kind of it slowly progresses itself right and this one i like the breakup of going back to the morgan and having that it's creating the suspense that you don't really see in a lot of giallos you're like is this guy gonna make it out of this or what and then it kind of cuts back to his investigation and you're learning things about these characters and stuff and then you know these guys are kind of getting picked off and things like that and um but yeah, I, I think it's actually quite exciting, and you know, like I said, it's got a great dummy death in it, which is <laughs> there's something about dumping people over bridges and and shit like that in this movie that is really funny to me. Yeah. I don't. It happens like twice in this film. It's just such an odd thing to have happen, but I don't know. Really, and, and in both instances, they go over without a fight of any kind. It, uh, literally, it's just yep, scoop, and well, you're done. Uh, to the point where I was actually mad because the you know the second one. Uh, when our main character was thrown off the bridge, yeah, I'm like, you fell a good 12, 15 feet and you never made a peep. I know. If you would have at least yelled or something, then the people on the bridge might have said, hey, what the hell was that? Instead, you literally fall. You don't make a peep. No one notices that you got pushed over. And, you know, then we, you know, we get the rest of the movie. But yeah, that that really irked me. It's like, what, what kind of, what human being could that happen to where you're literally lifted off your feet over a bridge and then just don't make a sound? I know, it right? Just annoyed me. <laughs> Isn't it just natural just to scream at that point? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because, like, when when the old dude gets thrown off and he lands on the train tracks, it's like, oh man, his body's just so fucking stiff. It just it kills me every time. <laughs> dummy dummy deaths are just the funniest thing in the world to me, man. It's- it's one of the it's one of the aspects of horror that hasn't improved in like 90 years i mean i i still think about the dummy death in the original frankenstein that looks almost as good as some of the ones that we saw in these movies so yeah exactly right it's pretty odd (laughs) (laughs) ah fuck yeah man um okay well i mean i'll just let the people know at home i mean we're gonna start talking about spoilers in this um so (laughs) go ahead venom you can start talking man the biggest revelation in this movie to me is that vegetables feel pain. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting there watching that scene yeah. thinking, 
wait, this is going to fuck up a lot of vegans' lives if they come to the realization that vegetables feel pain because they will they'll literally won't be able to eat anything. And ultimately, <laughs> it does make sense. Plant life is life. I mean, the second word in the title is life, plant life. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's alive. It's, you know, it's going through photosynthesis. It's it's expanding. It's growing. So it's obviously a living being. So to say that a living being feels pain isn't that much of a stretch. But I just thought that just, you know, being in this giallo just out of nowhere to just show up with that scene. I'm like, wow, that scene would be so heavy in 2019. Yeah. Whereas in 1971, it was probably glossed over as just ah, how silly. <laughs> I would love to see somebody incorporate that in a modern film just so I can see modern vegans react to it and yeah. just watch them starve to death. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, I did enjoy – do you guys uh, – a question that I wanted to ask you. Do you guys think that this movie could fall under the unreliable narrator title? Because are we supposed to believe everything – from his flashback, I mean, is that the intention that the director had, that this is the definitive truth, this is what really happened? Or is this just his version of what happened? Because there were some, there were a couple of scenes where I was kind of scratching my head, kind of like... Um, well, I mean, it, I mean, there's an argument there, right? Because, I mean, I think we're led to believe that his recollection is exactly what happened, but then there is these really kind of tripped out moments that put you into a psychosis where you're like okay, he's seen his dead girlfriend here and then, then he's seen his dead girlfriend in a fridge and shit like that. I mean, is that supposed to be reality at those moments or is he just tripping balls because he's kind of maybe under the influence of the satanic cult? Possibly, yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking too because the first reveal of uh, Mira's body made no sense. In that scene, well, he had already left. See, the argument like, for it is, right? I mean, basically what, what's happening here, we go through all this and there's this mystery, right? We get in, we get introduced as Valencia character and blah, blah, blah. He's part of this. Basically, it's a cult, right? It's called Club 99. And what these people are doing, they're sacrificing young, beautiful people for, you know, for themselves to live. They're, they're almost considered deadheads. Like, I don't know if he was implying that these people were zombies or some shit, but there is a really strange scene where they're watching this musical act. It's like this musical house kind of thing where they play classical music and shit like that. It's this really, mm -hmm. it's this really strange club called Club 99 and these people. And it's crazy because before we're even introduced to the idea of this being like what it is, like a satanic cult type deal, there's this crazy fucking cinematic scene where you see these people playing these classical instruments on the stage and it pans towards the, the crowd and everybody is like dead looking. And then you're kind of like, and it's one of those moments where you're like, okay, is this real? Is this part of like realism or are we just seeing this the way he's saying, I don't know. Right. But yeah, then, yeah, but I'm, the way I'm, it makes you question it though, to me is when, you know, he finally gets to the actual like satanic cult orgy type scene and he sees the girl that's, you know, basically being sacrificed up there and he sees his girlfriend's face. So that's right. why I'm, that's why I'm kind of thinking that he was tripping balls before because he may have been under the influence. I don't know if that's really explained too well. I mean, they don't really see him getting. I mean, I think the idea is that he ends up getting drugged to, to the point where, you know, he's like comatose. Right. Right. Yeah. So well, I mean, that's, the, the that's cop your... mentions finding like what an empty tube of morphine or something. Yes, yeah, like some some type of drug that they use and shit. So I'm thinking that he was under the influence maybe when he was, you know, kind of seeing these things and tripping balls and shit like that. So yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, the reason I bring up the unreliable narrator thing is like the movie is supposed to be a flashback from, you know, it's him piecing together these memories to try to figure out what's happened over the last few hours. Yeah. And it's like the scenes that he's not in didn't make sense to me. Like the scenes where Jacques and Jessica were just talking and he's not there. How how is he remembering that scene? That didn't make sense to me. You know what? I've thought the exact same thing, right? Because like, yeah, you know, you've seen or what we're seeing is his recollection. So how can these other things be happening? Exactly. Right. It doesn't yeah. really make any sense because if you're not there, how the fuck can you remember something when you're not there? Exactly. Right? So, I mean, I've that's thought really the, same the only thing. thing I'm questioning. It really doesn't bring the movie down in any way for me. It's definitely it's just not one a of perfect... those head scratching things. Yeah, it's definitely not a perfect narrative. It's a great idea, but you can't when you only have one character, right? That's telling a story, kind of thing. Like, how do you how do you do that narrative properly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very true. Right. I mean, there's really <laughs> no way around it. You have to show some other parts that make up the narrative to you know continue along the, the story <laughs> or the investigative part. Right. It's <laughs> kind of makes sense right no absolutely i mean i understand why the scenes are in there they yeah. fill in a lot of blanks for us and yeah. you know obviously that's appreciated you know like i said i'm just questioning the you know the continuity of it like you know blah 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 i've already explained myself so yeah it's kind of weird um yeah for sure <laughs> what did you what did you guys think of that douchebag's version of raining blood on the on the bridge i def- i definitely <laughs> think slayer did it better yeah <laughs> i think so too man <laughs> but god save that bet. guy <laughs> that's some that that's something i i kind of notice a little bit of a theme with these movies is that they almost always incorporate someone who can't sing in this movie it's the it's the guy in the movie um in i'm Oh, in our third movie tonight, it's the opening and closing tracks. Like the guy who's singing, holy shit, I want to strangle him. Mm-hmm. He's awful. But yeah, I, I noticed that. The, and, and they're always English speaking. So obviously these are Italian men singing in English, yeah. which you know, obviously there's going to be issues there with accents just to begin with. But I just didn't feel like they were very good singers to be featured in these movies. But, you yeah. know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, you know, another thing I really, like, I really like about this movie, man, is that, you know, there's not, there's not a whole lot of giallos that really create this, this kind of dreadful suspense throughout a whole film, even though maybe, maybe it's not that prevalent when you're watching the movie, but just the general idea, because what we failed to mention so far is that this is more or less a race against time for our main character, Gregory, because I mean, there is a point where it cuts back to his storyline, his present day storyline. And, you know, they're, you know, they're eventually going to fucking, you know, do an autopsy on him kind of thing. Right. <clears throat> so I, I like this element of suspense because it's like, holy shit, dude, like that is a fucking scary thought. Right. You have to figure out this shit before. But, you know, it's kind of funny, right? Like he has to figure all this shit out uh, before what? But he's paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Like, like he can figure out this whole narrative and, and who exactly was responsible for all of his shit. But like. It, is he doing it before he wakes up? But he doesn't know he's going to wake up, though. Right. Right? Because technically, it's in his mind. Like, he could figure it all out. But, I mean, if this if this drug or this influence is strong enough to keep him down for, like, a long fucking time, who the hell is he going to tell? Yeah. The whole thing is and technically that, pointless, right? There's that constant <laughs> dread going on just with, him. like, every time we flash back to him. Because he, he never really has a real good bearing on just what the hell's going on with him, either. Because well, he's... 
he's always confused like hey no one can hear me i'm trying to help like don't kill me don't <laughs> I'm, well, I'm alive i'm alive well i will i will say he is pretty he is pretty uh selfish though like i mean honestly like his main objective is of, of course is to find his girlfriend right but i mean mm-hmm. in his mind and shit like that there's not even a moment where he's like you know how the fuck did i end up here like what the hell happened to me <laughs> kind of thing, right? it's all about his girlfriend it's it, it's kind of funny man it's it's you know interesting in itself but on top of the fact that he hops into bed with another woman mere days after his supposed love of his life disappears i know i mean i, I understand that they didn't end up doing anything but yeah i mean there's still i mean his intention i mean he got into bed naked with another woman so we all know what the intention is there mm-hmm. but i'm just like wow that instantly kind of makes you a little bit of a dick <laughs> i don't know i mean hey we all got needs i understand that but jesus christ that was that was rough I mean, because, I mean, he played it like this was literally the love of his life and that he never wanted to leave her side. And, oh, you got to come to London with me, blah, blah, blah. But then she disappears literally without a trace. And what, within 48 hours, he's in bed with another woman who's <laughs> way less attractive, by the way. <laughs> I know, right? It's it's that total sleaze factor, right? It's like, you know, the producer's going, well, how the fuck are we going to incorporate him having sex? Like, we have to do this. We can't have a giallo that doesn't have any titties and shit, and this is crazy kind of thing. Another right? so. theme, actually, two of our three movies is uh, guys jumping into bed, <laughs> bouncing into bed with other people. For sure, uh, our our next movie has it too. Yeah, so, but I mean, in in uh, Lans- in Lazenby's fucking defense, though, he was estranged from his wife, though, right? So it's it's a little bit different, I guess. I mean, here, Perfect. I mean, his girlfriend, he was just with her. Like she's like, is this a coping mechanism for him? <laughs> Right? Like, but he was. But even even in the next one, I mean, he was in love, wasn't he? I no, mean, he was actually in uh, with I his sworn. No, with his wife. The, his they were actually they're like um, separated. They were separated they, to a point. I think like and I they think, still ended up in bed together. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I think that's exactly what they're implying. Like he was over there with the daughter, and she came over, and because blah blah blah, and no, I think she come. Anyways, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, short night of glass dolls, man. Mike, got anything else on it? I mean, I would just say this is like if if you're a Giallo fan, but looking for something like a little off the beaten path, you know, it it still obviously has a lot of traits of Giallo in general, but this has a little bit, to me at least, in my, for my small experience with them, this kind of has you know a little bit of a different. A method as far as how they go about things and i just think with the setup of the guy in the hospital it's it's a very compelling um element of the story to figure out what the hell is going on what's wrong with him will he bake it and all that kind of stuff so i like i said i would highly recommend this one yeah i i think it's really I- so um, I just want to speak to the last scene a little bit, um, yeah. since yeah. we are going to get all spoiler here. Um, hey, who the fuck would let Jessica go to his autopsy? That made <laughs> zero sense. And and maybe it's a cultural thing. You know, I know it's the early 70s in Italy, blah, blah, blah. I but know. it's like they were doing a public autopsy. I understand that because it was a it was a teaching school. But. To let her go to the autopsy, yeah, that, that, zero sense right there. Next, 
her reaction. Yeah, there's, there's the, okay, this is, I've always had an issue with this too. I mean, she obviously saw his, his him blink before his fingers moved because she screamed knowing that he was still alive. Why the fuck didn't she scream before? <laughs> That's what, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. Like she, like literally the instant the yeah. scalpel went into his heart, she lets out a big scream and the movie ends. But it's like, if you had any inclination whatsoever that he was still alive, why didn't you try to stop anybody? I know because it's, it's, just, fil- it's filmed in a way that, you know, he blinks and his fingers move and stuff. And mm-hmm. she's supposed to catch that. I mean, you could look at it, at it as, you know, in the aspect of like, okay, she wasn't 100% sure, but maybe it was just official that it went into his heart and killed him, you know, or that he was, I mean, it's official that he's dead at that point sure. kind of thing. I mean, you could look at it in that way, but I don't think it's meant to be like that. I think it's completely meant to, she saw him blink and move the fingers. She saw the, the fucking doctor slash cult member hold sure. his hand down and then basically cult leader. Kill, cult leader. <laughs> Yeah, you're yeah. right. Cult leader um, basically assassinate him in front of like 50 people. Exactly. Right. So it it is kind of strange. I had the same thing. I had the exact yeah. Same it thing. almost seems like like if if there was like a better edit the at the with the timing of the scream or something because it did it did feel kind of weird because like the scalpel. But then it's kind of her. She gets up and screams, but it's almost like like a vague just scream like she's not quite screaming out and directed at what's going on it's just kind of like she's having an outburst or something that's her nervous breakdown yeah maybe yeah and then the last thing the last thing i wanted to ask about with that final scene um Mm -hmm. he was he was obviously hypnotized or drugged or whatever you want to go with well i think not yeah i think they alluded to the fact yeah he was definitely drugged because I can't remember. I, I don't think they actually ever say the name of the drug because I don't think they go that far. But there is drugs that you can – I've heard of people doing this shit before. But it basically paralyzes you. But it slows your heart rate down to the point where you can't even fucking um, – like you can't yeah. take the pulse kind of thing, right? Um, well, basically their heart beats like once per minute. It, it basically slows down to the point where it's just beating enough to keep the body alive, to keep oxygen going, get well, going to the brain. Yeah. See my see my whole complaint with this whole like I love the idea of him being drugged and stuff like that, but I mean in reality, unless you were planning on doing it, ma- making a huge spectacle spectacle about you know killing somebody in front of all these people, you know making a point of it. Why wouldn't they have just fucking given him something that would have killed him? They ingested him with something that put him into a coma. He was, you know, whatever. Why don't they just fucking kill him? That's very valid. Yeah. To, to, to start it... with it, because when you really put it in perspective, <laughs> right, they got to him. They did something to him. Why not just kill him? Because, I mean, really, do you want to put yourself in this position to have him maybe wake up in front of fucking everybody and like tell the actual story if when he's, you know, fully awake? Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is that they, you know, as they were hypnotizing him or drugging him, whatever you want to go with, Mm -hmm. they were repeating over and over again, you'll wake up after your burial, after you're buried, after you're buried. Yet he woke up on the table. So uh, is this an example of, like, maybe a cult that doesn't really know what they're doing quite yet? Is that actually literal? I, 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 I always took that as, like... Yeah, see, that is that's weird, man. Because when you look at it, like, why the fuck would he wake up after he's buried? Well, how could he? I mean, if they if they, if he's already had an autopsy and he gets embalmed, what do you mean wake up? How, is he is he a zombie? That that's what I meant. That's what I'm thinking because I was thinking, yeah, see, that makes no fucking sense either. 
Yeah. But my... <laughs> it really doesn't. Yeah, so I mean, it, it left me scratching my head a little bit. Again, it didn't upset my enjoyment of the film. No, definitely. I definitely liked it. It's also, mm-hmm. you know, thinking like really, really far into it kind of thing, right? And oh, yeah. Like, I mean, we're obviously, I'm interjecting logic into a horror movie, yeah. which I probably shouldn't do. But, it, you know, I, I, I you can ask Mike. I tend to do it more than I should. But, yeah, I mean, like oh, I said, I get the whole... I get what you're saying, man. I just interpreted it like you're going to wake up when you're buried, but not because of this. Because, like, I just figured, I mean, when you when you logically look at it, man, he's not going to get that far still drugged, right? Exactly. I just, yes. I kind of took it as, like, these guys have this kind of weird kind of cult power. Like, these people are using these bodies to, like, you know, sustain their fuck whatever the fuck is going on. They don't really explain it too much. Um, but I just kind of figured, like, he's going to wake up after he was already dead. That's the way I was interpreting it because the other logic just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. And and that logic barely makes sense. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's like some, yeah, because then it would have went into the whole voodoo type zombie area. Exactly. That's you know, I was I was really hoping they would avoid it, which they did. So bravo there. But uh, the ending still did leave me scratching my head a little bit. But yeah, yeah. yeah overall, still really enjoyed it. Like I said. Um, Really enjoyed the aspect of, you know, him laying on the slab and, you know, his internal monologue kind of, you know, trying to figure out, piece together his memories so that he can figure out what the hell actually happened to him. Um, I I think there were some minor pacing issues in the second act. Like I said, the second act, for the most part, concentrates on the disappearance and search for Myra and... You know, like I said, that that felt secondary to me uh, as far as um, compelling storylines. That one was way more, way less compelling than, you know, our actual hero on the slab trying to figure out what's going on. Um, But still, overall, really enjoyed this movie and is probably of the three, probably right in the middle. My second favorite of the bunch. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Should we just go into ratings then? Because we rate on this show. Oh, you guys rate. Nice. Okay. I wasn't even thinking about ratings. Uh, five or ten scale? Ten. Ten. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a solid Jason Lloyd and say 7.5. <laughs> I love how the seven and a half rating is associated with Lloyd, man. That's fucking so funny. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike. Um, I'll... I'll second the Jason Lloyd. I think that's about right for me, 7.5. Okay, okay, I feel you guys. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I I have it rated at an 8. I really enjoy this, man. I think the third act is fantastic in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, as long as you kind of drop all sensibility with logic and stuff into what's really happening with the whole thing, it's actually quite enjoyable. I think the third act is really great. It's got some great atmosphere. It's got some really trippy fucking scenes starts making you think. And I'm glad that they they showed you know a little bit of you know this cult orgy and this weirdness that was happening and shit but it, it kind of changed up the whole formula of the film because it wasn't really like that and up until like the third act kind of thing and and then i, I just enjoyed it I, I think it's a very unique giallo and i think there's it, it sticks out it really mm-hmm. does stick out in that whole genre because especially every giallo up to this point because this is 1971 this is like right at the fucking peak there's so many giallos that came out between like 70 and like 74 75 so um, this is at the peak, but this one kind of sticks out big time mm-hmm. in that in that realm, and I, I appreciate it for what it is. And it, you know, it's cool, man, because it was all a lot of wrote this movie, and he also it was his very first feature that he directed himself. So 
you know, big ups. I think he did a really good job with this. So, yeah, for a directorial debut, this this is pretty stellar. Absolutely, it is, man. It really is. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, that is the short night of glass dolls. All right, so moving along here into the next year, 1972. We actually just did a top 10 1972. Well, I guess not just. It was a few months back, but we did a top 10 1972 um, with a film called Who Saw Her Die? This is Aldo Lotto's, well, obviously second film because if his first one was in 71, his second would be the next year, right? Is that how it usually <laughs> works? Maybe not. You can do two in one year, I guess. Um. This movie right here is actually starring George Lazenby, who was a one-time James Bond. He did Honor Majesty's Secret Service back in 1969, I believe was the year. Um, that movie is actually very special in the Bond franchise because it's the movie... Well, if he, yeah, he did the one movie, but the storyline is interesting because that's the only Bond movie where he gets married and his wife actually dies in it and stuff, so... Kind of interesting. Uh, the mm-hmm. Bond connection that I talked about before is that this movie's starring Adolfo Selly, who is the bad guy in Thunderball. So we got this kind of whole Bond connection. I'm a huge Bond geek, so in case people <laughs> that might be something people don't know about me, but I'm I'm a massive Bond geek. Um, yeah, so that's kind of an interesting cast right there. Um, Lazy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know Adolfo Selly from. Uh... Uh, uh, an Italian action movie called Diabolic that I absolutely love. Oh, it was yeah, Diabolic? The... Yeah, man, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was, uh, yeah, S- Serafian. Yeah, he was, the, he was the villain in that too and I, I fucking love that movie. It's comedy gold to me. <laughs> uh, also starring um, Anita Streisberg who was, we talked about her last week actually in a film called uh, Murder Obsession um, and she actually plays Lazensby's wife in this film. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, quick little synopsis. A young girl is brutally murdered somewhere in France. Sometime later, the same thing happens to the daughter of a well-known sculptor. Uh, this time, the parents, the sculptor, and his wife. Wouldn't that be the fucking parents? The sculptor and his wife? <laughs> what? Why did they have to parentheses that? Start investigating and soon find they are in way over their head. Meanwhile, the body count keeps rising as the killer now starts butchering all those who find out too much. Um, yeah, so basically this movie starts in, uh, I think, three years earlier, 1968, I want to say the year is, dubbed in the film, in France. And basically we have this young um, red-haired girl, little ginger girl, uh, playing in the snow with her mom. And some fucking killer just comes out of nowhere, kills this girl, like, literally beats her over the head with a fucking rock. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of nasty, man. Like it's just this girl's like enjoying her snow, playing in the snow, and she gets beat over the head, and just awfully just buried in the snow. It's it's brutal. Uh, then it jumps forward to um, you know present day nineteen seventy two. George Lazenby's character, uh, I think his name's Franco in the film. He's from England. He's a sculptor, and he's in Venice. You know, waiting to do like a you know show off his artwork and stuff like that, and. Basically, what happens is his daughter gets kind of kidnapped and murdered, and now he takes it upon himself to find out, you know, exactly what the fuck kind of happened here. 
Um, <clears throat> you know, this is, this is kind of interesting, actually, because one thing that we mentioned in Short Night at Glass Dolls is the lack of character development with the Barbara Bach character. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one thing that Aldo Lado definitely improved on this film. He, I don't think he wrote this movie. Maybe it had something to do with the writing. Um, but that type of character development is definitely amped up in this because even though this movie takes a little bit to get going, you know, we have the killing in the beginning of the film and then his daughter uh, ends up dying about 30 minutes into the film. But that those 30 minutes, you actually get some compelling character development with, you know, the father and daughter and stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. just their, their angle and stuff. Right. So the rest of the investigation just kind of feels a little bit more, you know, feels more, you know, sensitive. It's kind of, it kind of hits home a little bit more. And I like the way they did it, even though it does, like I said, you know, it, it creates this kind of little bit slower, um, <laughs> kind of a slower narrative. But the scene mm-hmm. that she gets killed in is so weird in this film because, yeah, like I said before, I'm pretty, I'm positive that Lazenby and his, and his, uh, and his wife are like estranged. I th- I'm pretty sure, I'm positive they say that in the film. And um, so he's actually like upstairs um fucking some hussy getting it almost some hussy well <laughs> well he leaves his daughter which he's very close to her and stuff you know and he leaves her down in this kind of courtyard playing with these other kids and then that's when she goes missing him and, and ends up dead i mean quite obviously the moral of the story is don't leave your fucking kids alone <laughs> you know mm. they might actually live kind of thing but uh yeah i mean that's essentially what happens and you know but i do appreciate you know the character development with those characters and, and developing that because it does make the rest of the film kind of feel more you know, sensitive to the investigation a little bit more, but yeah. Thoughts on the film. Um, Ooh, this one, how, how can I put this? It's more this of a took, slog. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, but I feel like this movie is giallo co- color by numbers. Like this is the most basic bitch giallo movie I've ever seen. Well, you know, it's you not know, bad, you, you know, right? that that's the thing about this movie though. You know, it really is. It's very fly by the numbers giallo. You know, yeah. it's very staple. It it has the killing at the beginning. And it has this long drawn out kind of investigation and stuff with a lot of things that don't actually make sense, which mm-hmm. we'll probably get into. Um, but yeah, like there's just there's just not a lot of excitement. There's not really a lot of suspense in this. Um, it feels like the black glove and knife finally show up because they almost forgot that they had to put it in. <laughs> well, I mean that that's actually one thing about this movie that kind of drives me nuts is like. You know, he's investigating and of course he has this invest he has this reporter that he's friends with because this guy's reported on him before and stuff. So I, I do like I mean, those things kind of make sense, right? So he calls upon his reporter friend to, you know, kind of look into the you know, you know, see what he can kind of dig up on the ship. And he, he does come across that there's this killing in France that is exactly the same as this one. So it kind of takes him on this kind of this journey and stuff. But the thing that bugs me about this movie it's that it's like very convenience killings because What's happening is, you know, everybody that, you know, essentially kind of finds out something like dies right after they find it out. Mm-hmm. Now, if you logically think about that, that means the killer would have to be following these people everywhere they go. And they're like, hey, he's just waiting. He's just like sitting there waiting for them. Well, he just found out something. I'm going to go take him out and kill him. It's like, how the fuck is this killer in the in that right spot at, you know, that moment every single time? And it happens to like everybody that dies in this film, too. You can put this movie on, walk away from it, uh, and as soon as you hear the girls singing the la 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 shit, yeah. just run back into the room to see what's happening for that scene because that's pretty much the 
audio trigger that hey someone's about to get killed it's, or something crazy is gonna happen i swear they overuse the score in this movie yeah as, as like a fucking tool to get you back into the film because you're right like there's a lot of investigative stuff here just a lot of dialogue it's not really overly that interesting stuff even the kills aren't even that great in this either um but uh that yeah they overplay the score to death in this and it's not even bad like the Morricone yeah. score isn't that bad i mean it's used in a couple spots appropriately but then it plays in a couple spots where even like even your assessment there's a little bit off because even when it happens a couple times you're like nothing really comes of it <laughs> you know, it's yeah like, it's basically i mean that that was actually one of my favorite parts of this movie was the fact that the killer kind of had his own theme song mm-hmm. so every time you know the killer was anywhere about you heard that song the problem is is at times i don't know if you guys noticed but there were a couple of occasions in the movie where there would already be score playing there would already be like a you know a low score playing yep, in the background yep. and then the killer would show up and they would be playing both songs at the same time over each other yeah yeah and it actually took me out of it uh, one of the times cuz i'm like wait a minute i hear two beats what the hell is going on yeah, yeah. and that's when i realized that there was actually two songs playing over each other that was a really odd choice though if if the if the reason that Lotto decided to go with that was for a sort of like disorientation feeling, it actually did work because both times that it happened, I noticed instantly, and it definitely like like woke me up, if you will, like it you know, it, like I started paying more attention because it's like what the hell is going on, and then the killer's song would fade out once the killer left the scene, yeah. and the original song that was playing would still be playing. So it's like, wow, that was an odd choice. It's almost like they mixed this, the movie on like a, a two-track, uh, you know, vi- a recorder, which I'm sure wasn't the case. I'm, you know, I'm sure it was an artistic choice uh, by Lotto to do that. But man, it, it was very jarring the first time I heard it. As I already said, I'm a, you know, an audio engineer by trade, so. It, you know, when I hear stuff like that, you know, audio choices that don't make immediate sense, it definitely wakes me up. Oh man, trust me, dude. Um, I mean, that's two of us in here that have the background in audio engineering and I get shit like that. Just, I mean, we talked about this before, man, like stupid fucking things like tires screeching on gravel. Doesn't yeah. that just get you every time? It's so prevalent in the seventies movies too. It's like, man, that happens all the time. It's just fucking crazy. But the average person doesn't notice shit like that because they're not used to putting those sounds in or doing whatever with it. Right. But Right. I get it, man. I, I I totally understand it. And like music is a big thing for me, right? It's something I notice in like every movie. And this one, it's just I don't know who thought it was a great idea to overuse that score the way they did. But talk about taking a decent piece of music and just playing it to fucking death, man. Like really to fucking. I mean, death. the only thing I could figure is that maybe because this was my first watch, it didn't bug me as much. Because I literally the the killer's theme song I never got sick of even and I will fully admit I, I agree with you guys it's overused yeah but it didn't bother me at any point because it no. was I, I do like that kind of kids choir style you know horror score it works for me no I know Mike was annoyed to shit it it honestly doesn't bother me in the, uh, that much either um, mm-hmm. but oh I, I didn't really dislike it I just found it funny that like a lot of times it would just all of a sudden hit. When someone was going to, I mean, it, it gets used a lot, but that's, I, I didn't like dislike, dislike it or anything. It's, I just kind of more found it like entertaining the fact that they, they would kind of cue it up 
to like almost perk you up if you if you were kind of getting lost in like the you know investigative stuff and thinking like okay okay let's go and then like oh here comes the the musical cue what, what, what's gonna happen now <laughs> i wonder <laughs> that's funny man you know the fucking i gotta say man the dude in this movie um the uh the lawyer uh what's his name uh i guess it's played by peter Chantel. Uh, oh, no. joey joey colombo <laughs> no, I think his, his character's name was Filippo Venier. I don't know what the fuck his name was. Yeah, Philippe. Yeah, Philippe, dude, I think that guy completely reminds me of William Fishner, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why, but there's something about his face and just his mannerisms and just something about that guy just completely reminds me. I just kept thinking fucking Heat the whole time. I kept seeing his face. So I was like, ah, like I don't know. It's just weird to me. <laughs> just has one of those faces, but. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys did you guys watch this with the subtitles on by any chance? Um, um, I, no, I watched I, the Blue I, Underground DVD. I'm actually waiting for the Blu-ray. I ordered it a while ago because I okay. forgot that um, Arrow to put it out. So I was like, oh, I should probably upgrade because I upgrade everything Italian. Like I just buy oh, sure, everything sure. Italian on, on Blu-ray. So and I was like, oh so fuck, I, man, I totally forgot to do it. And I was like, yeah, I didn't get it in the mail yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, like, I like I was watching this at work, and whenever I watch a movie at work, I'll I'll put the subtitles on, even if it's in English, just on the off chance that I miss a line here and there. But yeah. it was weird because um, the dialogue in the movie stated that the girl, the little girl, had just come from London, but the subtitles said Amsterdam. So I was I, I literally rewound it like three times because I'm like, wait a minute. Am I seeing and hearing the right things? Yeah, but yeah absolutely. In, in the dub, it says, yeah, it says fucking uh, see, there is no English subtitle option in there. I, I watch a lot of movies now. Um, depends what time of night it is with the subtitles on, too. So I don't miss shit. But the thing is, with watching Italian, man, the translation sometimes is like it's fucking like you'll be reading the bottom and it's completely different than what they're saying. Exactly. On the dot. I'm like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. Like that that's fucking me up. So sometimes I actually have to turn it off, right? I'm like, whoa, that's just confusing the shit out of me. I'm reading one thing and hearing another. I'm like, that's just how can it be so far off? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, what the fuck is going on, man? Um Yeah, I don't know. Ah man. Um I did anybody else find it odd that after dad went to the basketball practice and he found the kid there wearing, you know, his daughter's necklace that yep. she had been given earlier in the movie. The fact that he let him keep it, like he left without taking it back. He just let the kid walk away, and oh. then I, 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 I found that odd because that that's practically leave? evidence. Did that's he not, evidence. Did he not take it? Back? No, he didn't. He let the kid. He never even took it off the kid's neck. Like he, he took it. He, he started asking the kid, "Where'd you get it? Where'd you get it?" Yeah, but yeah. as soon as the situation got a little heated, that's when the priest walked over and just basically told the kid, "Okay, go back to practice." And the dad didn't like protest at all. And then he has his little exchange with the priest, and then he just leaves willingly. And I'm like, wait a minute, that that fucking kid has got your daughter's necklace, and you're just gonna let him go? That that struck me as really odd, really odd choice. But then it kind of plays into the fact of like, I mean, there's a lot of giallos where, when the when the killer's revealed, that I'm like, oh, I had no idea because sometimes it just doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> or maybe it does, I don't know. But in this, like, the first time I watched this film. I don't know what I must have been just on point that day or something, but I was like, I'm positive I know who the fucking killer is in this. 
I mean, I if, think- if you look at it from that aspect, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if you hadn't figured out, maybe that scene would make a lot more sense. Sure. Then? Well, um, when that scene played, I had no idea. Um, I didn't figure it out until we heard the audio recording. Yeah. That's when I was like, oh, okay. Now now I know who the killer is, especially because he's not in the movie very much. And that's kind of well, th- usually the, motive, the, this, the motif. This movie fucking just – it points at all the wrong people, like the obvious thing. I mean, it, it like red herrings itself to death with like – it just keeps pointing at the fucking – you know, the, um, the lawyer who – is like yeah. a, he's not a convicted child molester, but like he's a lawyer that molests boys. They allude to that shit. And I'm like, how the fuck is this guy a lawyer if he's fucking known to be molesting kids? Like, is that just not contradict? Like, you can't be in the legal profession if you molest kids, kind of thing, right? And I'm like, well, he's obviously not the killer. I'm like, this doesn't. There's no way it's going to turn out that this guy's the killer. This whole movie just like it really. When you think back on it, man, it, it only points one way the whole time. Um, it. Ha- I mean, the thing is, I've talked about another movie that came out in 1972 very, very heavily about, you know, um, the hypocrisies of, you know, the Catholic Church and and uh, just movies exploiting the issues that the Catholic Church, you know, the people have had. Finally, these mm-hmm. people were coming out, you know, saying some shit about their, you know, the, the obviously the problems within the religion and stuff like that. Um, most notably, Fulci's uh, Don't Torture a Duckling that came out in 1972. It's just... Mm-hmm blasting on you know it was very taboo to do that shit and because no one was really doing that it was it was very just frowned upon to talk bad about you know because it's so heavily religious country right catholic religion (laughs) and for him to do that but it's very prevalent here though too it's it's done a little bit more subtly but they're definitely alluding to the fact of i mean that's the social commentary in it man they're definitely alluding Mm -hmm. to the issues within the catholic church and the, the hypocrisies and and yeah. just and what they really can stand for, even though the killer turns out to not actually be who he says he is and things like that. But right. but it's still alluding to the fact. It's it's taking this idea and, and shifting it in there. And this is what's really fucking happening, you know. So yeah, I like I like that whole social commentary. So when you think about the film, I mean, it's definitely slow going. I mean, the kills aren't really the greatest. There's a really really odd and awkward ping pong scene. Like, <laughs> I called it quid pro ping pong. And it's the guy wouldn't—he wouldn't give any information until the guy played ping pong with him. No, and he even says something about like if you—if you don't play ping pong, you're not politically correct. Or so, he, he alludes to something with politics, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm like, that's like the weirdest shit ever. I can't remember exactly what he says, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's just funny. It's just again another, like, alluding to the fact theme. of you know the Catholic Church and the corruption and stuff is just fucking hilarious. Right. Another common theme with these three movies is the political speak. All three movies have at least one scene where, you know, a group of people are talking politics in one some way, shape well, or form. I think that's something that we forgot to bring up in the first one. Actually, I think I have it written down like something to do with like uh, Short Night of Glass Dolls is like almost like an anti-communism film. <laughs> like Giallo. <laughs> like it's weird, right? Like they kind of allude to minor aspects of that in there, too. Um, but yeah, you're right, though, man. It's definitely I mean, it's it's a prolific thing in a lot of jails like the politics and stuff because a lot of it has to do with police right so the politics always kind of play a part in there and but that's the interesting thing about these three films again going back to the fact that there's there's no real police investigations in this Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting uh did any of you guys notice that no one and i mean no one cried at that little girl's funeral not mom, not dad, not the priest, nobody. Not one tear was shed in that entire scene. Yep. That, that was weird. 
but then but then the next scene is where mom and dad you know, go to bed together and then they're shown crying after they have sex. It's like, what the fuck's wrong with this world? A little girl dies, no one cries. You have terrible sex, and now everybody's crying. I what know. the hell? That, that was, uh, once again, just another odd choice. And it was weird, too, how they... I mean, I just kind of chalked it up to the fact that the reason why they were jumping in the sack together is because they were sharing a morning bond, you know? Like, sure. they're fucking... Oh, the yeah, common bond and their daughter question. dies. But, like, there is a scene, though, you know, when the girl is... Um, when they discover the body floating in the bay and I'm like, man, that scene is like, even though they didn't show her getting killed, which I thought was kind of interesting that they didn't because, but they really allude to the fact, I don't know if you guys caught this, but the last moment that we see her in the court, in the courtyard, the camera really like pans right into her face. And then the transition is a fucking meat locker with doors shutting on a, on a piece of fucking meat hanging in a meat locker. I mean, that's how they transition and kind of throw the idea in, like, oh, that's the end of her. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? I'm like, that's, such a, that's like the weirdest transition ever, right? But seeing her body floating in the water, though, man, is like, I don't know what it does. It, it, it kind of disturbs me a little bit. Like, shit like that just disturbs me. I'm like, that's like a little girl floating in the water. Right, kind right. Of thing. It, I mean, it, 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 guys... was, it was more effective than actually showing her die. Like, I found that more disturbing than the opening scene with the French girl that gets the rock in the head and buried in the snow sure. next to her fucking snowman, you know, kind of thing. Right. So it might have a little bit to do with the fact that you guys are both parents and I am not a parent. Um, I, well, I agree generally, I laugh at kids dying in films. I generally laugh at kids dying in films, but like, it depends on how it's done. Like, sure. I mean, to be honest, man, these movies are dead serious, right? Yeah. They're fucking, I mean, this movie is so serious. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's kind of what the difference is a little bit. I mean, every once in a while, a kid will die in a film. I'm just, I, I'll lose it, man. I'll, I'll be fucking bawling. <laughs> like, I don't know oh, why. Yeah. It's I'm just the, crazy I'm to the, me. Yeah. I'm, I'm the evil asshole that pretty much laughs every time. I mean, we just reviewed The Barn uh, on the horror cast, and literally that movie opens with a little girl taking a pickaxe to the dome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and not off screen either, like very on screen. Oh, dude, I love that. And, <laughs> oh, oh it, it was a first time watch for me. Fucking loved it. Anyway, yeah, um, so but, but yeah, I'm always on board, uh, you know, for movies that give me a good child kill early on. So, I mean, I was on board with this right from the opening scene, mm-hmm. especially be, how callous the killer was. I mean, literally, there was no style or flair whatsoever, you know? I mean, literally a rock and just bash her in the head four or five five times and then bury her in a shallow snow grave that was that that was some brutal shit so yeah i was on board right away but then like i said the rest of the movie just feels like color by numbers uh giallo to me which again i I meant to mention earlier this isn't a bad movie i don't think this is a bad movie just because i'm saying that it's you know your basic bitch giallo Mm -hmm. uh is isn't bad i mean obviously this is 1972 so it's well before the genre got played out um you know by the late 70s early 80s uh but i i just i i just couldn't get over how middle of the road this movie was like it, it felt safe you know what i mean as opposed to the next movie we're going to talk about where it felt like lotto took more chances this one <clears throat> just felt safe to me you know well especially after watching short night of glass dolls though man it's like that That's movie true. is kind of unique, and then you watch this one, and it really is fly by the numbers, man. It's just mm-hmm. there's nothing really unique about this. I mean, it does have. I mean, the the storyline or the narrative revolves around killing kids and shit, but I don't know, man. It just I feel like there's a better film in here somewhere, 
you know <laughs> again like i don't mind it like i think a lot of the the cinematography again is great you know the music is good you know there's a lot of good aspects to this i mean again like there, <laughs> there's a i always thought that the um the killing in the theater was kind of an awkward one it's like holy shit dude like just the way that whole scene kind of plays itself out yeah, I mean, I can't believe that that many people in that theater didn't see that. I know that's what I mean, I'm saying. It's just it's an awkward uh, scene. You're like, was everybody like the deadheads in the last movie or something, just staring at the screen, you know, waiting to be revived, yeah. kind of thing, right? It's like, how the fuck did that even happen? It's true. It's no, weird. Absolutely. But then again, that goes back to the, one of my major um, problems with the film is like. It seems like everybody, every time somebody just finds out something, like right at that moment too. It's not like they find out something, they go for lunch, they go fucking to the gym, they do a bunch of things, then the killer can track them down kind of thing. It's like they find out something, they die right on the spot. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Like, how is this happening, man? Like, (laughs) I I can tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Yeah, it's pretty, right now. it's pretty much that aspect to it, right? It's like, but yeah. I mean, you know, going back to like, I, I just think that, you know, for a giallo and most, I would say 95, I think it never gets the killer. I'm just so bad with it. But this is one, the very first time I watched it, I was like, I'm pretty fucking positive. I know who the killer is. And, mm-hmm. and this is actually only the second time I've ever watched it because I seen this film first time years ago and I didn't really care for it that much. It was like, I didn't dislike the movie. But it was one of those films that I was like, okay, it's a decent movie, but there's a lot better giallos out there that I'm going to stick to rewatching. Yeah. Right? So I exactly. never really, I never really went back to this, and I was like kind of excited when Sam, you know, picked out the lot. I'm like, oh, cool, I get to rewatch uh, Who Saw Her Die. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, man, it was just one. one- I, just, I just definitely, I have some issues with it, but it's definitely not a bad movie, no. No, no, not a bad movie at all. But um, another issue I have with this movie, and this this is kind of a, 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 a touchy subject for me, something that's always bothered me. No one in this fucking movie defends themselves. It's like they see the killer, they see the knife in his hand, and then they just fucking freeze. Mm-hmm. They just stand there and wait to get stabbed. And I'm specifically talking about the death in the bird sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. You know? I know you're, I I mean, you're going to say that. He literally, he's literally 15 to 20 feet away from the killer. The killer pulls out the pair of scissors and he just stands there. I'm like, really? Really? Like he not only stands, he literally says nothing. Doesn't fucking yell. Doesn't do like, get the fuck out of my room. What are you doing with a monstrous pair of scissors? I just got a haircut last week. Fuck off. You know? And like, he doesn't say anything like, hey man, or like this guy's obsessed with birds, man. You think that he would at least try to defend the bird? Nothing. Yeah, not a damn. That's, I mean, I, I that's totally kind of a it. common theme in giallos in general. Is a you know people people just die freezing. too easily. They die too yeah, easily. Exactly, <laughs> and that was that's that was my second part. Is that everybody dies from getting stabbed once in the belly? I'm sorry, <laughs> people don't die from getting stabbed once in the belly with a little switchblade. That's not real life. But it, it's just. Like I said, I was more pissed off about the whole defending themselves thing because I, you know, I all my, I was bullied as a kid. I was bullied all through high school. So it's one of those things where I, when I see someone just let themselves be a victim, it just irks the shit out of me. It's like I don't know. And and even once he stabbed him the first time, he still does nothing. He still just stands there and lets him stab him a couple of more times. I just I I can't wrap my head around it. You know what I mean? It just I understand everybody has a fight or flight re- response, but it's like the people that 
even the people that would freeze in that situation, you'd think once they felt the pain of the first stab that it would wake them up and they would at least like reach out, start to defend themselves in some way, do fucking something. It's hard, no, it's, to get, it's hard for me to feel bad for people that allow themselves to die. That's it's so pretty fuck, much. It's so true, right? Like why, why was this a thing that was so prevalent in all these movies? It's like, dude, like you're going to die here. So just do nothing about it. Yep. I swear that's like their fucking direction in that. It's like, why? Like, that's just so not natural. Yeah. Everybody right? just sees a weapon and they freeze. Right. It like, just, that's, that is, me out. that's not reality <laughs> at all. You know, you know what? Another, I actually didn't notice this the first time I watched this movie, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I didn't even think of this, but there's a really kind of awkward, it's a subtle scene more or less where actually after, um, the girl, the, the girl that dies in the cinema, mm-hmm. her son, is showing um you know franco this footage of why she probably died because you know she was she had it on all these you know these politicians like everybody involved Mm -hmm. right and uh it's like she's getting all down and dirty with these dudes and he's like watching this footage with them and i'm like dude that's your fucking mom yeah like it just felt so awkward it felt like he was watching a porno with with george lazenby (laughs) Right, I was like, "This is oh, fucking, a little bit, yeah." It is weird, right? Like, I'm like, and going back to the whole Italian weird thing. I mean, I've actually even confirmed this with Italians before because we used to think that, you know, it's maybe it's just a normal Italian thing to, you know, be okay with seeing your daughter naked like Argento does with Aja, kind of thing, right? Like, yeah. he literally films her naked. I'm like, that's fucked up, man. I used to think it was normal because I'd seen it so often, and like, I know nudity over in Europe is totally different than it is here in the West, right? Like, sure. we just fucking it's very taboo over there. They walk around with their wangs out and shit. It's like no big deal. So I always just assumed it was kind of like, you know, this kind of keep it like we joke about keeping it in the family, but they're just like, yeah, fuck. Why not, man? Mommy's walking around with her titties hanging out. Big fucking deal. But like knowing that it's not true and then watching this and I'm like, that dude is watching basically his mom get fucked by like six guys. Yep. Like he, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's funny. So weird. I, I imagine if Jeremy was here, he would be making a Jerry Herring comment right now about yeah. Jeremy watching his mom's porn. I, I, I can hear the comment in my head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. It's so fucking true, though, that, right? That's exactly what I thought about when Mood said that. I was like, oh, fuck. That sounds like something from last week's episode. I did, <laughs> yeah, I, I would have just set him up big time right there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I like the third act of this one a lot. It, I mean, the, the pacing's almost frantic in the third act, which is fine with me. I appreciate that. I'm not a big fan of our killer and our reveal. And I don't know if it's necessarily because I saw it coming a little bit early, not quite as early as Moods did. Like I yeah. said, I figured it out when I heard the audio recording yeah, yeah. where he's talking about, you know, wanting to, you know, take care of these girls before they grow up and become sluts, blah, blah, blah. Um, but just overall, just, you know, this, this fake priest dressing as a woman, I don't know. It just, it, once again, you know, it's, it's, you know, basic giallo, you know, a formula that just, well, I think it could be, I think it could be a lot better with a better explanation besides, besides this dude just going around doing this. I mean, they literally don't give any kind of motive besides like him being, kind of crazy in the in the simple fact that he's not actually a priest yeah and i was wondering why they were concentrating so much on the fact that he wasn't a priest it's like this guy's killing little girls who gives a fuck if he's a fake priest 
Yeah. I, I, they were putting so much stock into it. It just bothered I, me. It's like you're I, dealing with a murderer. Who cares? I think it's I think it's alluding to the whole corruption in, in the church systems and stuff. I think that's just their jab at it. Right. They're, they're kind of letting in the way I take it is like, you know, they just kind of let in anybody and they let these pedophiles and these killers and and these people that do no good and shit like that. And I think maybe that's what they're trying to say. Lado's trying to say with that and shit. Just again, going back to the hypocrisies of the bullshit that was happening at this time. And these filmmakers were trying to let people know maybe they could have done a little bit better, I guess. I don't know. I mean, who's really thinking about that at that moment probably nobody exactly yeah i mean you know i I didn't have a problem with the movie necessarily i just wish it had a little bit more flair a little bit more well a little bit more punch a little bit more punch like an absolute Mm -hmm. like i think at this point you know especially (laughs) and that's the thing right if you're gonna have a movie like this that's very slow paced doesn't really have the greatest killings it it has questionable things like that i mean at least give the killer a great ass motive i mean they allude to the fact that that the one thing that you that it was it was that the girls had red hair. Yep. So that was like his motive. He just didn't like ginger kids. Well, I thought it was because his mom was a ginger, and and these little girls reminded him of his mom. Yeah, that's what I took from it. I don't yeah. know, but yeah, there is that. There is that too. But I mean, but the thing is, they don't. That that is true. But they don't really, they don't really explain that away too. No, they don't. They de- I I I kind of piece that together myself. That's why I could easily be wrong. But just from you know what I got out of it, that's well, kind of what I was thinking. you know. Honestly, thinking about it, that's probably what they were trying to do. But I mean, at least explain that away. Like maybe his mother, you know, molested him or did all this bad shit to him and stuff like that, and he grew up, uh, you know, hating gingers kind of thing, right? And sure. I mean, it's simple, but it it makes sense. I mean, these these things actually do happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. That's that's kind of my problem with some Jalos too. Is that uh, sometimes they'll kill, they'll get, they'll dispatch the killer before he gets a chance to really explain, you know, motive or you know anything about himself, his past at all. I mean, we got a little taste of it here, but yeah, I I, I would really like to get more scenes where like the killer in a, in a Jalo is like on the brink of death. Like he's about to die. That and then the explanation is, for his rampage. Right? Exactly. Just, you know, you know, you know, I, I, I didn't want to kill these little girls, but they reminded me of my mother, blah, blah, blah. You know, just a couple of little lines before, you know, he cacks out, you well, know, but <laughs> I mean, fuck dude. Yeah. It would have been fantastic to get that a uh, little bit of what, what his motivations were before he, <laughs> <laughs> ultimately fucking flies out a fucking window in a great epic dummy death fuck me that was a good one yeah dude it is so fucking funny because he hits the ground i just lose it like i'm watching this shit late and i'm pissing myself laughing i'm like oh my god it, i'm sure the wife can fucking hear me upstairs it's so funny i'm just i mean dying. at least they added the fire <laughs> but you know the funniest thing about that scene though is when when the police showed up and they're, they're kind of explaining the shit away and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, th- this guy actually wasn't a priest and he was doing these killings and, uh, you know, they found out this before he ultimately jumped to his death. And I'm like, he didn't really jump to his death. They kind of lit him on fire and fucking threw him out the window. Kind of thing. I'm like, what the fuck? Well, what struck me is crazy about that is how the cops took the credit for everything. Yeah, exactly. They didn't even acknowledge that the dad actually figured all this shit out. I know, right? I told they, they totally true. Were like, oh yeah, we did this and we did this. It's like, fuck you. The yeah. guy who actually figured it out is walking right by you. No one's going to interview him. No one's going to talk to him. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, and I understand, you know, cops don't want to look stupid in front of the 
press, fine, whatever. But man, that was just blatant, you know, uh, taking the credit. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so true, man. Uh, but that, I mean, fi- that, fi- that final scene in the church, his his the getup that he's in is fucking hilarious. To fucking <laughs> the lady outfit. Yeah, oh God, what a terrible female. I mean. I- I don't know. It's weird because you think back to the scene of the two girls getting killed and they show the killer's POV shot. And we know it's the POV shot because it's got the veil over the lens. Yeah. So, but it's like, it's very obvious that that wasn't a woman. How are these little kids not looking and saying, Hey, that's not a lady. I'm not going to walk towards her or I'm going to walk away from her before she grabs me or something. I don't know. It just, it seemed like even the little kids should have been able to see that that wasn't a lady and that there's something very wrong here. My God, that (laughs) woman has the broadest shoulders and the biggest Adam's apple. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't go near him. (laughs) Her mustache is bigger than my grandma's. Like what the fuck? But I tell you, man, no matter what happened before that dummy death, it was all saved because of that shit, man. Fuck. Oh, I mean, it, it left me with a smile on my face. Oh that's my for sure. god, it's so funny. One day when I compile fucking a top dummy death, that's got to be there. It just makes me laugh the way it happens. It's so funny. <laughs> ah, fuck, it's the greatest invention ever. Why use stunt doubles and shit when you can just throw a dummy out a window, blazing hot, man? Blazing fire, it's <laughs> fucking perfect, man. It's awesome. Nice. So good. <sighs> but, uh, Mike, you got anything else on it? No, man. I mean, it's it's really summed up as kind of your run-of-the-mill giallo. I mean, this is, if you want to show someone the definition of what giallo is, show mm-hmm. them this one. But just don't, I mean, if they're getting introduced to giallos, don't show them this one because they probably won't want to watch anything else. You're like, wow, <laughs> it's just really kind of boring you know maybe show them something else and maybe they'll appreciate this one after they watch i mean someone who appreciates murder mysteries i think will probably you know still dig on this it 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 is above average to me i mean i I, i've been saying that it's a basic giallo the whole movie yeah but it's still it's still very well shot you know it still has a good soundtrack it's I, i love the killer's theme song um, you know, the first death was brutal as hell. So, I mean, I, for the most part, I still enjoyed the movie. Maybe not as much as Glass Dolls, but I, you know, I, I, I the, the stuff that I, the problems that I have with it are fairly nitpicky. So it really doesn't bring it down that much, but yeah, I, you're probably right. I wouldn't show this to someone who's never seen a Giala. Uh, just, yeah, it's, I, 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 we would need to show them something that's going to really pique their interest and want them to watch more. Well, I'm not sure if this is the movie for that. I mean, maybe it, maybe if you're of a fan of the, the little ginger kid, the uh, Nicoletta, Elmi, I think is what her name is. Because I was oh. like, man, I recognize her from other films, man. She's actually uncredited in A Bay of Blood. Uh, she also was in Bava's Barren Blood in 72. Hmm. Um, I thought she, she on, looked familiar. Yeah, she's also in Flesh for Frankenstein. I'm just naming off the movies I've seen. She's in Footprints on the Moon, but I've never seen that movie. It's actually mm-hmm. a I need to get. But she's also in Deep Red. She's a little ginger kid from uh, Deep Red. That's where I recognize her. And she's her. in okay. Demons. She's in Demons. She's older in it. But mm. she's also in Demons, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, man. She just kind of, as a child actor, went from 69 to 88, and that's it. Just done. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, no, she's definitely very recognizable. I mean, if, if you've seen any of those movies, she kind of sticks out, so. Yep. 
it's kind of like Bob from Cemetery or uh, uh, House by the Cemetery. He's actually in the End of Demons too. Yes, yeah, you know, or is it Demons? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Anyways, and actually speaking is his real voice too. I think so. Yeah, nice. But, but yeah, um, Mike ratings. Uh, I'm gonna go with a six on this one. It's uh, it's not bad. It's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I still got some enjoyment out of it. It's it's uh, like I said, don't recommend it to someone who's never seen Giallo because they might not want to continue watching Giallo. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it's like your very base basic model of what uh, you know how to construct a giallo though mm-hmm. um with, like kind of like the no frills version giallo yeah yeah um <laughs> you know what man i'm actually at the exact same thing six out of ten for myself um i i do like the attempts that you know i respect you know building up that relationship with the daughter and, and father and stuff like that and mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I just, I think this movie would have been a lot better with a better resolution, you know, reveal, yes. yeah, better reveal, I think would have really kind of made up for a lot of things. The dummy death yeah. does a little bit of that for myself, but you know, at the same time, I can't stop laughing about it. Fuck. Um, but you know, th- there is, there is cool things in here, man. I do. I like politically motivated, you know, social commentary and films and stuff like that. I mean, this one is not even close to as good as Falchi's Don't Torture a Duckling that deals with the similarities, like I said before, the corruption and the hypocrisies of the church and just all the bullshit that goes along with that. And uh, I, I like the attempts at getting that out there. It's not done as well, like I said, but it's it's still prevalent there. It does have some pretty interesting scenes. The score by Morricone's is worth it. Cinematography, I think, is fantastic, man. I, I, I think all these movies have great shots yeah. in them, man. They're just really, man. I mean, you can see that kind of Lotto. And like I said, I respect Lotto for having very similar themes and, and very similar type films, but making them quite different. In his, it's just, I don't know. I, I respect that, but... You know, this one, it falls a little bit short for me, but 6 out of 10 is still recommendable. I mean, if you're into Giallos, like I said, I would never tell somebody to go watch this film if they're getting into Giallos. Go watch, like, you know, Blood and Black Lace and, and you know, start with the really good ones. So, yeah. but it's, there. there is a really great film here somewhere. It's just not in this version. <laughs> Phantom. Um... I'm going to come in just ever so slightly higher than you guys only because I feel like the stuff that this movie did right, it did really right. Um, I love this cast. Uh, it's always good to see George Lazenby. Um, any movie that has Adolfo Selly as the villain, I'm on board for. Even though he may not have been the main villain in this one, he was still a villainous character. But um, Yeah, it's, hard, so, to, yeah, it's hard to see him in anything like not be a villain, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't. I I couldn't name anything that I've ever seen with him yeah, not perfect. as the villain. I mean, for the most part, yeah. I've only I've seen him in like four or five things, and yeah, for the most part, he's always either the main villain or at least you know it's um, like near near it. It's like the dude from the Goonies. You know the fucking um, uh, he's one of the Fatellis, uh, the guy who is like a real life opera singer, the guy that sings opera in the movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm uh, talking yeah, about? Yeah. Like, that dude, man, is the bad guy. It's, and like, everything. It's Robert Davi, right? Yeah, that's what his name is. But that guy just, like, his synopsis, with, like, he's just fucking, he just, he's the bad guy, man. He can never yeah. be cast as a good guy. I always just see him and, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, guy, that like, guy was a real-life opera singer, man. It's crazy. I believe it. He's a, yeah. typical, he's a typical character actor that you get for, like, your, your villain. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Some of those guys are just ugh. even even so in Die though. Hard. Even in Die Hard, when he was like the FBI, he was still like kind of like a jerk FBI agent. That's right. Actually, <laughs> isn't yeah. True that. True that. That's funny. <laughs> Did I give my score? I don't think I did. Anyway, um, I'm probably coming in just ever so slightly higher than you guys. I'm giving it a 6.5 out of 10. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right, so uh, that is Who Saw Her Die. Yes. Apparently no one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, right? <laughs> they were too busy seeing themselves die. <laughs> Yep. As soon as they saw her die, they died themselves. So, didn't matter. <laughs> it's the night before Christmas. Margaret and Lisa are going home for the holidays. But don't bother to wish them Merry Christmas. Their future isn't going that far. Okay, so moving along into the last film tonight. Also from the 70s. 1975's last stop on the night train or the night train murders or oh my god there's so many names for this movie it's ridiculous aka the last train on the left yeah really the last <laughs> train on the left like there <laughs> that would be awesome that would be the amazing. last gelato stand on the left <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah man night train murders quick synopsis here a pair of psychotic hoodlums and an equally demented nymphomaniac Woman terrorized two young girls on a train trip from Germany to Italy. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Night Train Murders, this is essentially Lotto's Italian version of Last House on the Left. It's pretty much the exact same movie. Um, just mm-hmm. different location, really. Yep. Um, and I'll just put it out there. I think this is the better version of that. That's just hmm. me. That's just me. I've actually always preferred this. I have a lot of fucking problems with Last House on the Left. Um, oh yeah, I mean neither one are perfect by any stretch. But. See, I, I like the fact that this movie, it you know, I mean it's very typical in Italian films though too, not to put any comedy in their shit and stuff, kind of play it straightforward. Sure. I do, I like that approach, and that's the biggest selling point for me when you're dealing with this kind of scumbag narrative, like to throw really awkward and strange comedy mixed in with really shitty music and stuff. You know, David, I respect David Hess and stuff. I mean, he's the best thing about that movie, but. It, it's, I love this, how they're labeled psychotic hoodlums because I'm leaning more on the psychotic because hoodlums I don't think as rapists necessarily. Well, they kind of started out as hoodlums because I, I I remember thinking, wow, these guys are just chumps for like the first like 10, 15 minutes. You know what I mean? They're low level thugs. I thought. Yeah, yeah. That's well, Curly, they come off. As Curly, first. I think, comes off a little bit as being kind of the crazy one. The other dude, I mean, he really doesn't even do a whole shitload in this, and he he kind of he gets he gets the price. You got book. Euro, you got yeah. Mr. Euro Trash and Italian Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was calling that guy Discount Dario Argenta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, really, I right? kind of thought he resembled him too. <laughs> he does kind of actually. That's funny. Uh, so this this one right here. So we've got these. Uh, are they cousins? Now, when I think, I think they actually are related, aren't they? Oh, I'm not I'm, sure. I'm pretty. I'm pretty fucking positive that the girls are actually related. Um, one, one of course is from Germany. She was born in Germany. The other one's Italian. But I think essentially they, because I'm pretty fucking positive now when I think about it, she says niece or something like that when they're gonna buy the the motorized little moped things or whatever. Oh right, yeah. I think they actually allude to the fact that they're actually 
like cousins and shit but i do like the fact in this film that they even show like the parents talking and they kind of and it it's one of those films that that kind of cuts back to you know the yeah. parents storyline too and shit like that and it's it's very much in contrast because there's actually a scene in this film where they're talking about senseless violence at their dinner and shit like that well mm-hmm. in real in their reality there's fucking this senseless shit is happening but it's it's a pretty simple premise yeah we got these two kind of low-life hoodlums that board this train because they got nothing better to do and essentially come across these two girls they start fucking with them the other the aspect of this film that's always kind of tripped me out is how the older blonde chick in this film that ends up kind of teaming up Mm -hmm. with them they didn't know it's like such an awkward you know pairing and then you have like this other creep this kind of fucking voyeuristic creepazoid that kind of gets involved later too and I'm like it's just setting this picture is like everyone is fucking evil in this man it's like nuts like you can't yeah. trust anybody man like like actually that's one of the i know it's intent unintentionally funny but when you know the shit's going down in this room and these girls are starting to get raped and shit like that this dude is like literally peering in through this window and it's like blatant that he's there <laughs> it's it fucking mm-hmm. makes me laugh every time it's crazy but i felt bad about laughing when <laughs> the assault slash rape scene that's happening in the train car and the i guess the blonde chick's supposed to be like the nymph i guess and yeah she's like just do it do it already or whatever and he's like fuck he's like she's i'm trying but she's tighter than a frightened asshole yeah (laughs) Yeah. i I felt so bad because i just i lost it with that line dude i i totally get that man (laughs) (laughs) that's because it's like the dub too right i mean you know sometimes i wonder what the actual real dialogue was for those and Mm -hmm. you know it's because some of the times the dubs are like i I really doubt that they said that right or maybe they did i don't know it just comes across yeah it's probably (laughs) one of those cases where there's no direct translation so they kind of have to like just come up with the best they can yeah Mm -hmm. exactly exactly. (laughs) i i i was laughing when uh so the the one chick, she kind of escapes the train, but just like lets go to her suicide. I don't know if she was trying to commit suicide or just escape, no. and it ended up killing her. Yeah. Um, See, but think... then the other chick, I lost it when they basically Superman tossed her. <laughs> well, that, yeah. that, that window, that... And, and right as they're going over a bridge, you see the body just <laughs> flail yeah. down. Dude, into that's the, the other water. fucking. That's the other dummy death. Is so ridiculous when they throw her out the fucking window. <laughs> It's like yeah, the way arms, they do it, it it's like she's in like the Superman pose. Yeah, dude, her as arms she are, goes out the window. Her arms are fucking straight out, and she's soaring through the air. And like, how could you not laugh at it? Because she doesn't move. She's not screaming, right? Mm-hmm. She's not screaming. Her arms are flat out, like she's fucking flying through the air like a swan. It's like, so <laughs> and it goes on like she must fly fucking five hundred yards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so Jeez. fucking ridiculous, man. It's like she's paragliding down. Yeah, mm. uh, it, it, I actually, I actually found the scene right after they throw her body out, where they're throwing all her belongings out the window. For some reason, that scene was striking to me. Yeah. Um, kind of, uh, it, very reminiscent of like Last House on the Left. Once they actually kill the, uh, you know, the one girl. And, uh, you know, the villains are just kind of looking at each other, like, you know, kind of almost in disbelief of what they actually did. I got that same vibe from that scene because, like, all three of them, like, they're all throwing her possessions out the window, but they all have this, like, defeated look on their face. Like, 
none of them are real happy with what happened, but at the same time, you know, they're sadistic fuckers, so who cares? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I just found that scene really like I, I don't know if it was meant to be striking or meant to elicit that kind of emotion, but yeah, I definitely it was like, whoa, that that that's a heavy ass scene. Well, the way I interpret that scene is that I mean, I think up to that point, I don't think they had I don't think that they were intending on killing them. No. Right? No. So once she tried to escape and ultimately, I mean, if you're going to jump out of a moving train, you have to realize you're not going to be jumping in a fucking bed of pillows. You yeah. know, like some shit's going to happen, you're probably going to die kind of thing, right? So yeah. I mean, I think when she makes that decision to escape slash commit suicide, um it changes everything for them. So they react to it and then that's ultimately why they they throw the girl out the window and make her fucking mm-hmm. swan through the air kind of thing. But yeah, I don't think it's the main intention is to kill them. I think it's to rape and kind of pillage and move on kind of thing, right? But Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got uh, that same got feel that too. petty that petty criminal just do their shit and move right along. Mm-hmm. But man, I mean, as the movie moves along, it's hard to figure out who the worst of the three is that like it's like it starts out with discount argento being like the worst of the three because he basically goes into the bathroom with nympho girl before he knows that she's nympho girl and basically assaults her um but as it turns out she's a freak and she's okay with it so they end up fucking on the toilet blah 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 but I like but that. then it, nice to meet you. Then, Can I feel your? T- he doesn't even say it. He just grabs her tit and fucking. Yeah, well, he, he basically starts by like assaulting her. Yeah, and yeah. Then she's like, I mean, he's flat out assaulting her, but just he just lucked out in finding the one freak on the train that wouldn't care that much. So, so already he's established as a fucking scumbag. And then you know, Curly Joe, once he once he shoots up. He's just a completely different person. Yeah. Like, you know, all through the movie leading up to that, he was more the follower. He was like the the little toady that did whatever discount. That's the uh, moment. When, that's the moment when it changes, too. It's yeah. true. He, yeah. He, he becomes five. a sadistic one. And the other guy kind of backs off. Like, exactly. I mean, really, it's the moment when, you know, <laughs> it's kind of the moment after when uh, you realize you can't fuck or that you can't fuck. Her, and they're like, well, we got to break her virginity somehow by basically shoving a knife up for pussy kind of thing. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, and then during that scene, I, I start to feel like the woman is the worst one because she's holding her down, realizing. Well, she's the catalyst. Know. She's the one that wants this done. I yeah, don't. Exactly. I don't think any of this would even have happened without her. You know, like I, oh, like I honestly think these guys were fucking. They were low level thugs, and they 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 were looking to fucking make a buck, maybe do a little bit of rape here and there, kind of thing. But this chick really is, and that's why I've always said. Like, I personally love this film, but the very end of the movie is so dissatisfying. Yes. Because of how fucking much of a maniac this bitch is and pretty much gets away with it, man. See, I don't think... this this is the second time I've seen this movie, and I thought the same thing after the first time. Because of the unintentional rapist, you know, the old guy, the perv from the hall. Yeah. Remember, he mm-hmm. calls the cops and actually says the blonde and the two thugs. Yeah, he felt you know, guilty. He killed her. 
So I think I, I think that once they actually uh, once the cops get to that house because we heard the sirens there at the end. I figure once they get there, if they've already gotten that information from that anonymous call, she's probably going to get arrested. Ultimately, even if they don't have that information, once they do, once they investigate and autopsy those two bodies, and you know find all their belongings all over the place, I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to tie her to the crime. So I, I walked away from the film thinking she's going to get justice, but it's going to be uh, delayed. You know, but I but honestly, though, is that more satisfying than them taking revenge out with a shotgun or maybe Not. some pliers and some fucking salt? Not remotely. Right? I absolutely was waiting for mom to kick into gear. That, that see. This might be part of the reason why I prefer Last House on the Left because Mom and that one eventually. Well, that's you know, actually one of the beefs her. I have with the film, man. When when the mother oh, really? basically seduces the dude, like I get it, man. Like they they need a reason to get them close to you know effectively do what they need to do is, aka kill them, but like dropping down and like sucking is like that it just seemed to me i was like there's probably another way you can do this right probably, <laughs> i mean yeah. it just it seems so like outrageous to me i'm like there's so many other ways oh, you could do it outrageous. absolutely but I, I i do i do i do agree though like the ask if in contrast if you compare the two the ending of you know last house on the left definitely is more satisfying than the very end of this film i just think the whole ride there and stuff is a little bit better. i mean even with curly in this film when you actually think about it, the parents don't even kill Curly. He beats the fucking shit out of him, but she lays the boots to him and essentially kills him on the ground with her fucking her uh, high heels. Right. So yeah. she not only was responsible for killing their, their family, the two daughters, she kills that guy too and fucking walks away. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of no, no, it, crazy. Valid. No, absolutely. It's it's very valid to question that final scene. Like I said, maybe it's just more for my peace of mind. I came up with my little ending, but oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I can definitely see your side of it too, of her. And ultimately, I mean, we don't know that she was even still there once the cops got there. I mean, she yep. could have just taken off as soon as the credits started for all we know. But, um, but I yeah, do, I uh, do like how they piece it together, right? It doesn't seem like overly that convenient how the parents find out. No, not at that, all. Because, I mean, it's going to be natural. I mean, you got people that are pillaging and doing all this type of shit. You're probably going to take things and, you know, they notice the scarf and, the, and the, you know, they notice this and that. And they kind of put two and two together and shit. And, you know, I, I think it's actually decently written. I mean, the, yeah. the most the most haunting thing about it isn't just what we're seeing, like the rapes. It's, it's the fact that this movie just projects nothing but fucking shitty people. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, just and it. It. it, it I always go back to the dude that just randomly shows up and he's peeping through and then just decides to like rape this girl. And I mean, I guess he kind of gets a conscience and, you know, calls the cops and shit like that. But it's like, uh, too that, late. it's just like <laughs> so fucked up, dude. This yeah. Is- he's the one that I'm more pissed off about getting away with it. Cause I understand that the old guy wasn't the catalyst for all of this, no. but he was, he was in the hallway staring for a long time before he actually got in the room. I, he knows without a shadow of a doubt, those girls were being forced to do the things they were doing. So when he walks in there and drops trow and goes, you know, after that girl, it just, he knows he's raping her. He is 100% sure that he is raping her. And then he basically, you know, 
gives himself a conscience by calling the cops at the end. Uh-uh. That doesn't satisfy me. He's the one that I'm pissed off about getting away with it. I understand that the woman is more a catalyst for what happened, but that piece of shit knew what he was doing and yeah. and he just walks away from the train, you know, with no conscience whatsoever. Just eh, whatever. I got laid. Fuck you. Well, he thought about it for a second because he covers his face as he exits, exits yes. the train. He's like, oh, you know, I can't let him see my fucking face, you know. Uh, very valid. Well, I mean, he probably knew what was going to happen to those girls. Um, you know, I mean, they're sitting there and just maniacally raping them over and over again. It's not likely those two are going to get out of that alive. So I'm pretty sure he knew they were going to be dispatched. And man, if, if this was a day that had DNA testing, he would be so fucked. Yeah, dude. I thought the exact same thing, man. That's so <laughs> oh, funny you God, brought that dude. up. I'm like, he just basically ratted himself out. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And I'm, you know, and, and the thing is, is I, I almost feel like the director, his intention was for us to feel maybe not sorry for the guy, but feel like, oh, okay, well, he kind of, you know, made up for it a little bit by reporting them. And no, that's not how the world works. You're a scumbag regardless. Whether you made that phone call or not, you will die a scumbag in my book. Sorry. (laughs) Maybe so, because I mean, realistically, the movie could have played out the exact same without him making that call. Absolutely. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't, it doesn't have to be there. So yeah, Yeah. true that. Man. Oh, uh, let's see. Um, the first time I watched this movie, and, and the first time I watched it was fairly recently, probably less than five years ago. Mm-hmm. But I remember the first time watching it wondering why we were constantly going back to the parents throughout the movie. Yeah. Obviously, once you've seen the movie, yes, you understand why it's setting up their characters and how dad is – you know, a humanitarian, blah, blah, blah. I understand all that. But yeah, man, on first watch, it's kind of confusing why we keep going back to these dull ass parents Mm -hmm. talking about political and social, uh, you know, societal bullshit. I don't know. It just, it felt odd. Like on first watch, it didn't add anything for me. Obviously with subsequent watches, it absolutely does. And it makes total sense. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that first watch was confusing for me. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that, man. You know, actually, one thing about this movie that bothers me a little bit, which I don't know if this was a common thing in Europe in the, you know, the mid-70s, or I know for a fact it, it would never happen here in North America, but to find out that your daughter is dead by a radio spot, mm. like he's literally... Oh, right, I put that in my notes, yeah. He's literally uh, in the car, you know, getting ready to, you know, and he fucking turns on the radio and they're like, yeah, one of the bodies found was identified as blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, there's no way you would ever find out like that. No, they have to. I mean, they, I, they at no to. point in our history, I mean, cause you mentioned, uh, you know, it could be a European thing, but definitely at no point in American history would they ever release the name of a murder victim before contacting next of kin. It just would not happen. Exactly. I, under, I understand this is 1975 Italy, so, you know, but who knows? I've never been to Italy. I don't know. But it, it really, that was weird. Like, as soon as they announced her name and dad reacts violently, I, I was just like, what? That, wow. I know. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will fill us in on that because this has happened before where I was talking about certain regimes in, in uh, Brazil. I think when we did the Coffin Joe show and stuff like that. And I was, I was questioning certain things. And we had a listener from Brazil who filled me in on everything that I was questioning. Nice. I was like, oh, awesome, dude. 
Yeah. And he even told me what I put in the intro because that was the one episode that I actually put like a Spanish intro just just to kind of throw people off and stuff. He's like, oh, it was awesome. Like, by the way, what did he say? <laughs> I have no nice. idea. It was fucking Spanish. So very yeah. cool. So so you're starting this one with an Italian intro, I assume. Uh, you know, I have never. That was the thing. Even though, like the last show, like I usually always have like these you know samples and shit but the last one i couldn't find anything for the ricardo fredo show man it was crazy like everything was in italian i was like i don't know if i want to do that and stuff and but um but yeah no i don't know what i'm gonna do for this one honestly this is just obscure with aldo lotto there's not i'm sure there's no interviews with him in english i don't know i guess we'll have to take a look i usually spend up spend so much time trying to find these things i'm like oh fuck that's that's a challenge i just i use music from the movies but i couldn't find much like audio or any interviews or anything so yeah i mean i do that too like i will sometimes sometimes i'll create intros i'll put music and i'll put you know like with the argento show i put uh actually it was a bruce campbell introducing argento and talking about argento for like two minutes but i used about 30 second snippet of it and i put it over the sleepless soundtrack and stuff and i just kind of piece that together and shit and uh i usually put you know sometimes the trailers or music and i'll introduce the movies like that and stuff but just sometimes, like, for the Ricardo Fredo ones, like, I couldn't find anything. It was fucked up. Like, that just never happened. <laughs> Italian month's always the hardest month for sampling, man. It always is. Every other oh, show sure. is, is always so much easier, man. But, but yeah, oh. I, don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm Italian sure the music, fucking whore, yeah. The music, oh, boy. <laughs> the, mu- the music should be fine to find for these ones, considering it's all Morricone, so. But, oh, yeah, that should be easy. Yeah. <laughs> Is that it's that you, JP? Holy shit, he's Bigfoot! That is me. Holy <laughs> fuck! You know it's like right at the end. Man, we've been recording for like holy shit. It yeah. Must be, it must be four and a half, five hours now. Pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, man. I uh, I am sorry that I missed this one. You know what's funny? Jeremy actually made an appearance too, just for a couple seconds, and then kicked us yeah. all out of the fucking chat. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> right at the Skype session, I was like, yeah. Of course, you just want to drop in and make a jerry joke so you'll catch that but of course but yeah um i don't know man uh and then and this is the movie that has the song i was talking about earlier the the song that they use at the opening and closing of this movie i fucking hate it ah it's so abrasive to my ears you know what's funny actually i actually put it down i think it's hilarious the song that they use in the beginning of the film because it's this like soft kind of like what the fuck am I listening to? Type, you know, yeah, <laughs> soundtrack he's talking about flowers. And yeah, dude, it's, I actually it's really like, like it. Yeah, it, the, it's, it's his the, voice. Train murders. Yeah, yeah I, I just don't think he can sing. Ah, I just it, like it was, how it's over, like the Christmas, because that's like really the only Christmas aspect of this film is like the beginning, kind of, and like well, you know, besides the dad a, going to buy those like motorized mopeds for his <laughs> daughter and niece, kind of thing, right? But and the girls having their Christmas dinner on the train. Yeah. But I yeah, mean, as for like a Christmas Otherwise, aesthetic, yeah. though, like besides the opening five minute credits <laughs> but, exactly. with these thugs, it's not where really they Christmas fucking either. steal a Santa's 32 cents. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Fucking low life thugs, man. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was calling them chumps early on. I'm like, who the who the fuck robs Santa? The, the biggest mistake was not casting David Hess in this film. <laughs> Should have, man. Actually, that would that would have been absolutely amazing. That kind of role again. Ugh. <laughs> well, he's done it like three times. <laughs> Could you imagine if he had been cast in this movie and then like three or four years later done um, House on the Edge of the Park, played the same character yeah. again? <laughs> yeah. Dude. <laughs> I, that, I... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they should have. I mean, that the one dude, you know, the 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 leader, the more leader one, like that totally could have been David Hess. Could have been. Oh, sure. Yeah, it could have yeah. been. I'm glad it wasn't, but it could have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I just it was it was very striking because uh, the first time I watched this, I wasn't as familiar with. Uh, uh, last house on the left as much as i am now so watching it now man it was it was almost jarring how much this thing is almost like a beat for beat remake yeah you know? especially um, with cutting back to the family right mm-hmm. yes that that exactly. in all oh, the ending that like I, I didn't know like i've always heard this film was the last house on the left riff off i've never seen this movie um, but this one feels almost more than any of the other Last House on the Left ripoffs I've seen. Oh yeah, by far. Um, yeah, yeah, this is the first time watch for me too. I assumed the whole thing was going to be on the train, but not so. Yeah, yeah. We alluded to the fact, like, well, you might as well give your thoughts on the NJP. Like, I've I've always had issues with the very end, just how you know the blonde bitch she ends up basically living. And yeah, know, she, but she's like, she's the hardcore catalyst for this whole thing. You know, she's really what, why all this shit kind of turns the way it does and stuff. And, you know, she ends up not dying. It's like really kind of not satisfying because it, it's very weird too. just how like, she's just like, I didn't do it. They did it. You know? And it's like, <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, I think that, you know, because there was a chick, the Sadie chick in Last House on the Left. Th- this blonde chick has a much more inclusive aspect than Sadie did, which I do think is a nice separation just because it's something different. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. she's kind of orchestrating all these, like, you know, sexual uh, violence, acts of sexual violence towards uh, these women. Um, and,. I, I do think that I don't I, I don't I mean I like that she was included but yeah she totally she probably should have died but I'm cool I would have been cool with her not dying had it been justified in true trickery versus like I didn't do it you know what I mean yeah yeah um, <laughs> I'm just standing over here and I didn't well the thing that's frustrating about it is that you know she's like no I didn't do this shit I didn't do this shit but she was obviously there and knew something because she was wearing the fucking scarf like. I don't care, man. If I was the father and I saw that, I would be like, I'm fucking seeing right through this. You're transparent as fuck. I know what you did. You're done. You're kind getting of thing. blasted. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're just going to get it. I mean, because it's so, like I said, man, I do like the end of the film. Like, he blasts this dude. But the thing is with Curly, she ends up killing Curly and she lives. And I'm like, fuck, man. This guy only got one <laughs> of the three, really. It's kind of yeah. crazy. <laughs> Technically, one of the four because the other dude, the peeping oh, Tom yeah, Rebus, that, he, that guy dude. just walked away. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but basically I learned like there's a fucking lot of scumbags who ride trains and wherever <laughs> Dude, that's where what they I said. That's what I said just were. before you got on. I was literally just Italy, saying right? that before you got on. I was like, <laughs> if anything you take one thing away from this film, it's like everyone's a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, around those fucking, areas. It's like what fucking fuck? Euro trash, man. Hardcore, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, oh, dude. Um, yeah, it I, I do think the, the film's a little bit messy with like how they like even in Last House on the Left, it, it's like a pretty big coincidence that you know that it ha- played out that way. But this one, it even feels like more of a coincidence. Like they're at a fucking train station, they take random people. Like at least the random people in Last House on the Left, like kind of showed up there and was just kind of near their mm-hmm. place where they did the murders. But like that, 
Did, I, what was the reason that they? Oh, she was. He was hurt. Somebody was hurt. Well, the they, girl was hurt. They essentially right. got off on the same spot where they were supposed to be getting off. That's why they were there. Yeah, but right, so. I, I know. But like, why? Like, it's like weird to just take like three random strangers into your house because well, you're a doctor. Legs fucked I, up or something. I think but. It's, he did it because um, it was the holidays, right? And he just yeah, yeah. It was Christmas. He just. I, fit- I get. I, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. But he, when you. He figured that he could, you know, fix her up or, you know, fix them up or whatever. And, yeah. you know, because he's yeah. a doctor. But you, but, but, but you had to know, like, like, th- did they not tell the other people, like, yeah, we're supposed to pick our daughters up, but we can't find them type thing. Did they not, did, did, did the crew yeah, they, not know? Yeah, no, no, they, they were told. They were told that they weren't yeah, on so that. They weren't sure what happened, but they. Scarf off. <laughs> yeah, but they were, yeah, they, that they were probably on the other train that was coming in later kind of thing. That's why they took him back. Yeah. That's why when he gets into the car and finds out that his daughter's dead on the fucking radio, which would never, ever, ever happen. He was, no, he, not, he, they wouldn't just be like, Susie Banner, dead. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Know. Like, they say the exact name. Like, because it's on the TV at first, like, um, we felt like two bodies like near the train tracks or something, I think. Um, but yeah, they say on the radio, it's like, now we're going to announce the names of the dead people we found. <laughs> I know, which we know in, in uh, North America, that would just would never happen. So it's kind yeah, of I, can't, thing, but. I can't say, say for Italy or wherever the hell this was set. Um, <clears throat> because apparently a lot of stuff happens differently there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, um, I really, I don't know. I, I, I really kind of like this one a little bit. Um, it's uh, I like pretty Last wild. House on the Left, pretty wild, yeah. and I love House on the Edge of the Park, which I think is the best of the three. Um, but this this one, I would I I, th- I don't think I like it as much as Last House on the Left, but I th- I think that it's I like that it's set on a train. That's really the big key factor for me. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's just cool. Um, it feels more like enclosed than just gross, and it it was uh. I, I don't know how you guys watched the. It was the HD that you guys watched. I think so, right? Yeah, I'm pretty. I sure watched my are. Blu-ray. Yeah. I watched my Blu-rays, so yeah, it was in HD. <laughs> yeah, I watched my Blu-ray as well. Um, but yeah, it it it, it was a little dark at spots in the train still, but it was kind of cool. Actually, I like the scene when the when the light goes out and stuff, and you get that kind of like blue hue blue, thing going on. Yeah, there. I think that looks mm-hmm. actually like on the eighty-eight films Blu-ray that I was watching. It looked really good. I was like, damn. That's interesting visuals going on there. So yeah, I, that that blonde chick was just so evil, though. Yeah. Super just evil. pure evil. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody else get the impression she, got, she turned evil from the demon seed in the Jesus. fucking bathroom of salt? That's right, man. <laughs> fucking Did, the, the Argento lookalike. Else... <laughs> <laughs> uh, was I the only one who got the impression that uh, the rape scene in this was over the top? Almost like uh, he just wanted to outdo Wes Craven. Like, I, like with, with, with The Last House on the Left, there's, there's meaning. There's almost artistic value to the violence that's going on. I know a lot of people can't see it, but, uh, you know, a lot of us here probably can. In this one, the rape and murder felt really, really gratuitous. Dude. <laughs> and, and it wasn't it wasn't until after the deaths that I really started to feel 
like the weight of it all, not during a hundred percent. It's, it's definitely gratuitous. Like that's what I wrote in my little Twitter review or my little letterbox review too. It's just, it's pure gratuitous, like just trash. (laughs) But do you think, I mean, do you honestly think that it was Lotto basically trying to outdo last house on the left? Or do you think he just naturally kind of veers towards the extreme? I don't know. I was on the Uh, fence. I honestly, I assume probably tried to amp it up. Yeah. I would say maybe try to amp it up, I guess. I mean, really, if you're going to do your own version of it, why not, right? Or I guess, yeah. Or at least... um, I mean, I just didn't get the... I didn't get the impression that he was an ultra-mean-spirited horror director from the first two movies. And then you watch this one, which is only three years later... And it's like suddenly, holy shit, it's almost hard to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's totally, it's a different type of film, though, too. I mean, I get it. I mean, I mean, I don't think it would have the same effect if it wasn't as violent and, and fucking brutal as it is. I mean, let's face it, man. I, I as much as as much as the swan fucking dive kills me every time with that dummy death, it's fucking uh. brutal, man. It's yeah. so, they just fucking bomb her out the window, dude. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that, that is Superman flight. Like to me, like bridge. even though it's funny and I find it funny, that but it like in hindsight though, it's still so brutal to me, man. Like just the disregard for life is ridiculous. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's yep. nasty. So, yeah, <laughs> I uh, completely agree with that 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 that, dude i love i I know you do too the like love dummy deaths Uh, there's a good one in um uh who saw her die as well well (laughs) all three of these movies uh, before before we even started this i i said you know the auto lotto the auto lotto films have like three things in common (laughs) obviously all directed by lotto they all scored by moni morricone and they all have uh, glorious dummy deaths <laughs> oh yeah i didn't i the, one of the reasons that i didn't get to come on the show is i did i didn't get a chance to get to um the short nice of uh glass dolls or whatever it's called but i did uh, watch um the who saw her die um and yeah that that, that death at the uh well it, that death was cool don't <laughs> worry about it man. no this has all been spoiler oh, okay yeah. um oh, yeah. but yeah yeah the uh so trust, trust me, I lost my shit laughing about it like five times talking about it, man. The <laughs> Dummy Death trilogy, the Auto Lotto Dummy Death trilogy. So funny. Um, I did like the score in uh, Short Night of Glass Dolls too, though. I you said it was yeah. um, Morricone that did these one, films. Yeah, Morricone mm-hmm. did all of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really good, man. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, did you guys do ratings for this film yet? Not for this one, no. Uh, who's go? I think it's. Who's who's going through? Uh, that you. would be it was me. Oh yeah, it's me. Um, like I said, man, right off the top of this, I I love this movie, man. It's like I prefer it to Last House on the Left. I know I'm probably in the minority there. I just always have. I like I said before, like I have a lot of issues with that movie. And what this one does for me is it doesn't bring that intentional comedy. Um, I just find it really kind of brutal, and I I really like the contrast with like you know flipping back to the parents and. And, uh, you know, them just them talking about the violence and shit like that and just how it's compiled. And I I think it just really works, man. I think the writing in this actually is not too bad. Um, 
it's uh-huh. just it's just a vicious vicious watch man the setting is fantastic i think everything kind of works man i think the setup is great and uh, I, I don't know man it the big selling point for me is definitely not the ridiculous comedy of last house on the left i just i've never <laughs> it's always been my biggest thing and like i know it's kind of like an offset to what he's doing in that film you know just kind of you know mix it up a little bit but in this i think it just works a lot better if you're gonna play this shit this brutal and straightforward leave the comedy out to it um like i said before my biggest complaint with this movie is the very end i do not think that she should live in this i think it's totally unfair um because she is the major catalyst this. she kind of gets away with it man and it's like venom said it's just you know taking now a, let me take ask it, you this taking is, is it because it? is it because you're not happy with the fact that she's a villain and she lived or the way that she lived the way that she lived. Okay, good. Cause that's where I'm at. I don't, I don't mind if the villain gets away well, sometimes. It, it doesn't make sense because <clears throat> as a parent, I mean, they, they called her on it, man. Like they know that she was there involved in this because she's not only with them, she's wearing the fucking daughter's scarf. Like she has to be part of this. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to look at that and be like, Oh, you know, they made me do this, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to believe that shit in that moment. If I'm a father, I'm going to, I'm getting fucking revenge, man. I'm sorry, but you're definitely part of this. I don't know what part you played at this point. It does not matter to me. You're dead. Right. I mean, you killed my daughter. So, and my, and my niece. So I, I just, I think that's a downfall to the film. I think, you know, with what we've seen throughout the first 90 minutes of the film, all this brutality and just viciousness, I think the revenge isn't, it's just not as good as it should be. I think the parents should, you know, get their revenge at that heightened level as these criminals did with, um, did away with their daughter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of even out the score a little bit. So, but I still really enjoy the hell out of this film. I really don't have a lot of problems with it, but it's going to be the highest rated one of the night, man, for me, eight and a half. So, mm. nice. Wow. Who's next? Me? <laughs> yeah, you can go if you want. Uh, okay. Yeah. This film, uh, I did like it more than who saw her die. Um, I didn't get to see the other, the third film. Uh, I, I, I'm, this is kind of, I've kind of always enjoyed, enjoyed is like not the best word, but like, I've always been intrigued by these, these types of films, especially like the last house on the left ripoffs. Like I said, house on the edge of the park is probably my, one of my favorites ever of, of those type of films. Like, even if it's not direct, exactly like, last house on the left just i mean you know the standard sort of rape revenge type type movies i've always kind of found pretty powerful and they always get me um feeling uncomfortable and or you know sad or depressed afterwards or whatever so um i i've always liked films that can make me feel something so uh this one uh this one works pretty well um i i liked it uh i just think that it's a little it's a little bit wonky in the end um i think that i think that certain things are a little unrealistic as well but uh overall i i think that it's pretty decent um i gave it a seven out of ten <clears throat> yep <laughs> fan all right this was easily my favorite of the three. I'm right there with JP. Movies that make me uncomfortable are few and far between. So whenever a movie, especially one that's, you know, almost as old as I am, 
can do it. I, I genuinely appreciate that. I, I will say, though, that I have a little bit of problem with what I feel is a little bit of one-upsmanship during the rape and murder scene. Mm-hmm. Um, gratuitous may have not been the right word I wanted to use because the scene needed to be gratuitous, you know, to really get the point across and to get us to just absolutely abhor these three assholes. So I understand why it's there, but like I said, the the first couple of times that I oh right four assholes, <laughs> very very true. Um, like I said, the first couple of times I saw this, I just you know had a little bit of a problem with that scene and just not really seeing the artistic value in it. I I see it a little bit more now as a as a as an older adult and a podcaster, I, I can definitely see the artistic value there. It still just doesn't really work for me. I didn't have as much of a problem with the ending as, um, you know, moods did. Um, I, I do still feel that we didn't get our full, you know, satisfaction there at the end. And I really, really would have liked to have seen mom be a little bit more active in this whole thing. Um, Maybe even to the point that mom takes out Nympho Blonde. You know, I would have been very okay with that. But Blondie. <laughs> but uh, I, I did like this movie a lot. And I'm probably going to come in a little bit higher than JP and give this an 8 out of 10. Cool. Mike? All right. Yeah, this is... You know, I, I kind of went back and forth on which one was my favorite. Either this one or Short Night of Glass Stalls. But... I think this one edges it just a little bit. Uh, um, it's it's pretty fucking grim. I mean, you know, obviously it has the last house on the left um, elements to it, highly so. Uh, God, the Euro trash scumbags are awful characters. Um, the the assault slash rape scene not easy thing to watch it's pretty terrible but um i yeah i I just overall enjoyed this one um i'm going to give it an eight out of ten all right cool sweet man sweet all right well that is uh well quick little what what were your quick little thoughts on uh who saw or die um, it, it, why didn't you watch them in chronological order? Then you would have watched the better film in Short Night of Glass Dolls. It's actually one I, of, it's honestly one of the most unique giallos out there. I I I honestly had a really hectic like couple last couple days. So um, even that film, I didn't even feel a hundred percent comfortable talking about because my head was all over the place while watching it. Um, so, but I, the reason why I didn't watch them in order. Um, was because the one was subtitled <laughs> and I just didn't want to watch that one uh, until the end. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the ones that are in English, uh, I'll watch first usually. And then the ones subtitled I'll watch last or I'll get the, and the subtitle one out of the way mm. first. It just depends how I'm feeling. Um, but the, uh, I didn't expect my week to go like this or else I would have had plenty of time to, to do what I needed to do. But, uh, the, uh, who saw her die? Uh, I thought I actually really liked the score in that movie. And I thought that the, uh, 
the subject matter was I, I, I always give credit for films that kill kids um, because I, I just think that not a lot of films are willing to do it. Um, so when the plot revolves around that, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I thought I thought it got a little bit boring at, at times, though, with this sort of giallo nature of it. Um, and I didn't really focus 100% on that when it was on the, the TV, honestly. So um, I needed to rewatch that one. But from what, what I saw, I thought it was pretty decent. Well, I mean, in a nutshell, that's essentially what we said. It's very run-of-the-mill kind of giallo, especially after watching or the, it's the film he did read after Short Night of Glass Dolls, which is like super unique and awesome. Very cool premise. And then this one's kind of fly by the numbers type thing. And you're right. It, it is a little bit boring at times and stuff. But um, if you do get to rewatch it, it, it is a decent film for what it is. The payoff's not really the greatest, um, but it does deal with uh, another film from 1972. Uh, Don't Torture Duckling, like the hypocrisies and the corruption in the, you know, the churches and shit like that. So. It's it's kind of interesting. It came out the same year as that, so. But I think we like the. Honestly, the rest of us, I started we- I started watching Short Night because I was still going to try to make this show um, after I got home today, and I just fell right to sleep whenever I. How far I, did you get into it? Like fifteen minutes. Oh, and, so, so you uh, saw the premise of Gregory, you know, being rushed to the hospital and pronounced dead, yeah. and then and then the story kind of <laughs> being in his mind. You know, like he's telling the story through you know because he's not dead right so i don't think i saw got that far it might have been less than that i saw him go to the hospital though yeah you must have um, seen him yeah I, I like crashed out <laughs> and then um i uh yeah dude i just was like completely just so tired i, I was up for around 20 22 hours or something like that and i was like there's no way i could stay up another you know t- however long you guys do this shit <laughs> you know what i mean and i was been a long show it. man considering yeah. all we did was five questions with venom and then i did a knowledge segment that i mean we did talk about that and then we tangent off and talked about a bunch of other stuff and then jeremy cut in cut us off restarted <laughs> and then when it, and these review man we've been reviewing these for a couple two hour over two hours yeah, Jeremy's just, five minutes got us all off track. Yeah, I didn't. It totally got us into another it. segment. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like we didn't. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, I think it worked out. But um, but yeah, man, I guess that's going to conclude episode one sixty eight here. Aldo Lotto, big thanks to Sam for patreoning this show. Uh, that's awesome. And I, of course, I want to thank. Uh, Mike and of course Venom first time on the show for coming on it was a blast I had a really good time I thought the uh, the five questions were brilliant um, good thank stuff you again, yeah so. this was this was great uh, I really had a good time like I said been waiting a long time to get on here to talk to you guys it's too bad JP couldn't be here because I'm sure uh, I know. he and I could have uh, <laughs> some really really uh, you know cerebral conversations but uh, yeah, there's always next time so yeah. and you know I have like you know 47 podcasts so I'm sure JP and I will cross paths again <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely awesome Mike Always welcome back on the show. Venom, again, you know, come back when you need to, man, or you want to. Hey, anytime, brother. Yeah, I had a really good time. Tonight, I, I'm, so. a, I'm an absolute podcast whore, so, yeah. I you mean, are, really, you, when are you going to have the time to come back on? I mean, you got so many shows. Like, I don't even understand how you record that often. 
Uh, yeah, I record pretty much every other night, almost. And this week, I actually had three guest spots, too. So I actually recorded every day this week. Crazy, crazy. With that said, you want to plug all 20 of your shows? Sure, absolutely. Um, um, You can hear me on the Horror Cast, which is now a weekly podcast. We used to be bi-weekly, but now it's weekly. On the latest episode, we celebrate our Halloween hangover with three more um, Halloween feature reviews. Those are The Barn, House of a Thousand Corpses, and 2019's Haunt. Um, obviously you can hear, as Mike has already mentioned multiple times, you can hear the both of us on no more room in hell and the sister podcast to that no more room in hell presents fresh cuts where we concentrate just on the newest movies, um, in the genre available today. And, uh, let's see, you can hear Mike and I also on theme warriors. Uh, all of those podcasts are available on the horrorphilia network. And then, I have a couple of shows on the Legion podcast network that would be underwater Kaiju from outer space. Um, and you heard my, po- my podcast co-host on that episode last week, on this very show, Mr. Jerry Herring. And despite what Jeremy thinks of him, I think he's a great guy. So whatever. Um, and then our newest podcast together, uh, that Mr. Jerry Herring and myself are doing is called cult unknown. That is kind of our conspiracy theory slash cryptozoology cra- uh, slash creepy pasta, you know, podcast. We've only done one episode so far. We tackled Bigfoot on that one. Episode two should be out hopefully sometime in early December, and that one will be on the Mothman. And then um, whenever the show comes back from hiatus, you can also hear me on the Slice and Dice Dreadcast. Um, there, there hasn't even been a new episode of the Horror Mafia in the last couple of weeks, so I'm not sure what's going on with any of those guys. <laughs> Speak of the devil, there's somebody that just joined the call. Um, and then I have one more podcast project that's going to be starting in January that uh, a formal announcement has not been made yet. So as soon as we make our formal announcement on um, Facebook, I'll make sure that all the podcasts are aware of it. It will be another horror movie podcast. So I'm in my comfort zone. So, yeah, Um And then as far as guest spots go, you can hear me on the latest episode of It's Not Horror, Okay. Um, You can hear me on the, what, uh, at least one episode of Burning with Springwood with Mike and Gary Hill. Uh, uh, Yeah, with Mike Merriman and Gary Hill. Um, Yeah, we were doing like the deep cuts that we do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm going deep, man. I just, because I I, I never think to plug my guest spots because I have so many actual shows that I just, I forget about it. It's like by the time I'm done talking about my 37 shows, I forget about my 27 guest spots. So, yeah. (laughs) Do you want to plug that? Do you want to plug that old episode? Sort of evil episode you were on. Yeah, yeah, was that <laughs> like years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, well, um, uh, as far as social media goes, on Twitter I am at Jerry Venom. On Instagram I am at Venom Horror. On Facebook I am, of course, Mister Venom. And if you want to drop me an email, the address is Mister Venom Podcasts at Gmail dot com. Wow. <laughs> nobody takes longer to plug their shit than you do that's good shit man that's awesome you should just like save the recording of that i probably so, like, should any, anytime he's on a show they just patch that audio i couldn't even remember all that man to be honest like that's just that's crazy man <laughs> uh good shit though man um awesome episode uh yeah man jp are you still here 
I am still here. Do you want to just take us out? Yeah, so anybody who is still listening to this mammoth of an episode like they always are, um, I just want to say, one, that I I really am sorry that I couldn't be here. This is the first show I've ever missed um, in the history of 22 Shots, so now we've all missed the show, (laughs) Uh, which is funny, which is very funny, but uh, I... I had some really strange uh, news happen to me this uh, sort this sort of week. Um, I don't think it's as bad as I thought in my head, um, so that's good. Um, but was it a anyway, early pregnancy? Story? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Um, but yeah, um, luck. My internet probably would have went out anyway, and I probably would have had to go over her house again. Um, which I've been doing like back to back weeks. Oh, sirens, uh, but, man, sirens! <laughs> I know, right? I wanted to listen back to that show and just see how loud it was on your guys. I then. did cut out the end of, or that you know this that part where it happened, and I put it at the end of the show too, where I'm like oh, introducing, I'm like, oh, JP, and then you start talking like fucking sirens, and the shit is so <laughs> loud, man. <laughs> I'm blowing my headphones off. Yeah, um, apparently that happens a lot when um, Derek and Carly were their show, so that's funny. Um, but yeah, so uh, Italian Month, the, the good thing is there's still two more weeks of Italian Horror Month to come. Yeah. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons why we didn't obviously push it back, because it's just these are scheduled shows, you know what I mean? You can't rearrange them. Uh, we'd be going into damn december and that would push our december show back and our christmas show back and our end of the year show it just would it'd be a cat a, a catastrophe yeah um dominant effect but uh yeah so check out all the the places where you guys normally do um 22 shots of moods and horror.com i'm i'm trying to get on these guys who have been helping me with the ratings i am so far behind on ratings on the website it's actually giving me anxiety at this point so i have to either find somebody else to volunteer or hopefully the guys can maybe work a little bit uh faster they're working for free though so i can't i can't be like hey do that faster (laughs) um but uh the uh but I do want to thank them. They have the, they have done a lot of them that I was behind on, so I appreciate that. Um, but check out the horrorphilia.com. Check out Jerry uh, and uh, Mike's show. Um, check out Jer- Jerry's multiple shows, Mike's multiple <laughs> shows. Um, also, uh, the Twitter, 22 Shots Podcast, Facebook group, uh, Facebook slash group slash 22 Shots Podcast. Um, what else did I want to shout out recently that I haven't shouted out in a while? Um, the Flick Chat thing, Flick Chat app. I, I haven't been active on there at all, but I, it really is a cool service, and I do want to uh, work on that more. Um, so you guys could send us emails. We do have some questions um, that came in, so we need to probably I'll share those with you, Moods, next week, um, and we'll probably do those next week or the week after. Oh, this is what I wanted to say. Uh, any what uh, what we watched reviews like Patreon stuff that you guys have submitted don't think that we forgot about it we do have it it's just we didn't want to burden our guests with watching extra movies for what we watched but on the Derek episode I believe we will be burdening Derek with watching extra stuff to do some <laughs> what we watched so that will be we'll probably do some what we watched on the final episode of Italian Horror Month and then of course the first episode of 
the December series uh, will also have what we watch. So we'll get we'll get to some of these. I'm I'm pretty behind on mine, but uh, we will get to some of those uh, give, during that time. That'll give me time to catch up on all those fucking giallos that I yeah. that I need to review. Might as well do yeah. it during Italian month, man. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. Well, we actually have a bonus review on Derek's one too, I believe. Oh um, my god! Seriously? Jeez. Yeah, it's an Italian film though. Okay. That's cool. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, it feels like I've been here the whole time. <laughs> so, yeah. We out. Deuces. Peace. Later. I'd even did it. Me too. You suck ass. I got to press record here. That's an easy edit. What the fuck, man? He deleted his movie from the car. How the fuck could he do it, though? I don't know. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, wait a minute. How did that even happen? So I thought you removed me like on accident, but it was him that did it. No, I was I was waiting because I was like, okay, something feels like it's going to happen. And sure as shit, man, I get fucking removed from the call.